Tuesday, June the 28th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. It's another heavy fandom episode as we finish up Obi-Wan Kenobi with the season one finale. That's what we'll be calling it right now. Matt Velasco joins me for the scene-by-scene deep dive. Then we get into Ms. Marvel with Tim Kelly, episode three, in our scene-by-scene deep dive. So we go from the world of Star Wars to the world of Marvel and the MCU. But before we get there, we're going to head on over to Louisiana Downs for Tuesday racing action. We'll dive into the full seven race card and share some thoughts on the Tuesday program out at Louisiana Downs. So, fandom heavy with some racing to discuss. Before we get into that, wanted to share some news as... Uh, oh, it's not like I'm sharing some news, right? That sounded like I was about to make a, a make a big, important statement. The news that I'm sharing is the basketball news. John Wall looks like he's going to sign with, with the Clippers in a buyout. How about this? John Wall, in the last three years, he's earned $132 million for the Houston Rockets. He's played 40 games to earn the $132 million. He's not played more than 41 games in a season since 2016. If he is healthy... He would obviously give the Clippers another really nice option, especially at the point guard position, to help get everyone and everything facilitated. And you would add him to a roster next year of Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Norman Powell, Marcus Morris, Luke Kennard, Robert Covington, Reggie Jackson, Zubat, Man. We'll see what they do with guys like Harkenstein, Batum. If they're bringing in someone like John Wall, they may not be able to do so. But this Clippers team, like always, I mean, it'll go down to it'll come down to the health of their top two. But the additions last year of Covington and of Norman Powell that makes this team a lot better. You put someone like John Wall in there. I don't think you want to count on John Wall, but if he's out on the court and it gives you another option, sure. Little NBA news there. We'll see a uh, lot starting to happen in the free agency world in the next week, cup week or so, as. One more small announcement before we get into some of the the racing. I am doing some uh, some free giveaways now every Monday and Tuesday for Louisiana Downs Racing. Money Monday, two for Tuesday. All you have to do, give me a follow on Twitter. Make sure to follow Louisiana Downs on Twitter also. I will make a post every Monday, every Tuesday. And, and on that post, it'll say, just here's the thread. Share your best bets and give us a follow. I always ask for best bets in races four through seven. That gives people a little time throughout the day, throughout the card, to you know share one of them. And then once race number three goes official, I randomly pick two people uh, in the randomizer, and we make the wagers for them on their best bets. If it hits, you get to keep the cash. Every Monday, every Tuesday, you could get a free roll at Louisiana Downs. So start handicapping those cards and come get involved on social media, Money Monday, two for Tuesday. This episode of That's What G Said is brought to you by Better Than Dot Vegas. Give them a follow at BTV Bets on Twitter. They have a live stream schedule of gamblers, handicappers, analysts all around the world that provide free previews for major sporting events, big horse races, and all sorts of things happening in the world of sports and pop culture. Better Than Dot Vegas. Everything's free over at BTV. They just want to help you become a better better. Let's dive on into the racing. Let's get into Louisiana Downs, and we'll start talking some Louisiana Downs Tuesday. 
horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic pass performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF pass performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current day's odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Let's dive into the Stable Duel schedule for this week. Tuesday, June the 28th, Parks, Indiana, and Assiniboia Downs, all with contest options for you. Then on Wednesday, you've got the Horseshoe Indiana Brickyard Bash with two different options over at Indiana, Delaware, Parks, and Penn National, all with different contest options on Wednesday. Thursday, Delaware has a free ride. They have a couple different games you can play in. Gulfstream with a couple options, Indiana and Penn National. That's on Thursday, June the 30th. The calendar flips to July. Gulfstream Park, Delaware, Laurel, Penn National, and Prairie Meadows on Friday, July the 1st. Saturday, July 2nd, Delaware Oaks and Woodbine Stakes Day, Prairie Meadows with contest on Saturday. Then Sunday, you've got Gulfstream, Laurel, Lone Star, and Monmouth. Monday, July the 4th, 
Indiana Grand, Assiniboia Downs, and Monmouth. Just a week away from the 4th of July. Stable Duel. Get your entries in and play race win. We will be live again this week, Friday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time for this weekend in Stable Duel. We give out best bets and we preview the big weekend contest. Barry Spears, Matt DeSantis, and myself. Let's dive into Tuesday, Louisiana Downs Racing. June the 28th, race number one. Five and a half furlongs on the dirt course. I like the one Bayesian Cash. The last 11 starts have been above the $5,000 level. He got bumped at the start. He lost his footing early. Took about a furlong to finally get into a, a nice, comfortable stride. Made a big, wide move all the way up to second. Was in the four path. This is an eight-year-old old vet who loves to win races. A 12-time winner with uh, a couple wins here at Louisiana Downs. Has been in the money in eight of ten here and likes this trip. Bayesian Cash hopes they go quick so he can launch from way out of it. The three, D2, can sit, can flash speed. He's the horse to beat in here. The six horse, Tail of a Storm, can also sit off. He might be the quickest. I think from the outside, they'll probably try to send hard. But he'll have to turn the tables on D2, who outfinished him when they hooked up on May the 30th. The gray blur cuts back, uh, came back from the inside, was forwardly placed, and now will cut back. Wouldn't be a shock to see him run well in here either. Creative Letters gets back to dirt. Didn't seem all that comfortable early, but did... Get uh get into striking range late. So I think a lot of directions to go, but I I went one three six. In race number two, five thousand dollar non-winners of two claimers, six furlongs, the distance on the dirt. I'm gonna go to the six, seven, eight. The three silver chatain might be the quickest, but we'll probably have to deal with some other speed like the four, accustomed to it, who cuts back from going a little bit longer, but I, I don't I don't know if she's going to be as fast. That's why I'm a little cold on the four, accustomed to it. I like Cheyenne Glitters. She comes out of a race where she got bumped at the start. They lined up five across the track. She was five wide and in between horses. She took back and saved some ground, then angled out late for a good third. She can be close up. Lost to a horse named Saber Queen, who came right back and crushed on Saturday by nine lengths. Cheyenne Glitters on top for me. The seven, Angela Solarity, cuts back. Drops in class. Should get a little pace to run at. They scratched out of a spot last week for this one. And you've got the 8. I see money. Dropping back to the 5,000 level. Took a shot on turf against Tougher last time out. That May 31st race was a monster win for I see money. We move to the third race. This one kicks off the pick 5. Pick 5's the last two days have paid 5,000 and 2,500. No longer a jackpot wager. You can play for just a 15% takeout. The two, Mr. Dawn. If you toss the race in the slop, this horse should be close up early. Second start off the bench. You can kind of dig in. And these are the type of horses I really like. So eliminate the last two races on off racetracks. And what are you left with? A couple wins, a second, and a third in similar spots. Mr. Dawn fits well in here. The three, Coach Kenny, should be forwardly placed. One of the horses they'll all have to run down. The four, War Count. Gosh, he loomed up ominously. Like he was going to blow right on by, and he just could not get by the top two. Pickens won the speed battle and then kicked on. That was his first start since March. He was outfinished by Cryptozonic, who's a little bit more of a grinder. He, he saved all the ground, and he came on late. He could get a little pace to run out in here. I went 2-3-4-1 as we move along to race number four. This one kicks off the pick four. 
Optional 16 on 2, mile 70 yards on the main. I like the one Beauregard. Well, so let's look at her last two races. On May 17th, she was in a small field. She had to back out of a tight spot, then got floated wide. The winner was three lengths ahead in a small field, getting an easy trip, and he closed very well to finish second. Then on June the 4th, he tried a turf stakes race. Tossed the recent races on the turf against stakes company. You're left with some pretty good form. There's a muddy track, a, a muddy race you can put a line through on February the 25th. She's got He's got more speed than it seems based on his last two. He can sit second in here early on. The five, Tappage, had a tough start, a tough beginning. He got squeezed back to last in a race without any early pace. He really did close well to just miss and should benefit from a, a hot pace that could be set by the inside three in here. The number three, Adios Carlos, is really quick. He's going to stretch out from a sprint, and I think they're going to send him hard. He was right with the leaders last time out, but he had to back out of a crowded, tight spot in traffic. He's fast. What can we say to knock Honoring Major and what he's been doing recently? His form transferred over nicely here to Louisiana Downs. one five three two in exotics. As I move to race number five, we talk about $7,500 restricted claimers going 7.5 on the turf. Lulu Maru should be close up early. She's in very nice form. This race is written for horses who have not won four or which have not won a race on the turf in 2022. Well, she hasn't raced on the turf in 2022, but her three turf races are all really good. A win, a second, and a third. Two of her three races have been on the dirt. and She's won back-to-back. Well, all three of her races have been on the main. One of them is on the slop. She fits very nicely based on the conditions of this race. The number seven, Half Glamorous, takes a pretty big drop in class here. Her only two turf races have one win and one race against a lot tougher. She can sit just off. She can pass horses if she has to. The number nine will also be in the mix for me. That's going to a go-go. Third of the form cycle. One of a few true closers in here. Needs a little pace help, but there may be versions of this race where they're going very quick early on. Wasn't really sure what to do with Ginny B. Probably use the eight caged bear and some exotics too, taking the blinkers off. We move to race number six. This starts the late daily double. Made in special weights, Louisiana bred, fillies and mares. Six furlongs the distance. I'm going to look to the number 11 in here, Mo Bling. She's a three-year-old daughter of Mo Tom out of the dam, too much to bear. Her dam won the debut, going six furlongs on the dirt. She was a five-time winner. She was stakes placed. You have a steady tab of works right here locally at Louisiana Downs for trainer Alfonso Balderas. This barn is two for their last five with first-time starters. And the wins were 13-1 to and 31-1 to at fairgrounds. This dam, too much to bear, has produced 11 siblings, 11 foals to race, 10 of them winners. All 10 of those are multiple winners. Two of them won the debut. I like her a lot in this spot. The number seven, Malformed, sat nicely, moved to the lead, but couldn't outfinish the more experienced runner, ours and theirs. She's the horse to beat. The two, cute De Niro queen, didn't have a great beginning, was bumped on both sides, but did recover nicely up to second to press. I think she's got some upside. 11-7-2. We close things out with a very tough 12-5 claimer. Non-winners of two, going seven and a half on the turf course. I like the four in here, East Lex, who fits the conditions well. March the 15th, or May the, May the 15th, the... 
top three would be very short prices in here. That was a lot tougher of a race than this one is. And the form prior to that really fits well for East Lex. Probably needs a little a little pace help because she's more of a mid-pack to deeper closer. The seven will be in the mix for me all over. That's more ice who beautifully fits the conditions of this race. And this guy is in really nice form right now. The number two, gold included, can be close up at a price. The one, Candazar, can come running late, should save all the ground. I don't really have any knocks on the six or the eight either if you wanted to get a little deeper because they're both speed horses. You figure Banjo Bill and Tiger Beach will probably both be forwardly placed in here, but if one goes and the other doesn't, they could get brave. So that's a look at Tuesday over at Louisiana Downs. Don't forget, come follow me on Twitter. Look for the Two for Tuesday tweet and respond to that with your best bet in races four through seven. Give me a follow. Follow Louisiana Downs. One of you will be picked, and you get a $20. Actually, two of you will be picked, and each of you that get picked get $20 win wagers. So two chances to win every Monday, every Tuesday. Money Monday, two for Tuesday. Let's head on over to Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's the deep dive. It's the finale of Season 1. Matt Velasco joins us to get into everything scene by scene. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. It's time to talk Obi-Wan Kenobi with Matt Velasco. We finish up Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 6, the, I'll say, Season 1 finale. There have been some rumors out there of a, a possible Season 2, but we do uh, we do not know that for sure right now. One thing I do know for sure is that Matt Velasco is here to talk with me again to put a nice bow on this series, and we finish up Part 6. So right off the bat, Matt... Kind of give me some of your uh, your overall thoughts. You've had, you know, almost a, a week to kind of stew on uh, on what you watched. What are you thinking right now? Well, I, you know, I think my summary and take on this episode is my take for the whole series. Um, moments of genuine power, um, real a real understanding of the legacy characters that I think is really well considered and thoughtful all wrapped up in one of the flimsiest plots in Star Wars, which is, know. you know, saying saying a lot. I think that, you know, we could go through any number of moments in the prequels um, that, you know, really kind of stretch plausibility or there's just so many jarring plot mechanics in this show that, with distance, I haven't thought about them as much. And what's really kind of rising to the top are these amazing character moments. That, I agree. Um, and they and, crafted. So I think if we had recorded this Thursday of last week, right after the show, I'd probably have a more negative tone than I have now. So I that's agree. where I am right now. I agree. And I think in the rewatches that I've done, because I've probably seen it now three or four times and watching it back with Stephanie um, and she she's terrified of certain parts of it, which is great. That's what it wants to do. It 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 makes you feel the things you wanted to feel about these particular characters. I think you were saying it, the legacy characters, everything it did with with Obi Wan, with Vader, the stuff you know, with some of the flashbacks and bringing the Anakin side of Vader into this. I thought was was well done. I wanted more of it, but it was good. It was well done that it, that we didn't get too much of it, you know, because now you, you you kind of you yearn for a little bit more. The Leia stuff I thought was 
great. She was awesome. It was some of the, you know, it's kind of the new, the newer characters. And the thing that I kind of was kept coming back to was the Reva sort of arc just seemed a little bit weird and forced. I kept asking myself, like, why does Reva want to kill Luke? Yeah. yeah. Is it like she says, you know, she has a, a some lines where she says she she said, I didn't do it. I failed them. He killed them all and I couldn't do it. And and I thought about that for a, a while. And because it, it's right after Luke, she brings Luke back. But, you know, it, like it sounds like she's talking about Anakin and Vader. Because yeah. it does, it, it's that was my big my biggest problem with this. And like you said, I think the stuff I'm going to remember more is how awesome Ewan McGregor was. And Hayden did a great job at Vader and their interactions and a lot of the positive stuff. But it's hard not to ask a lot of questions. And you know, like you said, look at things that seemed a little bit just wonky. I've been thinking a lot about Reva's words at the end, her her final uh, conversation with Obi-Wan and I think that'll I, I'm gonna hold on to that until we get to the scene okay. although I'll say that the show is it makes a really interesting choice in in how it does not v- explicitly explain why Reva is on Tatooine mm-hmm. uh, it does not have Reva acknowledge that Luke is Anakin's son exactly we are led to believe I I think she has to know that or else it's even more confounding, but the show doesn't want to say it. And to me, that's a a cake and eat it too, that they want to, you know, place Luke in peril and have him be a central part of this character's journey and the resolution of the show. And yet they don't want to acknowledge that there is now a character other than Bail Organa, Yoda, and Obi-Wan who knows the fundamental truth of the Skywalker saga. Right? Yeah. The yeah. Enti- all nine episodes hinge on that truth that is revealed in Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And so is it because when they bring Reva back on her own television show or wherever, they don't want to resurrect this knowledge i it's almost like if we don't say it it sort of doesn't exist and it's left up to the audience um it's an odd i mean in some ways i think it's i don't ever fault star wars for leaving things to our imagination and for character motivation to be debated i mean for a long time that i mean what this show actually did was try to make clearer some of obi-wan's peculiar choices in a new hope to lie to Luke, right? Mm-hmm. And to not tell him the true nature of, of his father and so on. So I, you know, I think we could talk when we get to the scene about Reva's motivation. But just thinking in the macro sense of the show was so sparse in doling out insight into Reva that it ultimately suffered for it. I think if we had learned her true motivations in episode two or three, uh, maybe there would have been more time to understand how in her mind, right, killing Jedi, uh, you know, doing Anakin's, doing Vader's bidding somehow is also to get back at Anakin, right? Um, So there's a lot of not only the decision to kill Luke, but just her decision to hunt Jedi 
is something that is fascinating, seemingly illogical. I think there is a there's something deeper there that we could tease out, but the show needed to give us a little more. I agree. When it came to her attempt to assassinate a defenseless defenseless child. Yeah. Yeah. The scenes that will really forever stand out to me and, and we'll get into our deep dive in uh, in just a minute but I thought this was at least worth mentioning a little bit at the very beginning because the Obi-Wan Vader one-on-one standoff we don't ever really find out what the name of this planet is right <laughs> I don't it's just like an unnamed rock planet with a bunch of like Stonehenge sort of rocks yeah I, I don't think it's ever been referenced there was a planet named Tessin that was referenced earlier that they said the refugees may by head Roken. to. Yeah. yeah, by Roken, but I don't I don't know if that's this, but they purposely don't mention it or tell us. So it I guess it's not really of that much importance at the moment. But we have the the you know, the battle between mm-hmm. Obi-Wan and Vader. And what's different about this battle versus the one that we saw in part three, and probably the one that we see in a new hope, is this sort of feels like these two at probably like as close to their peak strength as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, when they fought in Mustafar, uh, Anakin was still not quite as powerful as he is now. And Obi Wan, we've seen throughout the six parts of this series, him like relearning how to use the Force, like it would be to ride a bike again. Mm-hmm. You know, just figuring it all out again. And they have this back and forth that is. I'm, I'm people have sort of critiqued how it was shot this and that but there are some some moments from this when Obi-Wan inevitably eventually slices through the mask and we get the shot of this two-faced part man part machine half Anakin half Vader with the voice of Anakin and the voice of Vader Back and Mm -hmm. forth like distorted Between Hayden And James Earl Jones And like that is a scene That will is Like so incredible And Mm -hmm. I it I guess It terrified Stephanie When she was watching it and when I watched it back she like Wouldn't just like didn't want to hear the voices Again because it like it's haunting It was I thought that In particular Was Incredible and there were lots of Moments like that throughout this series That I really will remember In a very positive way I think it's I think my highest praise of the series Is it nailed The Obi-Wan and Anakin Relationship and how It was adding texture To it and and deepening You know Drawing out the tension That existed between them in, In the prequels and linking it to their interactions in the original trilogy is really an accomplishment of the show and shows so much consideration on the part of the you know multiple screenwriters and storytellers involved. And on on you know, I again maybe last Thursday I, I would have said, oh, why couldn't this be? Why couldn't we have ar- arrived at these moments in a richer, more tightly woven plot? Um, but at the, at the end of the day, I, I, you know, I was deeply moved by this scene and, you know, on one hand, it's a testament to the show. And then there's another side of me that's like, 
Man, this show really relies, though, on our pre-existing relationship with these characters. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, I guess a lot of Star Wars or a lot of, you know, these universe story, like multi-part Marvel-esque stories do rely on, you know, your pre-existing knowledge and relationship. So can, you know, what is the experience of watching Infinity War and Endgame if you haven't been on the journey, right, with with the Avengers? Similarly, and I don't know who the test audience for this would be, what would your experience be like? What would one's experience be like watching this show without having been pre-invested in Anakin and Obi-Wan? It's a great question. And I, because I think a lot of what I get from this scene and that I'll talk about when we we get to the scene and line by line is really in relationship with the like the larger arc of Anakin and Obi-Wan that precedes this series and, and follows this series. And some of the, I think most insightful or powerful or thought provoking things about their interaction are only evident if you think about what comes before or what comes after, because the show actually doesn't, in my mind, fully explain to us why Obi-Wan walks away from Anakin. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I want to talk, I have, I've literally been thinking about this for hours. Uh, on every time I've walked the dog this week, I've been thinking, why does Obi-Wan walk away? And we'll, I, let's circle back to it because I'll Absolutely. literally go off on a yep. tangent for 20 minutes. Yep. And I think, I think there's a reason he walks away, but the show, but the show isn't completely upfront with what it's doing with him. It's a little more in a show that, that really ties eight tries to tie together loose ends at the end. Certain choices that they made in the Anakin Obi Wan scene are understated and and challenging. And maybe maybe I'm giving the show too much credit, but we'll we'll get to it. And uh, one more thing, and then we'll uh, we'll get into our little scene by scene deep dive. We can cash our tickets on the uh, the Qui Gon bets, right? We got the Qui Gon. Yeah. <laughs> We, we knew we knew it was coming. It's not like it was a big long shot for our bets, but hey, everybody's going to be a little bit richer if you if you bet that one early on. We uh, we knew we were going to get the Qui Gon. Just quick little moment at the end. What did you think about? Um, you know, it really wasn't a whole lot, but it was the the very last thing that we actually see is Obi Wan and Qui Gon walking off. I think I was reading or listening to another recap at some uh, point. They had said, yeah, this is a uh, this is why people see him, the uh, crazy old man talking to himself. You know, he's out talking to <laughs> Qui Gon, and no one else can see. He's, yeah. uh, he's got his buddy there, so they. Uh, that, that yeah, or I think Owen says something like that. Wizard's just a crazy old man, or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I liked it because it underscored what what for me is this the kind of central realization or epiphany that Obi Wan has that he can forgive himself of. Or, or, or that he can free himself from the guilt he feels around Anakin. And the idea that Qui-Gon was always there, but he couldn't see a world larger than his own despair, right? He, he had a very narrow, narrow purpose in life. Like, yes, he wanted to protect Luke, but he thought nothing of the other Jedi, Jedi much less the galaxy at large, right? He had a very, uh, you know, uh, kind of myopic worldview. And Qui-Gon was always there. And now that he had, he's, his eyes have been opened, you know, literally, 
he can see Qui-Gon. And I thought it, it underscored that key idea. It is interesting to me, again, and this is why, how does this show work without your pre-existing knowledge? I mean, the previously on highlighted Qui-Gon quite a bit. They highlighted the line from Yoda, in your solitude on Tatooine, training for you I have, I'm paraphrasing there. Um, and Qui-Gon, I mean, he's he's barely, it's a cameo. Um, and if you don't remember this character, are you thinking, who's that guy? <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving casual fans enough credit. Um, but I, I, I think I would have preferred a show overall that was a little more, a little less action, a little more conversation to kind yeah. of twist that Elvis yeah. Presley song. There like, we go. There and, we go. And in this version of a little more conversation, um, there would have been a little more Obi-Wan Qui-Gon back and forth. In a way, I think the the show sidesteps the real interesting questions that Qui-Gon's inclusion should raise. Like, mm -hmm. what does he think about Anakin? Yeah, we, and, we talked about this right off the bat. How do they right. feel about each other? But it was sort of swept under the rug. They just, it was like, oh, we don't have to talk about the whole uh, elephant in the room, Anakin, Darth Vader, you know. The yeah. guy who's like slaughtering people out there and just like the most evil person on the planet or, you know, in the world right now. It's also, you know, I don't know, you know, how Lucasfilm is run by any means, but to bring in Qui-Gon substantially, you almost have to address the chosen one prophecy. Absolutely. Which is one of the, you know, it Star Wars, which is not extremely subtle in its dialogue or, you know, whatever. The, what the Chosen One prophecy is, is actually something you could debate. Like, people can debate, is Anakin the Chosen One? Is Luke the Chosen One? Like, um, is the Chosen, was that a meaningless prophecy? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, there's actually, and the reason you can debate it is because Lucas, Lucas never fully resolved it. I think he has a take, but I don't think the films fully resolve it. And then the sequel trilogy was totally uninterested in that question. So, you know, to bring in Qui-Gon substantially means to actually, you would have to engage a address a something. part of canon that's sacred. Yeah, they've and, never really tackled. Yeah. Um, I would, I mean, okay, here, you know, I know you do a lot of, you, you know, kind of insider uh, kind of betting. Here. I mean, I'll give you my money, Gino. You find me the right place to, to, to bet Obviously, don't bet. I don't know all the terms. Okay? <laughs> My point is, I I would bet a thousand dollars there will be a second season. I right? do too. Yeah. I mean, there's no like you know, fool me once. How many times have I thought Star Wars was actually going to stop, like or be over? Like and Star Wars ended in 2005, right? No. Mm -hmm. like, and um, just and so. just it's funny while you're on, while you're on that because I was going to like save this at for the very very end, but you just sort of hit on that. R right now we've got. In just live action, a little two-month break. Life's going to change for you quite a bit in the next two months, maybe, yeah. before we talk again. August 31st is when uh, Andor will start. Then we've got Ahsoka. We've got The Mandalorian Season 3. We've got Skeleton Crew, which was just sort of announced recently, starring Jude Law. Kind of sounds interesting with the uh, Spider-Man Homecoming screenwriter. coming of um, Galactic version of classic coming-of-age adventure films of the 80s. Then we've got Rangers of the New Republic, Lando, the Acolyte, and a droid story. Um, all stuff 
in the works. Not to mention that's all shows and that's all Disney Plus stuff. Not even talking about another trilogy that's set that's ready to rock. There's going to be a Kevin Feige movie. I think there's a couple different directors that have already have been assigned to movies. So yeah, we've got a lot in the works here, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I think that you know all like this my my very strong feeling there will be a season two. We could talk about the direction of Lucasfilm maybe at the end of the pod, but the oh, the Qui-Gon stuff almost felt like a gesture toward what season two could involve. Yep. Um, we could theorize what season two... I mean, my only plea is leave Vader, Obi-Wan alone. Like... Yep. We don't need they, to revisit Vader anymore. They're... Because they're, they're, we were... Now we're, what, nine years away from A New Hope? We shouldn't really have them interact again before that. Yeah, I mean, Vader says, like, when Obi-Wan boards a Death Star, it's like, it's a presence, a presence I have not felt since. It can't be, like, a presence I have not felt since three years ago. Yeah, right. Like last week. No, it's got to (laughs) be. Yeah. This this time period is fine, right? It didn't have to be ten years before this. But this this nine-year period is fine. This was, like, that ending is so memorable too with some of the stuff we described and we're going to get into it. It, It's, I don't know how you would, why you would even want to try to do, to do it again. That seemed great. A great way for just like a visual and just a memorable moment. We'll get there. We'll get to everything scene by scene as we kick off the deep dive. And we had the previously on in the Obi-Wan title screen. We open in Tatooine with Griff. The angry foreman from the meat packing plant that Obi-Wan was working at in the first uh, couple parts. He's bullying people and he's stealing their water. So remember, we were uh, introduced and we learned a lot in Book of Boba Fett how scarce water is around here and how valuable water is. How And so he's stealing water, bullying people. And here comes Reva. She's wearing a hood and she's definitely injured, noticeably like limping around and having a tough time getting around. She gets into it with Griff. She knocks the water out of his hands and she asks the water vendor about a farmer named Owen. So Reva on Tatooine, Griff here. And this is the, you know, the thing that I'll just continue to ask throughout. Reva has this conversation with Obi-Wan in part five. They, Tell us that Reva has all along been playing a long game to try to find a way to to kill Vader. She gets her one-on-one with him. She can't kill him. He leaves her. He easily dispatches her. He leaves her laying. She's able to manage to get out of it. And instead of going to try to fight Vader to go to try to get, I, I don't know, what Obi-Wan, she goes after this boy who... They don't even tell us if we know that Reva is sure this is Anakin's son. We don't know why. And I just, I kept asking myself this question when we would flash back to these, from these incredible scenes with Obi-Wan and Vader to then this part of the show where I'm like, I can't really make a lot of sense of it. And that Mm -hmm. was what was kind of jarring. Like you said, it's like, it's high highs and like immediately kind of clipped with like, Okay, now I'm trying to start to do the math here too with Luke. Did he see her? Did he know any time there was a person chasing him? Because they tried to make it seem like he never really saw yeah. a person with a lightsaber chasing him. So Reva's here. What do you think about her showing up on uh, on Tatooine and uh, 
asking about Owen right off the bat. Yeah, I hate I hate to be that I I forgive. I think I'm pretty forgiving of, of plot mechanics from time to time if I'm emotionally invested. I, I hate to bring up the fact that the very first thing I thought was, how did she get there so fast? Right. I mean, again, it's never quite clear. You know, a show, the editing of a show is not necessarily truthful to how time is passing in like synchronously or not. Right. So she could be arriving at Tatooine when like Obi-Wan is arriving on this nameless planet, right? I mean, it's not necessarily that she arrives at Tatooine first before Obi-Wan decides to confront Vader because that's, you know, editing is for suspense and everything. But nonetheless, you know, it can't be more unless it's, I mean, in a way it has to be pretty quickly after her injury. And how did she get there? I mean, the show essentially, the the show's explanation is revenge does wonders on the will to live. But I still couldn't help but think, I mean, and does the show need to spin its wheel showing us, you know, how she gets off Jabim? Maybe that's not very interesting TV. But this was my first thought, right? It's I like, know. how did she get there so fast? Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, my second thought, right, now to the other, the bigger issue is I can sort of imagine how she can... I think there's two parts to her motivation, right? One is how she could see killing a child, like in a narrow sense, like how she could bring herself to kill a defenseless child. Then kind of layered on that, and what is more, maybe a little more accessible to me is how she could imagine that she knows she cannot defeat Vader. Vader schooled her, right? She she could go after Vader. Good point. Could she find him? Even if she did, she wouldn't last. A Especially moment, now right? in this condition, she's Weakened. completely weak and she was stabbed, you know. Yeah. But if she has no will or purpose to live and she is able to kill Luke, if she again, assuming she knows it's it's his son, which I think we have to assume. And then she finds Vader and says, you didn't kill me, but I killed your son. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know you had a son, right? She like. So that that, and then that kills I like, her. I mean, there's I no like doubt that. she does. Yes, if if that's if that's and you're right. If we could have gotten there just a little bit, you, they don't have to tell us everything in exposition, but just a, like just nudge us there a little bit more because that right there does make me feel a little bit better of it. Right? Like I can understand that and I can come to terms with that when you talk it out that way. I just wish we would have gotten a small sense more of it. Because that does that does seem to make sense. She here at this point has really lost her will. She's been defeated and she's wounded. Doesn't know if she's even going to make it. She just wants one last thing that she can possibly do and uh, take out the kid of, yeah. of Vader, of Anakin. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess I could see it as just like a total, this fuck you to Vader. Absolutely. But, but then I can't, like, you know, because it seems like she equates... That that in order for justice to be served, because earlier in this show, she says, what do I want? Like someone that says, what do you want? Just she says justice, justice. Right? Yeah. Um, that she must do what Vader did. Right. She mm-hmm. must be strong enough and ruthless enough to carry out the same act that traumatized her. And again, I'm not a clinical like psychologist. I I, I would love to hear someone's take on the show who's like an 
expert and knowledgeable on like trauma and particularly people who are, you know, you'll, you'll hear people who are abused as children often Mm -hmm. become abusers. Right. And so I'm not saying there isn't a way to access or to try to understand her psychology more. I'm saying that I have neither have the expertise to do so, nor does the show give us any like kind of access point into that. And it's because it remains so like, I think you and most viewers, people I've talked to friends, like you're watching the show and you're trying to understand and you're, you're not emotionally invested in the show. You're just trying to solve a a puzzle. Exactly. No, you're Um, right. You're right. And, and that's one that yeah. and that overall is sort of I'm glad you hit that point too because it's something we didn't talk about at the beginning but that's something that's you a little bit different from this show and maybe maybe a little bit in Book of Boba but what was way different in Mandalorian because those are all new characters for the most part right at the very beginning especially uh, Grogu Dinjarin we don't have a bunch of history or we don't know what's going to happen to them like way down the line. So we're not necessarily playing the math game in our head. Like even yeah. in this series, I think a lot. With, even in some of the best parts, I think a lot of people were doing that with Leia and Obi Wan, or Vader and Obi Wan, or Obi Wan yeah. and Luke, or things that happened to Luke. Like, okay, could that make sense and add up? And does that feel still like it's still consistent with what is going on in A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back or yeah. later down the line? And so it is something that it's it's hard not to do. Mm-hmm. When you're watching this show, it in and the more you can kind of do it, I think the more you'll enjoy the show. Like the more you can try not to do that, or just do what you did. Like you actually made me feel a little bit better about like sort of your interpretation there of of everything. And so, nice job, Matt. Yeah. Make me feel a little <laughs> bit better about it right off the bat. So thank you. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying. I mean, I I guess Star Wars. You know, I I love the prequels, but. A lot of what we are doing, you know, on a week to week basis, you know, trying to understand character motivation is something I've done with the prequels for years. So I've really, you know, like I, I you've been, you've been a Padawan in training for, for many, many years when, and you were just waiting for the call. You were just waiting. Why does Padme love Anakin? Like the, the movie does not really show us that. No, no. I could go through a number of things like that. Um, Yeah. But I, I, I think the show walks, uh, you know, we could talk, I, the, every, this feeling we get of watching the show, like they, the maker, the creators are tiptoeing around canon and we're afraid they're going to slip. And it's a weird headspace yeah. to be in. It and is. so the first time I watched the Vader Obi-Wan scene, it was like, you know, and my head is firing off. Oh, like, uh, I'm just thinking about how Obi-Wan explains to Luke, like how he disassociated Anakin from Vader and how the good man that was your father ceased to be. And, and it's just always calling back and linking. And that's a weird way to watch a show. It's it just is. to constantly be thinking about references. Um, it's like reading, I guess I'm, so I'm an academic. And if you read an article that has a ton of footnotes and you keep going to the footnotes, you sometimes get to the end of a paragraph or a page and you're like, wait, what was this page actually about? Absolutely. Going on mm-hmm. these tangents. And that's what watching this show is like, that I'm constantly being taken to the footnote. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's often on my second viewing of the show that I really, I, I actually liked the Vader Obi-Wan scene immensely more the second time. Mm-hmm. Around. I was moved by it the first time, but I actually liked what they did the second time because I already knew how it fit in the canon and how it fit around all these other, you know, uh, uh, puzzle pieces. So, and, and that's why I think in, in talking about a, a season two, if we got a, a, a season where, it was more of Obi-Wan with maybe Qui-Gon and some other characters that don't that aren't Vader, not necessarily Luke and Leia, and maybe some more like adventures of Obi-Wan. We might have a little bit more fun with it, kind of like yeah. the Mandalorian, you know, in in that we're not gonna be playing that math game in our head as much. Yeah. I don't think we're gonna be worrying about him running into Vader if we if we know that he probably is not gonna run into a to Vader again. It seemed pretty definitive. With when we when we'll get there too with uh, with with what you know the Vader um, kind of cutting it off there like his uh, his his ma- master told him you got to cut that stuff man you got to cut that yeah. I think he cut he cut he cut his Obi one uh, his addiction so we'll we'll, we'll yeah. get there let's first get to Vader and the Inquisitors on the uh, ship they're chasing the refugees from the path and we see Roken and all the people on the ship with Obi one. Roken's letting him know that hyperdrive's almost ready. They have to move all the power to the rear shields. They're going to head for Tessin, and they're going to get Obi Wan and Leia out from there. Obi Wan can sort of sense that Roken's kind of he's doing what what you what a good captain would do. He's trying to kind of play it off a little bit better than it is that they're struggling here. That doesn't seem like they're going to really make it. And so when Obi Wan comes over and talks to him. Roken lets him know, yeah, the motivator's shot. Power couplings are bad. I'm working on it, but the shields aren't going to last forever. Need more time than we have. Yeah. I so it's like yeah, th- this scene. I mean, the Jabim stuff, and it, let's consider this an extension of the Jabim stuff. Yeah. Is yeah. Is is the weakest link in the entire show? Yeah. Um, I mean, almost more, almost more for me than than the Riva stuff because it's, it's, i it, i agree it's the not reva's it, thought provoking and it kind of in, it, it's challenging and doesn't totally work but it's a swing it's interesting sure the jabim stuff just feels phoned in I down know. to the dialogue um there's so much of it that they could have done and the little times where they start to get to like the the initial safe house with tala and when it was what part three yeah. When they get in there and then they we see the path, I thought, oh, this is really cool. Yeah, I think there's yeah. going to be a lot here, you know, and the some of the writings and carvings on the wall, which we'll get to, which end up having a big part in this episode. But they just like you said, phoned it in is perfect. That's exactly what it felt like with this. It's like, and maybe it's because they're going to revisit some of this in <laughs> future. But I, I mean, I don't know. I don't like. I, I don't like that. I thought. It just it made me care less about you know like just Roken in general and, and some so, of you know yeah there seems to be this like tendency in Star Wars of late where it's like okay so Rise of Skywalker doesn't really develop or the sequel trilogy doesn't really develop Palpatine's return all right we'll plug it in in the Mandalorian or yeah. in our future shows <laughs> you're right like, we'll fix it this later show doesn't really develop the path but yeah we'll develop it in the future or like. Oh, we just need another show now to explain X or Y or Z. And um, I just wish that, and I think we could talk about the state of Lucasfilm, like I said, that I just wish these shows to some degree 
they really, you know, before shooting the script, like had a complete story. I don't yeah. know because the show it, you can the you can series feel as it, a whole. Both this and the Book yeah. of Boba Fett have been shifted yeah. around from like movies to limited events to series. They've had some changes, some shifts, also pandemic stuff for some of them. And you can, unfortunately, you can tell in some parts. Yeah. Like you can you can tell, and yeah. that's you know we that's 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 a bummer because we the 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 high points and you know and and I think for the first couple of parts it did feel like it was you know going to be movie quality and then there were definite definite dips yeah. here and there. Um, so Obi Wan walks around. He sees that a lot of the people on their plane on their ship are are scared. A lot of them are not sure if they're going to make it. Leia is playing with a little boy named uh, Corrin, and that's the boy that Haja helped him and his mother helped sort of con stole from. But they're they're there, they're safe, and Leia's letting some of the kids play with Lola the droid. She says that it, it helps keep their minds off of it. Obi Wan says maybe I should borrow her too, which you know gives Leia a little bit of idea for uh, for later. So I just all of the interactions with these two I love. It just yeah. seems so real and genuine. Every time they talk, it just seems like, you know, they've been through a good amount together, and I I really enjoy it. I, you know, th- this I don't have as much of a problem with doing the math. I was doing it early on, but now I'm just like I love both of their performances so much mm-hmm. that I'm that I'm okay with it. And I watched back a New Hope recently. Me too. And she and she, I think it's fine. Yeah, like, I think it's too. fine. I, I don't have I, any problem with what with what happened and where again, if they don't see each other again, right? Or even even in what he sort of says at the end, nobody can know about it if we do because we could put us both in danger. Like that at least it was a little line in passing, but it's something on top of, you know, watching it back. I I'm I'm fine with all the the uh, the Obi-Wan and, and Leia stuff. Yeah. I I I like it. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I'm on one hand I I firmly believe that Lucasfilm should move on from the Skywalker saga, Skywalker saga. On the other hand, I thought this was a, you know, it was well executed, perfectly cast. Um, I don't know, you know, how much room do we have to explore the character of Leia? Um, I don't know moving forward, um, but I, you know, I'm not going to knock the show on something I genuinely like loved and was moving to me. And it makes me view their interactions differently in a new hope, but that's fine. I don't find yeah. it. It's not canon breaking for me. No, I agree. You view them. I think you view them differently, but yeah. there's nothing there. That's like, Oh, that doesn't make sense yeah. when you're watching it. And right. so I'm okay with it. And like you said, it, it feels sort of like she was one of the real hits of the show. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be shocked if they try to jump on it while this girl is still kind of young and in these yeah. next few years and get something that explores her again, like young Leia, you know, be in, in these next few years. Cause she, yeah, I thought she was just fantastic here as we go from young Leia to young Luke on Tatooine. Luke and Uncle Owen are, uh, ship, are uh, they're shopping for parts in town. And as they're looking for parts, the water vendor who had been interrogated by Reva. Walks in and, and tells Owen what happened. So you'd imagine that these two probably have a pretty good repertoire. Moisture farmer, guy who's you know water vendor. They probably work together. And so I think he probably just came to oh, warn warn point. someone that he he 
knows pretty well And I mean Owen There's no problem with him He's always He seemed like he's been Kind of one of the Quiet keep yourself type guys Didn't seem like he's someone That people would have a problem with So He gets the alert And He's got to head back Home And uh, and tell Baru But We cut back now To young Leia Who's now just been informed By Obi-Wan That he's going to be leaving I'm the one that Vader wants If he If I go He will follow I'm not letting you Leia responded As Obi-Wan has to continue to push And now some of the other People, the mother of of Corrin Actually says, what happened to all of us staying together They're scared and they know that Obi-Wan has protected them He was literally with his lightsaber Fight uh, You know, saving off uh, Shots on all of them When they were, you know, trying to escape before He's definitely their best chance Of survival but Obi-Wan lets him know Roken needs more time to fix the ship This will give him that time You've spent 10 years protecting the Jedi This is my chance to return the favor So what do you think about uh, A lot of this back and forth Is Obi-Wan alerts everyone And tells them hey I've got to go do this And in me doing this It will draw Vader off I know him He really is not going to come after all of you He sees me right now And so he's trying to Buy them all some time and, and get them to safety. Yeah, I think I think I I think the plan makes sense. It obviously works. Uh, I I found myself thinking after the show, why did you leave with them on Jabim? Right. I mean, I liked how they resolved the Jabim escape. Did they know the hyperdrive was shot? I, I just think like you know, in a way, like if Obi Wan wanted to protect these people, why didn't he just? Like block Vader <laughs> He could have intercept Vader Jabim I, I'm, I'm not like you know I, I'm trying to think like okay he chooses to Leave Jabim and now he's Realizing hey this was bad I need to Draw Vader away But he didn't I mean I always thought As I first watched episode 5 That when he said all he'll see Is me is that he was planning To do a diversion like that But mm-hmm. instead he boards the craft Okay he needs to stay with Leia I think I get it, right? Sure. I'm just thinking out loud. Like there has been a bit of like, like his plot mechanics. That those like plot you said. mechanics of like yeah. you know we talked about it early on with like Leia's kidnapped, then she's rescued, then she's kidnapped again. It's like Obi Wan draws, like Obi Wan distracts Vader, and then he escapes, and now he needs to go distract Vader again. Like there's a certain bit of it almost feels like repetitive. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a, a little bit of redundancy, and I, you know. This the but no we need to stay together it's like I guess you know again I guess I could see why they would feel safer for him with him though I don't know this is like those those scenes almost again across the board don't really land for me it's almost like I'm reading a Wikipedia summary of you know character A says this Obi Wan counters with this there's just something that I don't feel. Part of it was also this the 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 sense of urgency was oddly constructed in this scene where the Star Destroyer is pursuing and then there's moments that, you know, people are frightened and then there's times the panic kind of quiets for these, you know, dialogue scenes and it just felt off. I mean, Roken first is like, no, we can't fix a hyperdrive. Then he's like, wait. We can fix the hyperdrive. They're they're just the plot mechanics. They're yeah. they're they're kind of throwing it at us 
really quickly, and I think the, there is a logic guiding the choices they make in these scenes, but they're more, you know, they have to be deduced rather than mm-hmm. felt. I don't know. Yeah, just it's a little convoluted at sometimes yeah. with some of this. And um, Roken tells him we're close. And Sonny, <laughs> Sonny chimes in. This was one of the pilots before. Um, they all think they need Obi-Wan. Says it'll buy you the time you need. You must get these people out of here. You are all the future. You are the future. You are what needs to survive. And Leia's upset. So she kind of runs off. Haja then intervenes. He says, hey, you know, I feel she just needs to be given space. <laughs> yeah. He's now developed this little repertoire with uh, with Leia. So Obi-Wan then asks Haja to promise that he will get her home. Haja says, you have my word. Although I know the word of a liar and a fake Jedi may not mean much to you, but Obi-Wan says it's good enough for him. So he uh, he asks Haja to help get Leia home. He is going to have, I think, one more interaction with Leia in uh, in just a moment. But Haja stepping in again. So he uh, he's someone who we weren't sure after part one, or I guess was it part one or part two? I guess part two. Part we're, two. Part two. We weren't sure if we were going to see him again after part two, but yeah, he's popped back up a few times and. He, it feels like with what is said by Roken in a minute when he interacts with Obi-Wan, it feels like we'll probably see them pop up again in one of these shows that I was just mentioning because Haja with Kumail and someone who I think they could revisit. He's always a, he's always funny and he livens up lots of scenes. He's a, he's a good character and him and Roken even started to have this like back and forth a little bit on Jabim we saw. So I could see them kind of being, you know. I don't know, part of a team that that helps out, and maybe Haja have been having been inspired by these interactions with Obi Wan. Yeah, I I wish I left this show more excited to see Roken, Tala, I agree. In, I agree, you know, or or Haja in a future Star Wars property, but I just I'm I not. Know. I don't I know. know, and it's nothing. Not a knock on on the actors. Um, they you know they did. The best with what they were given um they're they, just they were very much in service of the plot rather than fully fleshed characters in their own right i mean there are a couple moments i think haja in part two i had a more positive feeling i think tala does have uh tala probably was the i don't know i actually think probably reva was the strongest of the newest characters and and with all we've said about the flaws with i agree with you characterization uh, followed by Tala, Haja, then Roken, a distant fourth. I just think R- Roken was completely reduced to having to explain things. I mean, completely in service of the plot. Yeah. Um, and very, uh, being, we are told about his motivation. We get little sense of his relationship to these people who will follow him, right? Um, and that's not a lot. I just, I think it all comes down. I think where the show went down a notch for me is its decision to make most of part four a rescue episode and not a an episode where we actually get to learn more about this world. And, you know, uh, it, if it had been a rest, a recovery episode for Obi-Wan, or at least half of it, where he's being immersed in Jabim, I think you've pos- like, I think that was the real, like the, 
the crucial pivot point for me in the show. And they don't do that in part four and they can never make up for that lost opportunity. Yeah. I, I wish I agree with you. I wish we care just a little bit more about some of them. And this is not a spoiler at all for the show. If you've seen it or anyone that's listening has seen it right after this recap, deep dive, there's a a deep dive of Miss Marvel and we're getting to part we're in episode three of Miss Marvel so far and the complete opposite of what you just said about the characters you feel like and whether or not anyone likes the show or not but you feel like you know the main character Kamala her mom her dad her brother her brother's fiance her best friend Bruno her other best friend Nikia like you know all mm-hmm. of them they are not just there to get the plot across they all have their own stories their own stuff going on it it's not overwhelming like you see little things of them but one guy's you know trying to get into college the other one's dealing with you know her own stuff at the mosque and it's just it's every time i come out of one of watching one of those episodes i think wow they do such a great job with the with a lot of the supporting characters mm-hmm. and i felt really disappointed in how because all like I said, all these performances are fine. These actors and actresses are great. They didn't. There was no meat on the bone for them mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, I I felt much the same way in in Solo. You know, the the Han Solo movie mm-hmm. where you introduce a lot of characters and they're interesting, but none of you know. Uh, I remember Enfys Nest, who's this kind of marauder kind of precursor to a rebel. Like clearly, they were trying to introduce this new character that audiences would care about and it it's almost half-hearted they they put so much effort into uh capturing this the essence of vader the essence of obi-wan or han solo or leia and often they succeed in 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 conjuring the spirits of these characters we love and then they just don't they spend little time with with these new characters and um it makes me less optimistic about a season two because see, like there's going to be a season two. I just need to accept it. I, yep. I didn't want, didn't want an Obi-Wan series to begin with. Got it. Like, don't think there needs to be a season two. There will be one, but I'm less excited because what is, if Vader's off the table and I think he really should be, and maybe we're seeing, you know, Obi-Wan pulled into the path again, there's just less excitement to get back to that. Um, so yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. What are we? We're like what ten minutes into the episode. I know. I know. It's, it's <laughs> we well, can move on. Yeah, we we've got we've got a lot to discuss. That's okay. We we have many thoughts on this one. As they we're back at the Lars farm, and Owen tells Baru what he's just been informed that they they're coming after Luke, and uh, so they they get prepared. And how about Baru? What a badass here. You know, she's she's ready for war. She's got a couple big guns hidden. So I'm not leaving my home. Where are we going to go in the desert? At least here we have a chance. And Owen says we may need help. Says, no, I'm not putting anyone else in danger. We're enough. You and me. We both knew this day might come. Shall come when the sun when the suns go down. But we'll get positioned now. Boom. She's ready to rock. I love this. (laughs) Yeah, I think I, I, you know, I there's been. I not totally unfair a criticism about why doesn't Reva kill them? Like why is she, 
how do they even stand a chance against Reba? Um, but I just think it's a cool, like, I, I just think it's really cool to see this, these, you know, common folk doing the right thing and protecting their son. And it was, um, I don't know, it was, it was powerful. I, 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 I loved I, it. Yeah, I, I really liked it. And I yeah. was able to buy Reva, you know, with her injuries and the way that it exactly. was staged. Like, mm-hmm. I bought it. I L- little things. Cool he, with- You know, he, we saw him notice the bandage that she was wearing, right? So, and he, he, he has had a run-in with her before. So noticing yeah. that yeah. she may have had a bandage there and it wasn't there the last time. And he jabs her, you know, in, in, in yeah. a little bit, he's going to jab her there. So it, I was I was fine with, with this part. And I was even fine with how... Like doing the math, it did really seem they tried to go out of their way to make it feel like Luke never saw her. Yeah. Never saw a lightsaber and yeah. did think that, hey, how about this? I mean, our friends, the Tuscans, are just catching some strays here. You know, like mm-hmm. I thought we, we, we rehab the Tuscans. They're not, they don't need to get blamed every, for everything, which they, uh, yeah. They, they I mean, try to I do think here. clearly Owen is kind of, <laughs> he's probably, he's probably a little racist. I yeah. mean, I think Absolutely. Owen is, you know, we could talk more about his relationship with, with Obi-Wan at the end. Like, I don't think he leaves this series. I think he leaves. I think this series shows us why he's super skeptical of Obi-Wan. Like this, you know, one of these wizards showed up to his house, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's he's right to be concerned for Luke's safety and for Luke associating uh, with Obi-Wan. But mm-hmm. there's just some fundamental kind of goodness about Owen and Baru um, in these scenes. And it was unexpected. I, I, I don't know if I, I imagined the Riva I plot playing out differently, but I thought this was kind of a, uh, a nice way to explore characters that were really underserved in the prequel trilogy. I mean, calling them a cameo is probably a, almost an overstatement. I think, yeah. You know, Baru might have only one line in Attack of the Clones and, of course, shows up in one or two shots in Revenge of the Sith. But for all intents and purposes, Owen and Baru are not even characters in Attack of the Clones. And to get a sense of them as as people and as parents um, is a nice counterpoint, I think, also to, you know, Bale and Breha Organa and their relationship with Leia. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I thought they did a good job. With this, as we get back to Obi Wan saying his goodbyes, uh, Haja, um, sort of this is great. He was acting as if he talked to Leia, sort of like he, he like he had talked Leia down. And he sees Obi Wan. He says, "Uh, I talked to her. You're welcome." <laughs> and the only thing he says to Leia was, "Hey," <laughs> right before. And <laughs> yeah. So um, Obi Wan uh, approaches Leia, who says to him that. You said you would take me home. Obi's response, I wish I could do that, Leia. Really, I, w- I do. Please tell your father I tried. I have something for you. Rogan found it before we got out. She would have wanted you to have it. And he gives Leia tallest holster with all the carvings in it. And Leia likes it. She looks at it. She kind of takes her fingers and kind of rubs it over the uh, the markings. <laughs> and then she says, it's empty. <laughs> and he says, I wasn't going to give you a blaster, Leia. You're 10 years old. I really like that line. Me too. I, it was emo- like, you know, in in so much kind of despair. Like, yeah, it was it, <laughs> it was a great line. It I mean, was. 
it was, and Leia kind of smirks a little bit, and uh, Leia then goes in to hug Obi Wan, and she tells him, "Come back, please," and he says, "I promise," and almost with a tear, and then with a little bit of a smile. So, gosh, yeah, these are these are really good moments. They were genuine. The actors did a great job. I wanted to mention again from the beginning too, and I kind of I think I forgot, but I've said it a few times. Like Ewan was so fantastic from start to finish, and in this particular episode, in this particular part. It felt like he had a lot to do range wise And I think he he nailed a lot of it And He now has a Little moment where he reaches out for Qui-Gon One more time I have to face him master Whether he dies or I do This ends today Looks at his lightsaber Trying to connect with Qui-Gon But he still can't reach him As uh, Rogan Rogan walks in And they have a, a little interaction Roken lets him know the dropship's ready And he says you don't have to do this We can still fix the drive But it's not about us is it You want to do it It's about you and him And Obi-Wan asks him to keep them safe And he tells Roken There are not many leaders left People follow you Don't stop And it's funny Like the final line that he says I feel like just the way he says it And like he kind of And what it sort of alludes to in like like he kind of smiles and he sort of says it and it's like oh I, I found it like that was like the best line that he had of anything or it was like oh, yeah. it was like the, the you learn the most kind of just from the way he says it and kind of like a oh this guy's able to actually have a little bit of life to him and yeah. it, it was just a, a bummer as that's sort of our uh, our goodbye to Roken and uh, what'd you think of the the goodbye from Luke and Leia or from Luke and Leia from uh, Obi Wan and Leia and then from uh, Obi Wan and uh, and Roken. Um, yeah, I think this, you know, everything I've said about Roken, right, it, it's, it just kind of rings a little hollow, you know, it's like, why, we could still fix the drive, it's like, you've got the Star Destroyer on your tail, I, you know, it, it feels like he needs to say it to create some sense of conflict, right, but I don't, and why, would he really mean it? I don't know. Um, and again, you know, his point about this isn't really about us, I think is telling. I mean, Reva also says something to the effect, you know, when she tells Obi-Wan that uh, you don't really want him like, you know, do you really want him killed or you 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 don't really want him dead or whatever Reva said to him, you know, in, in, in part five. Like these moments where these other characters kind of reflect, hold a mirror up to Obi-Wan for him to examine his motivations but it comes so fast, right? I mean, I'm mm-hmm. very conscious. I don't know how to, right? I'm very conscious of an actor saying lines, which is not a great way to watch TV yes. or movies. Like, you're supposed to be immersed in a scene. To me, I still feel like, by and large, Roken works as an information dispenser. I know. It's show. like a droid. No, you're right. Again, it comes off like a... It comes off like very like not personable because we don't know. And again, like we said, he has this incredible story. We heard so little about it. His wife was taken from him. You know, like we could it would be nice to hear a little bit more of this or to have given him a little more. And hopefully, you know, we feel better about it when we see him again. But I just that's not going to change how they presented him initially here. And it could it could have been better. It really could have. As I would love to hear what Qui-Gon thinks about whether he dies or I do this sense today. I would love to know what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, 
anyway, for another time. <laughs> so Obi-Wan takes uh, a lone ship to draw off Vader. And in the Vader, sh- uh, Vader ship with the Inquisitors, they can see that one escape craft went off on its own. Vader knows that that's him. The Grand Inquisitor tries to disagree with Vader, says we must continue our pursuit of the insurgents. Now we can wipe out this network in its entirety. We can't prioritize one lone Jedi. Vader disagrees. He's not just any Jedi. Follow Kenobi, and they're off to uh, to follow Obi-Wan. We, uh, so just sort of a quick scene to let us know that, you know, Vader and, and them are, fo- Vader's going to be a uh, be following the the lone ship. So the plan the plan worked, Matt. What yeah. what he wanted to do, draw him off. He, as the master, does know his his Padawan, and he does still know that Anakin slash Vader is driven by pride, I guess yeah. more than anything. Right? Sort yeah. of um back at the Lars family farm at Tatooine, we see some of the final preparations from Owen and Baru. And Owen tells Luke, I need you to listen to me. The Tuscans are on the hunt again. They're raiding farms along the waste. So stay in here. And if anything goes wrong, you know what to do. You run. Luke puffs out his chest and says, I'm not afraid. And <laughs> that's his line in Empire. I'm not afraid. Yep. You will be. Yep. And Owen says, I know everything's going to be fine. And Baru helps young Luke. Uh, they hide him in a room. As they continue some of their preparations And so we get some kind of flashes Back and forth we, we're, we're there on Tatooine And we head back on the, the Empire ship with the Inquisitors And Vader instructs everyone To let him face Obi-Wan alone mm-hmm. So now he heads off On his ship And Obi-Wan arrives on this dark Planet And as Obi-Wan Gets ready to walk out of his ship We hear a beeping in his pocket and it's Lola yeah. And he looks down and he smiles Leia dropped it in his pocket It was, it was kind of a funny Play on a few different things just earlier In this in this part when He mentioned that or she Said that Lola you know Makes everybody kind of happier and takes their mind Off of it and he said oh maybe I Could borrow and it's also what Happened in the very beginning we saw her Kind of picking her mom's pocket you know she's got she's got sticky hands there. She dropped this yeah. thing right in Obi Wan's pocket. He didn't even know. So we've yeah. seen her sort of play this game before, and it made it yeah. it made him smile. It was good, and um, we really find out in the next little bit. I I, I loved a lot of how Obi Wan's needed a purpose, and mm-hmm. for for a while he didn't really think he had much of a purpose, even though. He was still being approached by other Jedi people asking for help. He thought he didn't have a purpose. And in this particular part and in, in part five, seeing him standing up for everyone, for, for Leia, the thoughts of Leia and, and Luke and saving them, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of beautiful. Just like seeing him with this, with this purpose and back into the Obi-Wan that, we, that we've seen in some of the animated stuff, that we've seen in some of the, the prequels, and an Obi-Wan that we... That we love, like he's he he's just a really lovable character. Yeah, I think so. To be a little kind of push back on that, because please I, do, I mean, I do please do. He's, you know, the the idea that he kind of finds his purpose in the twins again 
it's weird because the show he had it. I mean, he he begins. You're, no, you're right. He must be trained. Like, and we talked about maybe it's kind of he's going through the motions. Like he's holding on to Luke because it's the only thing that gives him purpose to be alive. But in a way, you know, the <laughs> Revenge of the Sith ends with, you know, we're, we're going to bide our time. We're going to watch over these kids, and he it almost he has to be watching over the kids because that's the way the show is boxed in. And yet the show is also making it where he is almost recommitting himself to, to protecting the kids into something larger. Yeah. But it is, you know, in terms of tracking his growth, you could be cynical and say he was committed to protecting the kids at the start. I mean, yes, he resisted leaving Tatooine to go save Leia, but, and he is at the end. And so I, you know, that again is just a, a consequence of, when you take a story that is complete, which in my mind, episodes one through six are, and then decide to delve into this, you know, interstitial area between episode three and episode four, you know, where episode three ends with he he's going to protect the twins. And, you know, episode four is when he pulls Luke into a larger world. This show has to create a situation to knock him off a few, you know, steps. He's got to be knocked down in a way that he wasn't knocked down in Revenge of the Sith, right? He doesn't end Revenge of the Sith with, my life is a failure, we failed, and then suddenly you see a new hope, and he's this different character. I mean, in my mind, he was a similar character in, in episode three, and this show had to find a way to nest a journey where before there was a pretty clear through line, in my opinion. And in some ways it was successful. And in other ways, it's it's just kind of an exercise where I guess we could always, <laughs> you know, I guess we could do five years before A New Hope and uh, explain what happens in between, you know, in how Obi-Wan is growing and changing. But the story feels complete now. It also mm -hmm. felt complete in 2005. You're right. So the fact that it feels complete now doesn't mean they won't reopen. <laughs> they won't bring a great the point. Skywalker saga back on the operating table and open it up again. You're see right. what parts are left, you know? It's a great um, point. That's my cynical take. Um, but but I do think, I mean, uh, there is something more I have to say about the kids and his relationship to Anakin when we get to that stuff. So that that's my cynical take. I'll give you my positive uh, affirming take in probably 20 minutes So We see Reva wounded Approaching the, Lar the Lars family homestead And Owen and Beru know that She's there so they prepare for battle And we're getting A, a battle between Vader And Obi-Wan as Vader's ship Arrives for the encounter It's dark, it's foggy Huge rock formations all over Vader walks over to Obi-Wan They again stand face to face have you come to destroy me, Obi-Wan? I will do what I must, is the familiar response from Obi-Wan. He is ready. He gets in stance, lightsaber over his head. This is the Obi-Wan connected with the Force, confident, back use, using the Force. He has a purpose, and Vader activates his lightsaber, tells Obi-Wan that he will die. And he... Lunges at Obi-Wan And the battle begins It's very dark with the blue and red sabers Providing much of the lighting And uh, we get a good back and forth To start And yeah. then we cut So what did you think of the first little 
approach and the uh, the start of the battle between these two. I heard a lot of critiques about not knowing the planet or the fact that it was a little too dark. Did that bother you at all? Did you like it? I is this the the Game of Thrones <laughs> right? That yeah, whole classic. Like it's too dark. Yeah. To which the answer is you need a 4K TV. I guess I don't know. Like it was perfectly fine on my screen. Not I had no issue brag. with it either. Um, yeah. I like. I I think the cinematography, even the shaky cam. I'm I'm kind of a purist when it comes to the style of the saga films that I do feel. It's jarring to me when J.J. Abrams does certain camera moves that are quite unlike camera work in other Star Wars films. But with, and I mean, Ryan Johnson also did like slow-mo and in the, the duel between Luke and Kylo Ren, which was very much outside of the the very kind of more conservative cinematic language that Lucas uses. But for this, this, this battle, I'm you know, do something different. I'm all about the TV shows doing something different. And um, as far as the kind of drama of this confrontation, what I really want to emphasize, because it'll be important when we get to in a couple more scenes, is that Obi-Wan says on to Qui-Gon, right? Either he dies or I dies, or this ends today. And he tells Darth Vader, you know, he asks, have you come to destroy me? I will do what I must. So I think it's very important to emphasize that he is ready or at least telling himself that he will kill Vader just as if, just like he was charged with killing Vader by Yoda in episode three, right? He goes to Mustafar to kill Vader. And now he goes to this unnamed planet, right? To draw Vader away and to kill him. And I think that's really important for then what ultimate what ultimately transpires in this duel. So we will cut back and forth a few times between what's going on at the Lars family and the the battle between Vader and Obi-Wan. As Reva enters the Lars home and the lightsaber is activated, she kind of stalks around. But Baru and Owen are ready with their guns and they fire at her. Back to Obi-Wan and Vader Darth slightly impressed with Obi-Wan Stronger than when they last met In part 3 Your strength has returned But the weakness still remains They're right in the middle of these big Sort of Stonehenge looking like Rock formations Obi-Wan with with the advantage At this point using the force to Toss rock He tries to toss a rock onto Vader Vader stops the big rock and tosses his own right back at Obi-Wan Who's able to fight them off With the lightsaber And Vader creates a big crack In the ground And the floor falls out Beneath Obi-Wan Vader then covers Obi-Wan in an avalanche of rocks And he stands over A buried Obi-Wan I'm sorry, so no, 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 he has the high ground The high ground, there we go I think right? There we go I have the high ground, but we didn't get it. We we knew Thank that God they, he didn't say it. Like it's one of those moments where I'm really like, cringy. I we, like we were all reference. thinking it, and we didn't need it. Yeah, we didn't need it. I'm glad they did. They I'm leaned into it. some, and there were a lot. Some of the lines that I don't have a problem with that are fun, that are cute when they do. This one would have been cringy. It would have been like no. And it says, "Did you truly think that you could defeat me? You have failed, Master." He. Turns off the lightsaber 
Vader walks away. He thinks he's finished the job. He thinks he's buried Obi-Wan here. So uh, another little part of uh, of their battle here went back and forth. And this one, Obi-Wan started with the advantage, but quickly Vader showed that uh, he still has plenty of strength when he made the ground beneath Obi-Wan fall. I also, I don't know, I think in retrospect, it doesn't make much sense that I thought this, but I also thought, is this it? This was it? No, me too. And I was, to be honest, a little disappointed, but also like, well, I kind of assumed it had to end with something that separates them, which is why the fact that it ends with them like parting ways was very surprising. But I, you know, of course, we now know more more comes. But I thought, is he going to think that he buried him? And uh, that was my, you know, again, how I'm always running the numbers Mm -hmm. watching the show. It's like, okay, so we left him here. And then in A New Hope, he says, when I left you, okay, I left you as but a learner. But then so maybe he's surprised in A New Hope that Obi-Wan's even alive. And, you know, that's how my mind and I think the minds of many Star Wars fans are working. Like I kind of jumping to conclusions. Of course, it wasn't over at that point, but. We do have more of these two, but we check back in at the Lars home. Reva and Owen now come face to face. She's noticeably in pain. She's bandaged in the midsection. She's able to knock Owen down, but he does not give in. He does not surrender. She even sort of asks, you really love the boy like he's your own. And Owen says he is my own. He uses a big poking device. I believe they said this was the same device from A New Hope. That or not the same, but it looked like the same thing they used to stop the compact. Con- oh, okay. Yeah, to, it looks to, familiar. And yeah, then that I, was in Mando, right? Exactly. They've used this same thing a few times. They have fun with this prop using it all over. It's not like I don't think it's how does Mando get it? I, I can't even recall, but I, I I saw this on another uh on on a I think it was the ringer was talking about it. So shout out to uh to them. And um so maybe it's the same one. It may, I know, maybe in Mando. In Mando. We should have, we'll have a whole series about of, this on prop. how this this prop because and the the life of this prop, where yeah. it's been all over, and who it's interacted with. That's going to be the next series. This this <laughs> poking device as uh, Reva is able to knock Owen down off the platform. He he pokes her first though, right in the wound, and that really angers her. She knocks him down, and Owen tries to warn Baru. Reva enters a room, and she gets cold-cocked by Baru right when she walks in. Just a smack right to the face, which I thought was great. As Luke climbs out and runs off into the desert. So we don't ever see him see Reva. Right. They, because that's, that's one thing I was really, really watching for. Because I wanted to make sure, like... This is supposed to be a sheltered boy who has not had interactions like this. He's probably he's not supposed to have been in, involved with lightsabers and things like this when new, a new hope comes in. So I think they did as good of a job to make it seem like maybe he did just think it was Tuscan Raiders that were that were coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think again, this is you know it. This is actually a pretty well staged fight in in a series that has had some awkward blocking um they're very careful i mean i say on one hand they're tiptoeing around canon another you know another way to say it is they're respectful of the existing uh stories and they're very careful and cautious um but 
maybe just tell a story where you don't have to worry about whether Luke sees the glow of a lightsaber, because that's what's at stake. I mean, Obi-Wan, <laughs> there's a scene in A New Hope where he explains what the Force is, and he explains what a lightsaber is. So therefore, he couldn't have really known what it was before, or that might come across as, as awkward. And it's a lot of work. I mean, <laughs> it's just a lot of work to make sure you've got these shots lined up perfectly so that Luke's, Luke's, you know, half of his body's already like mm -hmm. up the ladder before Reva comes in. And it's just an, a weird storytelling space. A choice. To be in. It's a weird choice, too. Yeah. 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 I, um, you know, in retrospect, I think the whole series as a whole, it really makes sense we came back to Luke and Owen because they were in episode one. I mean, I think in, in an abstractly, maybe I would have preferred don't touch Luke, like this is focused on Leia, but it actually makes sense given what we learned about mm -hmm. I agree. in episode one. And I think they did it in a way where Luke is essentially a cameo um, and it's it's fine. You know, are we going to see more Luke in season two? I don't know. But um, overall, I think that the choice to to have this, you know, kind of self-defense kind of the, the the defense of the homestead scene is actually more interesting than Obi-Wan showing up to save the day, which is kind of where I thought it was going. We go back to Obi-Wan buried under the rocks, struggling to try to use the force to free himself and hearing the voices of Anakin and Darth Vader in his head. This is the end for you, my master. Admit you are beaten. You cannot run, Obi-Wan. I see through the lies of Jedi. So he's hearing, you know, cutting back and forth between these voices, which is sort of a little bit of a nod to what's going to happen in a moment. And he's hearing things that Anakin and Vader have said to him. So these are like visions that probably haunt him. Mm -hmm. And he's, it's almost like he's, you know, overtaken by this and he has to close his eyes for a moment. And when he does, it's like, we remember the quote that he read that he saw on the wall. Only when the eyes are closed can you truly see. Mm -hmm. And that's what ends up happening here. When he closes his eyes, he's able to see Leia and Luke and his mm -hmm. purpose and the light. It's, you know, this is very, this is Peter Pan. These are his happy thoughts yeah. right here. And Yeah, I mean, it's the crucial, you know, he's shutting all the voices that have haunted him, right? And the guilt over Anakin, you know, by the end of this series, he's he shuts, he puts that away and focuses on the future. Um, you, I, I had this thought this morning. Again, I told you I've been thinking about this scene every time I walk the dog this week. Um, and it would have been interesting, and I'm sure we can come up with reasons why they didn't do it, if they had intercut in this montage of young Luke and Leia, Luke and Leia from the original trilogy, because the force, like Yoda explains, you can see the future, the future right? you can yeah. have glimpses. Knowing that he like, had to like save them to, yeah, right. like what, what their future would be. Just a and little, not, I. Yeah, just a glimpse of the future. And like, to remind, like, because that is ultimately what he, you know, the, one of the messages of this, of this episode and maybe the whole series is the children are our future, which is, you know, yeah, true. Um, and so it's not just about them as 
children, but it's about this, the, I think he says the future, you know, it says something to Owen, like the few, what comes in the future will kind of resolve itself. Um, it would have been an interesting choice. I mean, this again, this is coming from the guy who's like, leave the Skywalker trilogy alone. I'm now saying, uh, sorry, the Skywalker saga alone, cut in shots of Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. <laughs> um, I mean, it worked. It, 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 and I, again, I was telling you before how like, oh, I have to bring so much to this series. Um, and now the show is actually not relying on things directly, images from the original trilogy. And I'm telling it to do that. But so that's a contradiction. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was, uh, it was a powerful moment. Um, yeah. And it, a crucial one in his journey. He tosses the rocks away and he heads after Vader, who he thinks he's already been done. He's done away with Obi-Wan, but he can sense Obi-Wan's presence. And we get this sort of supercharged Obi-Wan now where he busts his lightsaber out and he starts. He's using some fancy footwork. Yeah. He's using Anakin's spin moves here. Yeah. He the does move, the, it, this is pretty this is really cool stuff. You know what? He I, does a behind the back like handoff to yeah. himself. Like he switches hands behind the back and then he just tosses Vader back like 50 feet using the force. He raises up rocks and boulders and just flings them all over Vader and approaches him and the two become locked in battle. With the lightsabers, this was badass Obi-Wan here. Yeah, I mean, it's so, you know, brutal. And it's not like, I do think there is something pretty aggressive about it. And it, you know, it's it goes back to the point. Like, he's there, or at least he says he's there to kill him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know. You, you get that sense Jedi here. He uses his, his powers for defense, never for attack. Again, I'm paraphrasing. He's definitely attacking there. 100%. This is not the defending Obi-Wan that we've seen in some of the, the uh, interactions before with Vader. He came here with the, the, the means, like you said, to end. One of them is going to walk, is not going to walk out of here. Is Reva now runs off from the Lars family homestead. She's following Luke. She's running after him. And Luke has climbed up onto a cliff. He's trying to avoid her. Just a, a quick little look into what's going on with them as we head back to Obi Wan, who he blasts Vader's control panel right in the middle, which keeps Vader alive. And he throw Obi Wan throws Vader back again using the Force, and then straight out straight Achilles right here with this running leap, and he just like flies at Vader. And he slices the helmet wide open right down the middle. Vader keels over. He's (gasps) grasping, gasping for air, can't breathe. And at this moment, we see half of Anakin's face under the helmet. The other half still is the Vader helmet. There's a red light from the lightsaber that's like illuminating his face. And we only see one of Anakin's eyes. This is terrifying. In a good way, it is. I just thought the visual of this. I rewound. I like played it back and paused it on the scene for like a couple different times. When like, every time I rewatched it, just to like look at it for a few seconds because it was 
so haunting. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's he's Obi-Wan's haunted and it's like he gets jolted out of this. The fight. We'll call it a revenge mission, but you're you're right. His 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 attitude shifts that it's Anakin there, right? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. almost like he was so swept up in uh in this moment in this duel, and it's this, you know, really powerful shift in the momentum. Um yeah, I mean everything I, this totally works for me. It's totally resonant with what comes before and what comes after. Um and just to see the release that Obi-Wan has right right now when he apologizes, it's such a so simple dialogue, right? Uh I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry, Anakin, for all of it. And it just but says everything feel, that needs to be yeah, said. Yeah, you feel it. That's all that needed to be said. Yeah. And and when Anakin goes to speak, the voice that we hear is distorted. It's half Anakin, half Vader. So it's it's slipping in and out of Hayden Christensen and James Earl Jones back and forth, half man, half machine. And the initial line from Vader says, Anakin is gone. I am what remains. Mm-hmm. You get a little like Bane almost here because it goes kind of in and out of the voice. But I, and like I said, this scared the hell out of Stephanie in like a creepy way. Every time I was playing it back, she was like, I, it was giving her the EBGBs for sure. So it, it did it, its part for someone who's not even like you or I, or uh, some of the, the very hardcore star, star Wars fans. And Obi-Wan's almost in tears when he says the lines that you just mentioned. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Anakin for all of it. But Vader is, <laughs> you know, barely able to breathe. Voice distorted says, I'm not your failure, Obi-Wan. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. Mm-hmm. The same way I will destroy you. Mm-hmm. I That line, I mean, so when I first, the first time I watched, there was a part of me where I was like, you didn't need to explain that. Like, you know, this whole thing that Obi-Wan tells Luke that, uh, you know, a pupil of mine... Darth Vader was a pupil of mine before he turned to evil. He betrayed and murdered your father. Mm-hmm. And then he explained to Luke why that was true from a certain point of view, etc. That was enough. Like, I got it. Right. And so part of me, when I first saw this scene, it was like, did we really need this? But the more I think about it, this line, I never would have thought that in Obi-Wan's journey in this show, the like, that he would be absolved of his sins by Vader, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what Vader's doing. He is. And he's doing it in a way that on one level is acknowledging his responsibility. It is also trying to, it's almost a weird humble brag for lack of a better term. Like it's, it is. it's it- trying to one up even in this line, which does absolve Obi-Wan of guilt in some way, he's also trying to one-up Obi-Wan, mm-hmm. which is that competitive Anakin we saw in mm-hmm. the flashback that we saw in the prequels. And you're like, and you're, you're not inside with, of my head kind yeah. of a thing, right? Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. And it's like, I can't beat you, Obi-Wan, but I can do what you couldn't. Like, I could kill Anakin. You can't. Um, and 
it's such a weird twisted logic that Anakin has. Um, but it felt, you know, the more I thought about it, it was kind of brilliant that that's how they would reframe this whole idea about, you know, it's not just a lie that Obi-Wan tells, you know, Luke, it is the truth from a certain point of view. And it is also what frees Obi-Wan from being so focused on his failure for Anakin is that Vader, and I would have never seen this coming in this very weird passive aggressive way takes responsibility he does he, he absolves obi-wan yeah he does he oh. he it, it and it is weird i've heard a different interpretation where people said maybe even in a weird way this was like anakin like you said he's one-upping him but you can look at it one way and say maybe maybe that little bit of anakin because you kind of hear anakin's voice kind of yeah. kind of also just letting him get letting him kind of taking it away from him like yeah. taking the pain off of him i don't i don't like i i take it the other I, way obviously i mean i that. think i i don't dislike that interpretation me, I, mean, me I do think it I, don't, I, I didn't I, yeah uh, it's interesting i mean you know on one hand he is telling us i killed anakin skywalker but we know at some you know at some level Anakin is not dead. There yeah. is something of Anakin that remains, but we also know and need to know that Obi-Wan does not think that. Mm -hmm. right? uh, and so for me as a prequel, like, you know, I never had a problem with Obi-Wan thinking Anakin is dead. I mean, he tells him in episode three, then you are lost. It wasn't ever something that needed to be explained for me. Right. And but insofar as they needed, insofar as they go about explaining it in this episode, I thought it was illuminating, not just an explanation. It actually, much in the same way that the, the when I left you, I was but a learner, now I am the master, has been reframed by this series. I think Obi-Wan's truth from a certain point of view is not just something he needs to tell himself. Right. But it did more. It does more than that. Right. It's more than a lie you tell yourself to move on. It also, in an interesting way, plays back into Vader and Anakin's character development, which took me by surprise. Like Vader is not a constant force. This is a very I told you in part three that, wow, they captured Vader in Empire Strikes Back. It's it's amazing how they they you know his movements, his voice. But watching A New Hope again this is a very different Vader from A New Hope. Mm -hmm. And they kind of snuck up on me that Vader also goes on a journey in this show and it's encapsulated in this line, right? This acceptance, this, right? At the same time, he still wants to destroy Obi-Wan. He's still stuck on his revenge. So in some ways he changes, in some ways he's the same. And Obi-Wan says, my friend is truly dead. Goodbye, Darth. <laughs> and... He walks off, and as Obi-Wan walks off, Anakin shouts, Obi-Wan. And then the last word that he, when he says Obi-Wan the final time, this scream was one that I, I played back a bunch too because you can really hear a lot of the Anakin come out in it. And you, you, you sense that younger Anakin, still yeah. that angsty teen kind of screaming for his master, Obi-Wan, and it's... That was like one of the one of the lines of when with the voice distorted that really, really stood yeah. with me. And I think leaving this series, when I think back about 
what is going to stand out for me if if we were to you know make a list of like the three to five things that we would remember most from this, it might be this scene right here. Mm-hmm. It's 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 going to be probably the last time these two met up. The visuals and what it made me feel. Yeah, I was definitely feeling for knowing that neither one of these two was going to die. Yeah, we know they're going to, but I didn't. I felt. This was one of those times where I wasn't doing the math as much as I was in some mm. of the others, especially yeah. watching it back after and just kind of being in the moment. So this is something that from from this first season of Obi-Wan, I, I agree with you. I think we will get a second if for some reason we didn't. This would be one of the things that I remember the most. Yeah, I yeah, I want to I want to sit with that. I there's this slight. Let me just bring in a little crack to all this. Um, and I still don't, so Obi-Wan not killing Vader is very powerful choice in this series, Mm -hmm. but he wants Luke to kill Vader in, he, he says almost as much in Return of the Jedi. When Luke says, I can't kill my own father, then Obi-Wan says, then the Emperor has already won. And so, you know, there's kind of this like, you know, not like there's this thing where like I think it works for Obi-Wan needing to let go of Anakin because Obi-Wan's able to walk away. Anakin is screaming, Obi-Wan, I will destroy you. Like Anakin can't let go until he gets scolded by by Palpatine. And it's a really kind of beautiful moment, a moment of mercy. I think it parallels what's going to happen with Reva. But at the same time, as an audience member who's seen Vader in this series, in just this series, you know, strangle a child and kill people like, like at a whim, you know, part, I think it's worth asking, should Obi-Wan have killed Vader? Like, it's kind of the, like, if you had a time machine, would you go back and kill baby Hitler? Like, yeah, absolutely. It's actually not like that in many ways. No, but <laughs> you, you, you can't, you ask the question for yeah. sure. You do. And I think that's cool. I'm cool with the show making me ask myself, should Obi-Wan have killed Vader? Like, I think the show is saying Obi-Wan can't. And I think the show is also saying Obi-Wan shouldn't. Mm -hmm. But then why does he think Luke will be able to? Or why does he want Luke to do it? Yeah. I haven't fully, like, you know figured that out i don't think it's a contradiction per se i think it's one thing where he can't do it but because he's too close but you know after all yoda and obi-wan are grooming luke not with the knowledge that this is his father no um so there is something about obi-wan that's complicated that i think the show doesn't fully that that might have been interesting if qui-gon had always been a character or at least for more than two minutes, or sorry, 30 seconds, where Obi-Wan's choice to not kill Anakin, he doesn't really reflect on that in this show, except in what he says to Reva, which sort of applies to the situation and sort of doesn't. So I'll leave you and and all the listeners of That's What She Said. Like, should Obi-Wan have killed Vader? Why doesn't he do it? Yeah. And Reva continues to look for Luke. Luke slips on some loose rocks and he ends up knocking himself out and as obi-wan gets in his ship he can sense the danger so he speeds over to tatooine and reva 
is approaching Luke, who's laying on the ground. He's unconscious. He's knocked himself out. She has the opportunity to kill him if she wants. She can't go through with it. She has flashes of Anakin and Vader, flashes of her younger self scared in the night of Order 66. And now the roles have been changed. Instead of her being the young one with Anakin coming after her and all the younglings, it's Reva now going after the young Luke. And she has her lightsaber raised, trying to kill the young, innocent, unsuspecting child, but she can't go through with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, what'd you what'd you think about? That's a contradiction right there, because you know there could be a in 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 storytelling where someone realizes they've become what they hate, right, or mm-hmm. or something like that. But in this show, she's both realizing she's become what she despises, but she also her whole plan was to do that, you know, like, so it's not like a re that was always the plan was to go kill this kid in the way that Anakin killed children. And so, yeah, I I can't fully, you know, it's hard to tie to bring it all back home and to make sense of it. I mean, it's powerful to see it intercut with her, her body and Luke's body um, it's really interesting that this entire, you know, the Obi-Wan's journey and, and you know, o- Obi-Wan's journey is to go kill Anakin, the father, and Reva's is to go kill the son, right, for their own purposes. So they're paralleling each other, but they're completely, like, from a plot perspective, independent one another, with one another, right? It all begins and ends with Reva. Right. Nothing Obi-Wan says influences her decision, which is what I would have imagined it playing out with like a dialogue between Obi-Wan and Reva and the show for, you know, because of the choices it made. This happens all it begins in Reva's head and it kind of ends in her head. Yeah. And so that's where the challenge is that there's never a scene that fully draws out her. Her motivation. I mean, there's yeah. something of catharsis here, right, in her dialogue with with Obi Wan that get, sheds a little bit of light. But like you were hitting but, at it early in our conversations when her reaction to when Vader killed the kid, when he when he broke the kid, snapped the kid's neck real quick, and yeah. she she seemed like that was too far for her. Yeah. Right. Like she wouldn't be willing to do that, and we saw that she never ended up actually really doing anything to Leia. We don't even know if she actually was going to. She seemed like she was, but we never see her actually do anything. And she doesn't again right here because as Obi-Wan arrives to find Owen and Beru looking for Luke, Obi-Wan goes to look. He doesn't have to go far. He sees Reva approaching, and she has young Luke in her arms. He's still unconscious. She places Luke in front of them, Owen, Beru, and Obi-Wan. And after a, a few moments, young Luke starts to stir. He gains consciousness, and Owen and Beru pick him up, and they take him back into the into the home. So the you know it doesn't. That was the one that I that I was most uh, one of the things I was the most trying to play with. Okay, he's not seeing her right because this doesn't make sense. He can't see her. He can't have seen her and the lightsabers and all yeah. this stuff. And so it doesn't it doesn't seem like they ever they ever saw Luke ever saw what had what really happened and. You know, if you're a kid and you get knocked out or something like this, this is, yeah, you know, this is an incident that happened ten years before. This isn't something that would be needed to be brought up or, no. or necessarily I, like yeah. a, a maybe a, a huge standout 
incident, especially with you know him talking about how the Tuscan Raiders have possibly been doing this to you know some other homes or places in the area. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it works in terms of how it tries to you know kind of thread the needle, sort of physically um, how it works. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that works. I, I again, I think the psychology of Riva is one that needs. Uh, more reflection. I, mm-hmm. I think this scene that she has with Ben, with Obi-Wan now, does give us insight into the the goal, like what the storytellers were after, even though I don't think it it resolves Rita's mo- Riva's motivation. It's clear that what Obi-Wan is saying to her about mercy and, you know, we like honoring her friends and the memory of those friends is very much what his journey is about also um in it's a different it's you know in some ways it's a very different journey but in this on this point they both decide to not i mean i think it's clear in how this show was shot and how it was scripted obi-wan could have killed vader right there Mm -hmm. vader was on one knee he could have killed vader and he didn't and reva you know could have sliced luke in half and there'd be no, there's no trilogy. <laughs> there's Star Wars no new over. hope. What? Well, that's it, folks. That was the uh, the reimagining. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and neither of them do. And for them, that grants them a certain kind of freedom, right? Um, I I wish there was just a little more exploration of what this means for them, but, um. At least it makes clear what the what the story that I think what the storytellers wanted to do with Riva, even if they didn't fully maybe even resolve it themselves. Right. Why she's doing what she's doing. I suspect we'll get more interviews and, um, you know, maybe there'll be more kind of articles written about this character. And I I look forward to it because I think there is there is depth here. And I think Moses Ingram brought a lot (laughs) Like, uh, you know, she excelled in her performance, but at the end of the day, she can only go so far beyond the script, right? There is mm-hmm. some reliance on on the words that are written for you and the things that you are made to do on screen. So back. Uh, so Riva and Obi-Wan have a, a little interaction here. She says, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I failed them. He killed all of them, and I couldn't do it. So this was the line I was kind of referencing earlier, saying, okay, so she does feel like she she would have been getting back at Vader and maybe and honoring the younglings, getting back at Anakin by killing him, possibly his son. Couldn't do either, and Obi-Wan lets her know that she has not failed them. By showing mercy, you've given them peace. You have honored them. Riva asks, have I become him? No, you have chosen not to. What you become now is up to you. Riva cries, places her lightsaber in the sands, and Obi-Wan lets her know that you're free, and we both are. Tries to give her some peace in this moment. So she puts her lightsaber in the sands, as we saw. Obi-Wan had to get, dig his out of the sands a little bit earlier. So do you think do you think we see Riva again? Yes. I would say so. Um, I hope. I mean, in a weird way, I I hope so, because there was such a, you know, there was such a negative backlash and racist backlash to this character after episode. I mean, after parts one and two, that 
granted, I mean, you know, from a critical perspective, yes, all aspects of her character didn't fully work. It feels a little bit of a rough draft. Um, but for almost in a way for Lucasfilm to not revisit this character would also read as somehow, you know, in the same controversy they found themselves where Rose's uh, uh, um, uh, Kelly Marie Chan, Tran, mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, where Rose's character was so diminished in Rise of Skywalker that felt like a response to the most toxic elements of the fan base. Yep. Um, you know, in a way, like to you quote wouldn't, Roken's it would line, feel like, like they were giving in, kind of. Yeah. Right. And I, I actually think, you know, would be. I mean, I think she'd make sense in a season two of Obi Wan, um, mm-hmm. because I think the season two would involve the, you know, exp- further exploration of the the Jedi purge and the path and so on. So, um, so yeah, I think we see her again. Um, I don't want to be like everything is politics with Disney, but I also think there is a certain consequence to not bringing back this character in a way that there isn't with with Haja or Roken, just mm-hmm. because of, I mean, this was, I didn't read, you know, I didn't actually see what was being said on Twitter, but it, it was, was, you know, a statement from Lucasfilm, like Ewan McGregor released a statement, like this was the main news story after the premiere of Obi-Wan was how much, you know, racist tweets and messages that Moses Ingram was getting. Um, and I, you know, like, what you uh, McGregor said, like, if that's the kind of person you are, you're not a Star Wars fan in my book. And like, yeah. like, that's the very, <laughs> that's the nicest thing you could say to people like that. And so mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, that Disney should make, I, well, actually, let me say, I'm saying that Disney does make decisions <laughs> based on public perception and, and, you know, how things will be received. Like they are a corporation. And I think to be somewhat cynical about it, like as a corporation, it would be a weird move to then completely retreat from this interesting character that they've introduced. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think from a storytelling perspective, it is actually interesting, you know, to see what becomes of this character with this past, who now is completely like her, her life is undetermined. It's a more interesting, it's more interesting to me than killing her off. Right. Which was the easy path mm-hmm. in this show. You have this character who's learned the truth of Luke. You know, you have this character who knows about Anakin Invader. You close the loop. You you close the gap by killing her off. And they didn't. And so, yeah, let, like, let's explore that. Um, and and I, I think, you know, hopefully it's not just in the comics and, and they'll, she'll return to Star Wars TV. Yeah, I think so, too. As we get back to Fortress Vader. Vader's all fixed up and he's talking with Palpatine via the, the video chat. The probes are tracking every system within range. We will destroy everything in our path until he is found. You seem agitated, my friend. As Palpatine responds, Vader says he will not evade me again. But Palpatine starts to make Vader think. Says, I wonder if your thoughts are clear on this, Lord Vader. Perhaps your feelings for your old master have left you weakened. If your past cannot be overcome, Vader assures Palpatine, Kenobi means nothing. I serve only you, my master. And so this, we are led to believe, may be, you know, he he 
his ego getting called out by Palpatine, telling him, "What you're too weak, you can't focus, you can't even, you know, you can't even forget about him." Maybe that's enough for the next. Te- for maybe that's enough, you know, and for Vader for at least for now yeah. to not to not care about going after Obi Wan for the next what t- decade. Yeah. He'll always, I mean, if you go back to the original trilogy, like that obsession with Obi-Wan is still there. Even yep. after Obi-Wan sacrifices himself, like he's always saying, Obi-Wan is, you know, Obi-Wan has taught you well. Like Obi-Wan was wise to hide her from me. Like he doesn't, you know, part of it is because he doesn't know about Yoda, right, in the story. Um, but he's always attributing, right, kind of always giving credit to Obi-Wan, always almost like this, there's kind of this, sense of jealousy like or or that one-upsmanship like obi-wan never told you what happened to your father like i'm telling you right Mm -hmm. uh and and so i don't think that goes away but this you know is a creative way i mean cynical take this is a scene that needs to provide an explanation for something that wouldn't have been an issue without this series right Mm -hmm. you're right have vader obsessed with Kenobi, you need to explain why he stops right after Obi-Wan walks away, because the the other path the show could have taken is that Vader thinks Kenobi's dead and they did the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, thinking about it from Palpatine's perspective, which is (laughs) that's a weird thing to say from Palpatine's perspective, like (laughs) this is a weak, this is truly a weakness, right? Mm -hmm. Of Vader's from his perspective. We've seen the consequences of his narrow like his obsession with kenobi and so this is a liability right if he is so obsessed with kenobi he's still in the past right then anakin is still alive and vader is in or sorry palpatine's invested in destroying anakin and making you know vader completely reliant on him so it actually makes sense that palpatine would say let like forget kenobi and we also know right then someone may say, well, doesn't Palpatine fear Kenobi? I don't really think so, right? I mean, Palpatine was always overconfident. Um, so it, it works for me. Like, on one level, I think it 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 enriches this idea of, like, Vader, right? We just saw Reva's free, Obi-Wan's free, not Vader, right? Vader's in a metaphorical prison on Mustafar. Mm-hmm. And this, this scene not only explains like ties together a loose end, but also emphasizes that even though he's being, you know, called off his mission for Obi-Wan, he's still fundamentally like trapped. Right. And that's the tragedy of, of Anakin Skywalker. Right. He's in, he's forever a slave, right. He's born a slave. Uh, He is then kind of constrained by the Jedi order. And then he's complete servant to Palpatine. Um, when uh, when looking at the 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 script from the episode, right after Vader tells Palpatine, "I only serve you, my master," it it says, "Imperial march playing," mm-hmm. Darth Vader breathing, and then the next thing, birds chirping. We go right from <laughs> those that dun, 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 straight to Alderaan, and we see young Leia getting ready, boots on, braids ready to rock. She's got Tala's holster, and when when her mom, so her mom is it is it Bria? Bre, I don't Brea. know Bria Bria yeah E H A right yeah. yeah. So when her uh, when Bria walks in, Leia's all ready, 
and her mom notices the holster. She even says, is that a holster? I love it. And she smiles, and she grabs Leia and says, come on. And Leia heads out to stand with her dad, with Bail. So Leia's standing with her mom and dad outside as a, a ship arrives. And Leia has a, a really cool and a fun interaction with, with her, her dad here, Bail. And um, he sort of looks at her, and he looks at the holster. And Leia says, you said there were many ways to lead. And <laughs> Bail's response is, looks like I was right. And Leia, but for all to give her all the credit in the world, if you go into a, an interview for a job or you start on your first day, you got all these ideas right away. She said, "If I'm going to do this, I'm going to want to change a few things." And <laughs> Bale smiles, says, "Let's change this together." Then, yeah, I <laughs> Yeah, I, I, um, you know, I mean, if there's one, I I love Leia in this show. I mean. Th- and I, I think it was a completely success, the casting and everything. But there's also, again, it gets to this point, like, we know we know Leia's story, right? We are at her deathbed in The Rise of Skywalker. We've seen so much of her story. So there's this sense of, like, we know her destiny is to be this warrior princess. Yeah. And I... I, I don't know. So I, I'm I'm of two minds, right? On one hand, I think... They really capture a spirit of Leia. On the other hand, I think, why is this so much the focus of Lucasfilm storytelling, capturing the spirit of that which already exists, which is accessible yeah. to us, which we can view? You're right. Um, and and that's my kind of conundrum. But you know, we're gonna about to get to you know, a beautiful scene between uh, Obi Wan and Leia. Um, yeah, he steps out. He that's yeah. what she asks. Who is it today? Is it more cousins? And the not exactly. Obi-Wan steps out of the ship, closely followed by a flying Lola. And Leia just makes the beeline right for Lola. She says, Lola! And she's so excited to see her droid. She runs right past Obi-Wan to see Lola, who jokes, uh, Obi-Wan does who am I to separate a young lady from her droid? He walks over and he greets Bale and Brea, who thank Obi-Wan. We can never repay you. And he says she has already done that And he walks over uh, First Bale mentions that He fears for her future The Empire grows stronger and bolder one says if you ever need my help again You know where to find me Let's hope that day never comes It is sort of sad to see Alderaan here too Yeah Just knowing where we're going to go with Alderaan uh, in, in what 10 years Yeah they I have a lot to say about that, right? <laughs> like, on you know, one of the things that's been nagging at me since maybe part two is that, you know, it's out there, it's accessible to the Empire now that Bail Organa has some connection to Obi-Wan. Some, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, even though that was Reva's plot, like the other Inquisitors knew what she was doing. Vader never acknowledges it within the actual, you know, in the show, but it's fair to assume that he knows that this princess of Alderaan was kidnapped and that is what drew Obi-Wan out. And then by extension, right, either through the Inquisitor snitching or from Vader himself, Palpatine knows, right? And so why is it that Bale, there are no consequences seemingly for Bale, you know, having this being a quote Jedi sympathizer. However, 
in 10 years, he is killed and his planet is destroyed. So yeah. I think on one hand, the show, a plot hole of the show is the fact that this Obi-Wan, like, Bale connection being out in the open would be very dangerous to them. But on the other hand, I think you can also think about the Star what's happening now and what happens in Rogue One and then ultimately in A New Hope, that Bale Organa was probably a target of Palpatine for a long time. And we know Palpatine has no problem waiting decades to exact his revenge. And so I can imagine in my headcanon that Palpatine is well aware of this. And it's just like, don't I got this guy. Like, let's keep, we'll keep an eye on him. He'll be our key. He, you know, he'll be our key to the rebels. Like, let's, let's let this plot play out. Um, and so this is a long tangent of how I'm dealing with what I thought was a plot hole. So Obi-Wan walks over to Leia and he has this awesome, beautiful interaction with her. And he he asks her, or she asks him first, so what will you do now? He says, I don't know. What do you think I should do? He says, I think you should sleep. And uh, they both chuckle. And he kneels down. I love that he does this to get on eye level with her. And he says, I I think you're right. Leia, when I said before that I didn't know your parents, Princess Leia Organa, you're you are wise, discerning, kind-hearted. These are qualities that came from your mother. But you are also passionate and fearless and forthright. And these are gifts from your father. Both were exceptional people who bore an exceptional daughter. I wish I could tell you more. And she stops him. She says it's okay. And she kind of smiles and looks over at, at Bale and Brea, her parents. And she's content. She has a, she has a mom and dad. Yeah. And he asks her. Or she asks him, well, will I ever see you again? He says, maybe someday, if you ever need help from a tired old man. But we must be careful. No one must know, or it could endanger us both. And yeah, they, I, they hug. They say goodbye. It was, it was, it was really sweet. It was really sweet. It's, it's sweet because it's, it's both this moment where Leia is learning something that has kind of nagged at her, right? And this was when her cousin, you know, says she's not a real Organa. But she also is, like you said, kind of content with that, but looks over to her her real parents, uh, Bale and Brea Organa. And so, yeah, the scene do, does a lot, not only in terms of, like, kind of completing this, the arc of their relationship in this series, but I also think it speaks to this, idea of you know how you know the mercy that obi-wan shows to anakin and when he tells reva you haven't failed them like you've honored them and obi-wan is making a choice at this point to remember like it's not he he's both able to absolve like free himself from his guilt but also to remember that anakin who anakin was right and he, it's, he's almost honoring Anakin, who has died at the hands of Vader. Yeah. So it kind of extends that even further. Um, so I like how it kind of, it both relates. This, this is not just something for Leia to hear. It's also something that Obi-Wan needs to say, right? Mm-hmm. It's to, you know, to have some, because for all intents and purposes, this series is the closure he needs on the prequels. And now it's forward looking from the from this point on, right? Hopefully, 
hopefully it's forward looking from this point on. So, yeah, I, I loved I they, thought that was beautiful. There's even a little moment when he says the final line, he says, may the force be with you. And they kind of connect hands one last time, Yeah, you know, before he walks off and he heads back to his home cave area on Tatooine. He cleans everything out. It's moving time. Jumps on the Eopi and heads over to the Lars homestead. Owen asks, what are you doing here? I thought you were going to keep your distance. And he he agrees. He says, I will. You were right. He needs to just be a boy. The future will take care of itself. The only protection he needs now, Owen, is you and Baru. Take good care of him. We see young Luke working on some machinery off in the distance. And young Luke and Obi-Wan... Actually, it's a meet here as he's getting ready to leave. Uh, Owen asks Obi-Wan if he wants to meet him, and he says, sure. So he he walks back over. They both smile at each other, and Obi-Wan says, hello there. <laughs> we get we get the line that everybody was waiting for him to say all throughout. I believe that was his first line in uh, in A in, New Hope. In a New Hope, yeah. And it, so I, I rewatched A New Hope this past weekend, and... With an eye toward the Obi-Wan-Leia relationship, Obi-Wan-Vader, and the Obi-Wan-Luke. And it is clear that Luke knows Ben Kenobi. Not well, right? But it's very clear he's had, it's like, you don't think he means old Ben Kenobi, right? And and so it makes sense that they've met. Now, do Mm -hmm. I need a series that is, you know, more run-ins with Obi-Wan and Luke bullseyeing Womp Rats in his T-16? No. Like, because I already know that exists. Uh, But it was a, like many things in this show, right? We've talked about this from part one. Interactions between legacy characters have been so carefully calibrated, Mm -hmm. right? So they don't, they say enough, but not too much. And I think this was the right, like, tone. It's not Owen forgiving Obi-Wan. It's Owen in a moment recognizing like Obi, that they do share something in common, right? They do both care about the boy, even though Owen, you know, there's a whole different scene here if this wasn't the resolution of a series where mm-hmm. Owen's like, "What the fuck, man? What like, are you doing who here, is bro? This dark Lord yeah. who assaulted my home? Like, I mean, Owen should have a lot of questions, and I don't think this conclusion like removes his skepticism by any means. No. But it does show this, like, there's this recognition that they both have that they share a common interest, right? And Obi-Wan gives Owen some space and, you know, Owen appreciates maybe that he's going to, that he's giving him the space, that he's going to back off a little bit. And because we could sense always that Owen was kind of, you know, think about how this would be if this was, the role that you are in as a as a parent to this kid. You're yeah. raising this kid, but you're not sure if at any point this guy could come and pluck him and sort of tell him I want to go train him and teach him the force. And so I think it sort of removes some of the pressure of that mm-hmm. here from yeah. from Owen and the two meet. We'll see them again together in a decade in a new hope. As Obi-Wan goes off into the desert. Qui-Gon finally comes to him And he sees the vision The force ghost Master Qui-Gon Who says it took you long enough And uh, 
And Obi-Wan said, I'd be beginning to think you were, you'd never come. Qui-Gon says that he was always here. You were just not ready to see. Mm. Come on. We've got a ways to go. Yeah. <laughs> Obi-Wan follows Qui-Gon to, uh, to go be a hermit, basically. Right? Is that, that's what they say? Yeah. So uh, we will see if there will be more adventures. Because, it, as you said, it does set up well for him to go off and, you know, to learn more from Qui-Gon in season two to have some maybe small adventures here and there that don't have to do with Luke and Leia. Maybe we can, you know, find out a little bit more about the path to beam. And so they, they did set it up for uh, for a season two. And I'd imagine we get there. What'd you think of Qui-Gon in the small 30 seconds we saw it? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. Liam Neeson isn't credited at the end, right? I didn't see it. I don't but... think he's in the credits. I think I read that. I'm, I've got the credits rolling right now. I'll let you know if I see otherwise. But okay. um, it it worked. It worked for this show. I think that if I'm, you know, if I had been pulled by Lucasfilm before the show, like I would have loved a series that was more character driven, that was more engaged with these bigger questions about the Force and you know, Anakin's role in, in the galaxy and so on. And there, there's a lot that could have happened, right? And, and you know, exploring Obi-Wan's grief and his trauma in, in dialogue with Qui-Gon. And the show, you know, for this show, it made sense that Qui-Gon is a coda, right? He's not really part of this story in a very substantial way. Um, I don't know, you know, I... It, it, if they can break, you know, th- I think one of the big surprises for me from this show is in some ways how similar it was to The Mandalorian, right, in its construction. I expected a show that was going to be much more quiet and slower paced, and it was very much adventure of the week, right? The Disney Plus advertised this finale as the action-packed special event finale. And could there is could Star Wars exist that is not action packed? Maybe I'm imagining something that that is kind of counter to the entire identity of this uh, franchise. Um, but I have more questions of Qui Gon. I think Lucas had more questions of Qui Gon mm-hmm. that he never explored. Like I mean, this is all George Lucas's fault. Like I mean, <laughs> he could have. He was so he's he, he his prequels in many ways are the complete opposite of what these shows are in the sense that I sometimes think Lucas didn't even rewatch the original trilogy before scripting the prequels. <laughs> like, he has such a disregard to certain things like lines that already existed in the in the original trilogy. There's like a handful of lines that relate to the events of the prequels and it's almost like he didn't care that he actually show those on screen, whereas this show arguably begins with, oh, like this line about I was but a learner, now I am the master. Like it begins with lines from the original trilogy and is how can we build a show around these lines of dialogue, right? Um, which to me, for all its, for all the drama and kind of impact that the exploration of these characters' psychologies had on me. It's just such a, 
underwhelming way to approach the Star Wars universe, right? Pick a line from the original trilogy and explain the backstory to that line. Um, there has to be something more in Star Wars, right? Uh, I, I hope we get to a point where we have new characters we care about. I, in the way we cared about, I care about, you know, cared about Rey and Kylo Ren in Force Awakens. Um, that's a case where they were very much immersed in original trilogy lore, but were able to give us something that felt, in my mind, different. And since then, it's been uneven at best, right? I think it's telling that the best Star Wars projects since then, in my mind, are Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi and Favreau and Filoni's The Mandalorian, because there is one create, there is a clear creative voice in those shows. And you look at the writing credits for Obi-Wan, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And I think ultimately, like more creative focus a clear story that exists beyond the original trilogy. There has to be more than just playing the hits when it comes to Star Wars. We have a lot of projects ahead, but we've uh, we've spent I don't know what ten hours talking about this series uh, over the last <laughs> few over the last yeah. few weeks with with, the, with each of these parts. What are you know is as kind of you know final put a bow on it. We've dived into everything throughout this part you know what would be some of your your final feelings finishing up with uh with obi-wan kenobi yeah um i think that i think in some ways this series was better than i thought it would be and some ways it was worse than i thought it would be it's somehow you know the, the flaws it had were not what i anticipated right these these very mechanical kind of pl- like plot elements that never really quite worked and then the things that i was hesitant about right this idea of do we really need to fill the gap i actually got something from it right um i think at the end of the day (laughs) what i care is irrelevant like this show was wildly successful by all indications i think people the overall feeling in fandom as i can measure from message boards and twitter my very incomplete study is that people really like this show. Um, Ewan McGregor wants to do it again. Mm -hmm. Aiden Christensen wants to return. Um, It's a no-brainer for Lucasfilm, right? I'm here saying that Lucas, you know, tell a new story. Let's go in the future. Let's go deep in the past. You know, the galaxy is is wide open. Why do we keep coming back to this one homestead, (laughs) right? Um, But from a business perspective... You know, this was a totally successful show. And that's why I have no doubt we're going to see season two. And maybe my best hope is that season two almost reinvents itself. I agree. And and can it doesn't have to be season one. Yeah. Yeah. Who who is who will be paired with Obi-Wan in season two that we'll grow to care about? Right. Could it be another Jedi that we don't know about? Will it be Reva? Right. Mm-hmm. Um. I just think that they set it up perfectly where we can leave Luke on the back burner, right? He's like, you got this, Owen. And so if season two is more protecting Luke from, you know, the gangsters or, 
hey, Obi-Wan in A New Hope says that Mos Eisley is a wretched hum, uh, hive of scum and villainy. We really need to explore why he says that. Then I, you know, like, we could do this all day. Um, but can they use something old to create something new? Which is why Mandalorian is successful, right? It feels fresh. And yet it's a lot of recycled Star Wars and reimagined Star Wars and returning to Star Wars' roots. And um, can can there be a reinvention for Obi-Wan, right? Matt, this is uh, for those folks who may have not heard us or maybe didn't catch when we were referencing it. You are getting ready to have a baby right now. You are literally like days, weeks possibly away. And so through all of that, you'd still come and hang out with me and talk for an hour, two hours about all these episodes. And I love it, man. I have such yeah. a blast chatting with you and talking it out. And I like learn some things every time and I feel better sometimes. And sometimes I feel worse about other things that we were both critical about. But it's it's such a fun process. I, I think so many people, like you said, have just done this through through the years, forever. You talk with your friends about the things that you love, and I, it's great to be able to to share these uh, these journeys with you that we've been on for The Mandalorian now for a couple seasons, and um, Book of Boba Fett, and a couple of the, uh, the episodes one and two in the movies we've also dived into, and now all of this, and life's going to change quite a bit for you the next time we talk, <laughs> if it's in a couple months, in, yeah. uh, in August for, for the next show, so... Man, I wish the best of luck for for you and your partner with everything. I hope everything go, comes out safe and that the uh, the experience over the next few months is great. I, I can't say thank you enough. No, thank you. I mean, I love uh, I love these stories and and you know the the fact that I will be experiencing them in the future. Right, it will be as a a father and a Star Wars fan is pretty exciting, right? Like these stories are so much about the relationship you know, between parents and children and uh, these kind of generational uh, 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 struggles and, and kind of repetitions. And, um, you know, I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm raising a kid so I can have a new perspective on Star Wars. I was going to say, so like we, in the in the pool, in the names pool, I picked Chewie. As you uh, Chewie. Well, yeah. I got Chewie, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I've got one of the best draws. I, f- I felt like. You know, if you if Ben would probably have been one of the safer ones if you know you you didn't have to really lean into the Star Wars, but you know if if you do go with like Lando, I'll, I'll say okay, that's, that's okay, a, that's a move. Um, okay, yeah, it, <laughs> there's we we will we will see. We know we're not having twins. Um, uh, we won't be raising them by the lake in Naboo. Uh, so <laughs> that much is clear. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I. You know, the, the if this baby has a normal sleep schedule, maybe I'll I'll pop in for Andor. It's also possible. <laughs> you and you, uh, I, I could, yeah, I I will. Give me a while till I'm back from that's what she said, but mm-hmm. yeah, I love. And to if come it is, we'll... totally understand. And if we can work out some time, great. But man, I appreciate all of the time you put in, and uh, yeah, life's definitely gonna change for you. As I just had Milo screaming from the other room. Because he 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 go now he's getting t- uh, very attached right now. So if like he can sense that I'm there or or mom's in the other room oh, and like he can't yeah. see us, he'll scream for us and then he'll see us and he's fine. But yeah. he'll <laughs> so yeah. all things you're gonna be dealing with I in, know. The, uh, in the coming weeks, months, and years, my good friend. So thank you so much, Matt, and uh, best of luck to you with everything. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Yeah, take care, Gino. It's been a blast. 
That's Matt Velasco there. We uh, wish him the best of luck and uh, and happy, uh, healthy little one coming soon. And hopefully everything goes safe for him and his partner. We'll be talking some Star Wars. And up next, I believe it will be, uh, yeah, I think it's Andor coming up next in a few months. We'll revisit the world of Star Wars. Then a big thanks one more time to Matt Velasco for helping us out. But don't go anywhere, folks. We go from the world of Star Wars to the world of Marvel MCU. We're going to dive into episode three of Miss Marvel. Big thanks again to Matt for helping out. And uh, good luck to Matt. Life's about to change right now with a little one on the way. So congratulations to them. And we'll, I'll keep you posted when we hear from Matt when we find out what, uh, which, what they, if they decided on young Luke or, uh, or young Leia for, uh, for the name. Let's shift on over. From the world of Star Wars to the world of Marvel and the MCU. But before we do, we have to talk a little bit about Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. Cindy Carava, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. And she can help you out in many different ways as a full-service realtor. With buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to the right type of vendors if you need help with home improvement, landscaping, gardening, painting. Maybe you need help with the, the loan process. She'll connect you to the right type of lenders who are going to make that process very easy for you. She's so kind, so genuine. She's going to take care of all of those stressful little boxes that you have to check, all the, the little things that you're not really worried about and you don't realize. Cindy's going to figure those out for you. Contact her at cindycarava.com. You can find out all about her listings, reviews about her on Yelp and Zillow. We just had a, an interview a couple weeks back where we talked all about the market and what things will be looking like and um, her forecasts coming into the next few years. Some really interesting stuff there. CindyCarava.com. Tim Kelly joins me for the deep dive. It's Miss Marvel, episode three, scene by scene. Spoiler alert, it's time to talk about Kamala with TK. It's time to talk episode three of Miss Marvel. We're going to do our deep dive here with Tim Kelly, and it's time to get into this episode that is titled Destined. Tim, we had a very, very like exposition heavy episode. We learned yeah. a lot in this episode, uh, a new terminology all about the, the jinn, the clandestines, mm-hmm. the, a little bit more about the Cree, and we really start to get into some of the um, the specifics and the traditions of a Pakistani wedding. We find out a little bit mm. more about the bangles that maybe these are called nega bands, something that I mm-hmm. was looking up. There's a lot that went down in this episode, and I, I just enjoy how unique this show is and how it's willing to yeah. take, take the chances and, and go all in on this, like, rich, rich, cultural experience that we're seeing yeah i love the pakistani culture that we get to see uh the, the wedding in this was really beautiful in this episode really sweet wholesome heartfelt stuff there and a lot of specifics you know to give us that, that taste of the culture and that authenticity you know stuff like the this the hiding or stealing of the shoes that's like a a tradition that that is um before all uh i guess middle eastern weddings or or um uh, uh, Islamic weddings. Uh, I, I have a little bit of a connection to weddings l- like that. I work in the, uh, for a, a DJ company out here in, in LA and, uh, we do a ton of Indian Pakistani weddings and, uh, they, they, uh, they have some really fun traditions. There's this thing called a Bharat, 
where it's almost like a um, a little parade that they do as as part of the uh, the festivities, and it's a it's a beautiful awesome. tradition. Uh, yeah, and uh, that dance number that they had in this episode was really cool. But I love the world building in this yes. episode. I mean, you mentioned that the mythology, they're really expanding and also tying together exactly. the various mythologies that we've seen and uh, been exposed to here. So I thought I, that that aspect was really great. And just recently, too, they're, um, we got to see early on in this episode where they're uh, they're in a cave in British-occupied India. And as they're searching around for the Bengals – we actually see that the the temple that they're in has the ten ring symbol carved into the floor. Mm-hmm. So that we don't know much more than that. We but we know that these Bengals have powers that seem like they're pretty similar to some of the stuff that we saw the ten rings doing. In fact, they almost look mm-hmm. when they power up like there's some sort of similar energy that kind yeah. of flows through them so now there's all these cool things that could possibly put Wenwu the mm-hmm. the person who had the ten rings for so long the father of Shang-Chi they could have possibly placed him in this temple maybe he interacted with this group of the jinn which we mm-hmm. get introduced to so now not only are they building this world but just like you said it feels like and looks like they're going to be able to tie this together with stuff that we saw in Shang-Chi, maybe stuff in Moon Knight, maybe stuff in Eternals. So it does look like while we weren't sure if all these recent projects were more kind of standalones, we knew they were going mm-hmm. to tie together at some point. We can it feels like that process is starting to uh, to percolate, to expedite a little bit. Yeah, and uh, I think we also have maybe some Cree connection here. You know, obviously with the Captain Marvel Cree connection, there was that blue arm. Was that a Cree arm there that you know that had the bangle yeah. uh, initially? Like, does Cree technology tie into the the Ten Rings technology and and the Negabands and and all that? Are are they the same technologies or perhaps technologies from different? Era of Cree civilization that could be something like an ancient Cree tech versus more modern Cree tech. Um, yeah, there's a lot that they could really draw from and and uh, and connect to here. I I love it. I love that they're they're mixing. Uh, I kind of touched on this last week, but you know, ancient mythology, modern mythology, and historical fiction with the whole you know um, British occupied India stuff. So I I, I think this, that this is where. Marvel does some of their best work and their best storytelling when they can kind of fuse all that stuff together and create, you know, a modern mythology. Now, the jinn is a, a term that we are introduced to in episode one of this series. They're kind of brought up like kind of like a boogeyman when his yeah. when Amir and Kamala are, are joking is something that used to scare her. And they're referenced like a group of evil genies who can also be good from pre-islamic society they date back around 2000 years and they're like these spirits or demons from an alternate dimension and it's one of these sort of you know stories that's passed down from generation to generation that becomes like a folk tale nobody ever knows if this thing is real or not but there's all these little tidbits that you find out through the years and and Kamala has you know heard stories and it's really cool the way they they're doing this because 
on one hand, we talked about last week how there was so much stuff throughout the first two episodes that were very, very authentic and like straight out of the comic. They mm-hmm. do a great job of changing the powers and a lot of her origin stuff. I don't think they want to have a text that people know and can look right at. And just sort of know what's coming next They want to create their own a little bit too So they sort of pluck Things they like from here Maybe things from here Maybe we'll change that a little bit We can make this character that way So Mm -hmm. while there are a lot of things That feel very authentic to the comic And I think the way that they've built Her, her family, the character A lot of the characters Everything that we just got introduced to here Is completely different than like yeah. how how this girl is powered in the comics. Yeah, there's no inhuman mention anywhere here, and perhaps they will tie that later in down the line. They'll maybe make some connection with you know Cree and humans, and and you know all that. But uh, it there's no direct connection there, and that's fine by me. You know, uh, I think that uh, the core elements of her character and her heart uh, are all there. The heart of the story is. Um, essentially the same as you know what I've seen in other mediums of, of Captain of Ms. Marvel that is uh, and um, it's a character that I really enjoyed in my limited exposure to uh, via the uh, Avengers game not the best game in the world but had a decent story and a, it was a decent introduction to uh, Ms. Marvel I had some great gameplay with with her powers her powers look a little different here I was a little bit off put by that um, in the first episode i got a little bit more used to it by this third episode now so uh it, it the way that uh, it looks is a little bit different than you know what you kind of see in you know animated versions and uh, the the comic panel versions but the the effects that her powers have are very much consistent with you know what we've seen prior so there's nothing really to uh complain about here I, these changes i feel actually serve the story and um, feel cohesive, so it works for me. We hear a little bit about interdimensional travel, which mm-hmm. uh, which is something that needs a lot of power. It's very dangerous, and I mean, shout out to our guy Bruno, man. Bruno is just yeah. he will do whatever it takes. This guy is smart as can be. This guy is, uh, he, you know, he can look anything up. He can read about it. Yeah. He, even though he heck got, of a dancer. He's a good dancer. He's sharp. He's got no shame. He's willing to go out there and uh, get into a routine. And while he is, he is definitely someone who has a lot of stuff on his own plate. He's got Caltech coming up, mm-hmm. and he's got a huge crush on on Kamala. But he doesn't even like he pushes all that to aside, all that to the side, mm-hmm. always for her. He's so yeah. selfless like she always comes first with everything and the the relate like just in three episodes with this show one of the reasons why I really like it a lot is I feel like I know Bruno and mm-hmm. Nakia and Muniba and Yusef and Amir and even Taisha like I feel like I know all of them really well yeah. In some of their individualities, three episodes in, it continued on. This was another really good episode at like getting some insight with Bruno, seeing some of the mm-hmm. interactions with him and Kamala, seeing some of the jealous stuff between him and Cameron it makes me laugh. Yeah. Um, so shout out to our guy Bruno, who's doing some good work here. 
And I think I read this week, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I believe I read that he was very close to being Peter Parker in the MCU. Doesn't it, he feels like he, he, he could be, you know, oh, yeah. hundred percent, you know, he's got he's that. He's definitely voyage. an analog for that. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. No doubt about it. And, and it's not a, I don't think it's anything weird to say this is very much an analog for Spider-Man with the three of them. Yeah. Just so, just slightly Absolutely. flipped, right? You've got the Ned, MJ, and Peter right. roles just slightly different, which is cool, right? You've got the girl yeah. and her best friend as sort of the main characters, and then the guy as the, you know, the significant other like love interest who's also really smart and capable on his own, right? It's not like yeah. a version of MJ 30 years ago who wasn't really capable. The newer version of MJ that we got was this very capable, smart girl, sharp girl who helped Peter get out of a lot of situations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's almost like they took the, that little trio from Spider-Man and, and shook up their their characteristics, like <laughs> yep. scrambled them and then, you know, put them back onto a new story here uh, because it is very much a similar dynamic just with kind of traded off uh, abilities and, and characteristics here and there. Uh, but it, Kamala herself is, has a lot of parallels with uh, Peter Parker, just being that young uh, superhero, superpowered uh, character, coming of age, still dealing with high school stuff. Uh, there's going to be a lot of you know natural um, uh, comparisons that you could draw there. So a uh, couple other things before we get into the deep dive that we're uh, we're getting through. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Brown Jovi. That's a yeah. great, <laughs> a great name for a cover band, man. Yeah, just, that was good. Just got me. That made me pop crazy. And and the scene when, so it is a little wonky. You know, in some of these TV shows, sometimes the fight scenes and sequences can be silly. Maybe not quite as high level as as movies. And yeah, it's hard because we want them to be. But at the same time, mm-hmm. we try to understand when the shows are movies versus TV shows. That budget may be a little bit different, but. It, mm-hmm. I did think it was really funny when they have living on a prayer playing like yeah. during the fight and like she's fighting and they're falling back and forth and she's trying to get out of it. It was just a really funny like backdrop for all of the action with that uh, with that song playing. So, so yeah, true. really had a good time with a lot of this episode. There are going to be some things that I'll do my best to try to explain. We'll do our best to try to explain. But with a lot of this terminology and and a lot of things are new, like. Coming off of where we were, what last week we thought the mm. they were family, immediate like we thought Cameron and Kamala and Najma possibly were family. Right now, now right. we learn that they aren't really related, and that it was actually Aisha who we see early on come on. So we're learning a whole bunch of stuff. That's what's so fun about doing these things week to week is that we'll make predictions and then we'll find out yeah. in a week or two. Sometimes every, what's way off Mephisto, right? Like that was the, the running joke throughout <laughs> WandaVision with all the, uh, like the YouTubers and everyone making their predictions of stuff. So oh yeah, it's, it's great being able to do these in real time and, uh, and week to week and just, uh, just see where we, uh, where we stand with some of our thoughts, some of our predictions and, it's time for the deep dive, Miss Marvel, episode three, which was titled Destined, which has a little play on the name Clan Destin, which mm-hmm. um, the Clan Destin sort of got their name from the Clan of Destin, which actually maybe even has a play into one of the characters, Adam, um, something they may have taken from some from some of the comics as just sort of a fun little Easter egg. So we open up TK um, with. 
19 so first off we're going to get the the previously on like we always do they mm-hmm. let us know what's what's happened in the last couple episodes what's important to know coming out of this episode uh, coming into this episode we get the Marvel Studios title screen and we open with a text that tells us we're in British occupied India in 1942 and we have a group with Najma Faria Salim Aisha and Adam all in these caves searching for the Bengals. Now, not the band. The, not the band. Yeah. So not <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Literally an, a wristband, but not a, not the rock band. band. Not, the, not yeah. the rock band or the Cincinnati football team that lost right. <laughs> last year. Not neither of those Bengals. Um, the actual <laughs> wristband Bengals that look, look. Yeah, look like they have some similarities to the uh, the Ten Rings, and mm-hmm. I'm. They haven't named these in the show yet, but in just doing some research, these may be the what are called the NEGA, the Nega bands. Yeah, so they're careful on that one. Yeah, I was gonna say that's <laughs> don't wanna, don't, you, that's why I spelled it out. <laughs> I, I can tell. Yeah, very much because you gotta be don't want to slip right there and don't want to be yeah. considered a racist in this world. Uh, as uh, these are a powerful Cree relic that grants its wearer powers. And they can manifest, but they can basically manifest the imagination. So it's like what we're seeing with, um, with with Kamala, how she can create these little lily pads, or she can, you know, extend her fist with a big punch. Basically, like she can kind of create it in her mind and then almost do it. So yeah, this early scene. I mean, it, it's, it's we are in this dark cave, and Najma actually finds the Cree. Arm, like you're talking about. There's <laughs> what, what's scary is, you know, as they're they're looking around, they're trying to find out, they're trying to figure out what it is. They find the bangle that's on this severed arm, and it's a blue severed arm. And so, as they're trying to figure out, you know, should they continue to look around here? Where's the other bangle? You can hear soldiers and people outside that are that are looking for them, that are maybe hunting them. And this is this is one of these places that has probably contained a lot of important information. And we hear a lot about the partition. So on the timeline, this is actually a little bit before what would have been the partition. Um, right. Before that major event happened a few years before. So this is this is one of those things that's like not easy for a show to do. But it's necessary. We need we need some of these origin story scenes, especially yeah. when you bring in a new show like this, and they can be a little bit jarring if not done well. It's like okay, all of a sudden, a bunch of these new characters with a lot of new names that are might be hard to follow along. They did this pretty well, and we find Aisha, the great grandmother of Kamala, who walks out from the other room. She asks she asks a little bit more about the bangle, and and it's. All of a sudden, this quick moment where the group, this group of people that is being referenced as the jinn, they are trying. They're basically on the run, trying to survive. It, that's that's what yeah. their story has been, right? They've been hiding out for years and years and years, trying to sort of adapt to different different cultures, trying to find their way back home. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's their uh, motivation in this story is they want to get back home. It's this ET phone home scenario. Uh, which is we can get behind that we can empathize uh, with that, but it seems that over the course of this story they've they've taken a little bit of a dark turn, uh, you know, 
in their efforts to achieve this goal. Um, but I love this, the, the opening here. I thought that they brought a real sense of um, seriousness and uh, they kind of elevated the, the moment here. It wasn't that like silly, light, fun uh, tone of the show uh, that we'd seen thus far. They really wanted us to, to, they really wanted to hammer home that this was like something to take seriously, that this was tying into a serious historical um, event uh, and that uh, this, what we're seeing is going to have a, a great impact. It's going to be very impactful to, you know, the rest of the characters and Kamala specifically and her history. So uh, everything from the music and the way that they came from the, the um, just the pacing and the, the, the music around the, the title sequence there, uh, it really just set the stage for uh, just a more serious tone. And uh, yep. uh, yeah, I love the feel of that. Now, the this group Salim for uh, Faria, Najma, Aisha, they're all discussing what what to do. And we see Adam who mentions that it's the British Army. We don't have time. Now they they have been told by a man from the temple. He said we would need two. Now this is interesting. Who is the man in the temple they were referencing? Were they possibly talking about Wenwu, man who may have right. been in this temple? To gain access to the rings A man who at this point Was one of the more powerful Genghis Khan like conquerors Keep in mind the ten rings Were supposed to encapsulate Basically all of that empire That Genghis Khan um, Led and like ruled over So we're talking like all Throughout Asia, India, into Afghanistan Where You know Tony Stark Had Mm -hmm. his first Uh his first real interaction where we we you know are introduced to him in Iron Man. So this is a there's a lot that they're trying to set up here. And in this cave, we see Aisha and Najma have this moment where you know they talk about if the Bengal can e- take us back home, we have to try. Rocks, debris falling down all over them. So Aisha, great grandmother of Kamala, puts on the Bengal, and we see that same sort of power. Kind of electricity almost run through her eyes They kind of light up red for a moment It looks like exactly what what happens with Kamala When she puts the band on Kind of similar She kind of gets taken into this different dimension For a moment She mm-hmm. sees and hears some sounds And it's as if nobody around her can see or hear those She, she kind of looks around and says Did you hear that? And Najma doesn't really know what she's talking about So it's almost like you you know you put this bangle on we see later in the episode that you have to either i guess have it on or maybe be in contact with it because when later mm-hmm. in the episode when Najma grabs the bangle she is able to see what she may not have been able to see before right yeah and i i think there's also a connection to like if you're born of the the, the world of of this dimension mm-hmm. whether you can get full use of the powers there too i'm not 100 percent sure how that works either. But it's something like a that. half with your with the, with the parenting right too with the parents right. like if you have one parent um or like um you, you said a half and half type situation so that's something that we're going to continue to uh you know to monitor and pass along any more information on it that we get but yeah keep in it mind it's, just, it's, it's different yeah it kind of connects uh, to the way maybe the Infinity Stones work within the multiverses, like how, yeah. you know, an Infinity Stone from one universe will have power in that universe, but if you bring it to another universe, it's just a stone. 
Uh, so I think that's kind of similar to maybe what's happening there when they refer to that that power dynamic uh, with with the band here with the bangle. So we flash back to modern day, and the last that we see of them in 1942 is Aisha and Najma having a moment where they say, "Okay, I'll see you soon," and they go their separate ways with this cave about to collapse. And we, uh, the special effects there too I gotta say not the best That uh, yeah. was one complaint I had in this episode The cave collapsing around them I didn't quite buy from their actions Like their, their positioning and like the the CG around them There's something just seemed off about that That's one thing that I, I must complain about here I, I really feel like these MCU TV shows Need to bridge that gap And keep things consistent with uh, their, their movie franchises uh, I think for the longevity of this whole thing, the MCU in, in its entirety, they they can't be cutting these corners. They can't be making these things look like TV. Um, it's it's higher end TV, but it's still I still see that gap between what they're putting on the the, the big screen and what you know they're putting on the, the the TV. And that's just something that they I I feel that they, it's important that they correct. Uh, I don't know what they can do for that because I do see it kind of dipping on the big screen as well in certain areas. So uh, that's just one thing that's kind of bothering me about this so far. And I noticed it more this episode than last. Yeah, there were a few in this episode instances, which it's one of those things, yeah. too, where it's, it's kind of hard because when the story is good, mm-hmm. it doesn't bother you quite as much, but it True. does take you out of the story. Like when you see things like it's yeah. hard not to be taken out of certain situations where you're like, ah, that, that didn't look as good as it could have been or as good as yeah. we we might have seen but then kind of on the flip side When there's good episodes of things You're probably like willing to let one or two things Kind of pass more without making it Like feel like it's a big deal Um but yeah. I agree It's there are just a few things here and there Where you're like ah and I, I didn't notice them quite As much in the first few Some people were saying stuff about the powers which I, I mm-hmm. you know I could see That but this ep- this Particular scene and there was I think one more with the fight stuff that I was talking about. The that fight been stuff too. A little bit, yeah. a little bit kind of silly, but yeah. I'll I'll say this though. I'll say this. I threw on uh, the Flash. I had the Flash. Like, like I just threw on oh, TV, nice. and it was cool. the CW, the CW Flash, and it was so bad in every way that you could, you know, every way that we're talking about here. The writing was bad. It was so soapy. It was the worst like framing and staging of CG and action I've seen in a long time. And it was a, it was one of the more recent episodes. And I'd seen some older ones where they'd done some really good things kind of on the level of the Disney Plus stuff here. I, they must have cut their budgets majorly and moved to like the B team directors to the Flash and um, moved the good ones over to Superman and Lois or something like that, because it, it is so low rent right now that. I, I'm almost wondering if Marvel's just looking at what their competition's doing and is going, yeah, you know, we can let off the gas a little bit. Yeah, like, say, we're, we'll just do a little bit so, better than that, and we're okay, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's setting the bar pretty low. I think that Marvel and Disney, with all their, you know, heaps and heaps of cash, can do a can little bit a little better. Higher. Yeah, yeah, they that, can aim that a, said, a little higher. Yeah. That said, I think it's an overall really good program. I'm still I'm still in it, and I'm just I'm yeah. being a little nitpicky here, but no, and know. that's why that's that's what we're here for, as we flash to modern day. So we actually see that it was Najma telling the story to Kamala. There's Cameron, uh, Faria, Salim, Adam, all around. She lets Kamala know we've been running together ever since. As for your great grandmother Aisha, that was the last time we saw her. Kamala is being so naive 
throughout a lot of this mm. conversation. I mean, she's asking yeah. questions like a 16 year old girl would ask. You know, she's she just came out of an instance where she was being chased by police and drones. Then these people <laughs> saved her life that told her they might be her family. And she has no, I mean, she's just completely overwhelmed. She yeah. asked, uh, How did you guys meet? Was it like in school or something? And they say, not exactly Ayesha was from another dimension So are we We're not here by choice, we were exiled Just when we got close to finding our way home We were separated We searched for her But with all that happened during the partition We assumed she got lost like so many others And I will give them a lot of credit for this episode Because, man, it's hard to Sometimes put forth so much exposition And do it in a creative way Or a way that's not overly boring Where it sounds like yeah. someone's just Reading you a bunch of text they, they, have to, they have to do a lot In this episode and introduce a whole ton And it doesn't really feel Like overly too preachy They use a couple mm-hmm. different voices In how they tell it which is nice Like they have Najma here Then they kind of have Yusef at one point mm-hmm. Kind of reading through some of the the yeah. gin stuff and translating it, so yeah. I I think they do a good job because it can get it might be boring or the, it can be maybe hard for some people who this all a lot of this terminology is brand new. Yeah, it, it's important to lay it out in in some facet uh, there so that we can understand it and be introduced to these you know per, perhaps new ideas to us. You know, a lot of people might not be familiar with the gin, and uh, even if you are, you, you we need to be. Uh, we need to understand what they represent in this world because uh, they could always they they have license to change it and do whatever they want with any of these mythologies, uh, and they likely will. Um, but uh, yeah, I I think that the way that they do exposition here is great because, like you said, they they do it in a lot of different ways. They bu- they bury it within uh, an interaction, you know, with Yusuf uh, and and Bruno. That's uh, interesting on that level of just like. Mm-hmm. You know, Yusuf is stealing or, or not not stealing, but like sneaking pastries so funny. Oh, uh, yeah. as part of it. So you get like this little humor and the, the you get the relationship between them that he's helping yep. out Bruno and he's kind of a father figure and a mentor to him. So there's a lot going on there. And then even this at the beginning here, it's it's a flashback. So you're seeing most of it in mm-hmm. flashback. It's not just being told by another character. But then you also get that added element of is this character Reliable, or is this perhaps an unreliable narrative? Or evil, or astray? Yeah, yeah. Like, what are their motive? What are their real motivations? Is Adam one of the one of their group starts laughing? He's like watching something on his phone. He's got headphones on. He's just like geeking out over like a meme, or he's singing popcorn, popcorn, you know, or something. (laughs) So they uh, they tell Kamala that they've been around for a hundred years and Adam picks the stupidest parts of humanity um, humanitary uh, humanity to be obsessed yeah. with so Kamala jokes that they all look very good for being around in the 40s and uh, they say not all of us Cameron is actually 17 so she goes oh good that's a relief and they all kind of smile because Cameron kind of has a crush on her he mentioned that he thinks she was cute so I actually thought this scene was pretty funny where this felt like what would happen in like high school or college when a bunch of your friends or or in yeah. a family like your older brothers and sisters, how they would talk to you when, you know, you start dating someone and they're like, yeah. oh, man, this is awkward, awkward. Like, what is that? Why are you blushing over there? What's up, camera? You know, and they're just really laying it on thick. So I thought it, it just came off like real. 
this scene. Yeah. I feel I like I felt like I've been in this situation before where people are trying to make me uncomfortable or awkward with the girl around there. So I, I like this a lot. Oh yeah, that's that's family's job right there. <laughs> they they see a weakness and they they just like that little bitty bitty tear, that little bitty rip that that just gets it started and they go deep on it. You know, <laughs> exactly. they tear deep. You know, uh, that's all they need. They see one opportunity and they they strike. <laughs> so they um, as the group continues to give Cameron a hard time about having a crush on Kamala, not Najma takes Kamala off on her own to talk. She says, I never got it. Uh, and Kamala thanks her for saving her. But Najma seems very focused. You know, there's a reason why she was telling Kamala this story. There's a reason why she they found Kamala. They need her help. The least we can do is protect Aisha's family, Najma states. She goes on. We didn't even know she had any family until you put on that bangle and we sensed the presence of newer. Kamala asked. That means light, right? And it's funny because she says, kind of, she says to herself, "Newer girl, ah, no, that's not it." She's still <laughs> yeah. trying to workshop. Work. Yeah, she's workshopping the uh, the superhero names because she doesn't like Nightlight, so she keeps trying to uh, figure yeah. out a better name. But I, I like that moment. I, I even tried to like think to myself, like maybe there's a better way we could use the word "nor" and actually right? make that a cool name. But I, yeah. I couldn't come up with one. No. The other cool thing uh, about this was um, the weddings. Uh, uh, we we have a wedding in this episode. Uh, I wonder if the writers here are familiar with, uh, or if this is just coincidental, but there's a, a really big wedding venue in Pasadena that's kind of upscale, very nice, and very popular for Indian and Middle Eastern weddings. I worked, We work there all the time, my company, um, uh, and that's where I mentioned that we do these Bharat things and these special um, services for Indian weddings and Middle Eastern weddings, and th- that's one of our most popular places that we do them uh, out here in L.A., uh, over in Pasadena. So shout out to Noor, a uh, great, great wedding venue that that serves uh, uh, a lot of uh, Indian awesome. and Pakistani weddings. And I have a little either a coincidence here or perhaps the writers uh, had some kind of uh, connection cool. there. Cool. As they, uh, Najma and, and Kamala talk a lot now about their uh, their history and the, the origin. She says there's Noor within us as well. It slows down our aging, but we can't access its full potential in this dimension. But maybe because you're from here, you can. Kamala asks about Cameron. Um, she says the Bengal helps you unlock the Nor. Maybe one day we'll do the same for him too. She's a little worried. Kamala now has seen like bad stuff happen. She even was able to save this kid a little while ago, but he almost fell. She almost fell. Kid still like. Broke his leg, hurt his ankle, something But she saved him She just, she's not in full control of these powers Quite yet And it's it's a little bit scary when something Kind of overcomes you So she says, I don't know, it seems like a lot of bad things Happen because of this bangle I dropped a kid off a building Then I got chased (laughs) by drones So I don't, I don't really think any That was such like a a Peter Parker line You know, like I got dropped off a building Or dropped a kid off a building A recap I got chased by drones. I just I don't know if any good can come of this. I can totally hear him saying that like exact same line. So true. Um, but I think it needs to be a uh, tradition for a kid to get dropped off a building in every be. MCU show. Right. It's, it's got to happen. We need it. Uh, Najma wants to kind of correct her though. Of course it can. The Bengal and the visions brought you to me and all the people that you belong with. Those people out there, they just see you as a kid playing dress up. But I know that you've inherited greatness. 
very smart here for Najma, right? Kind of play into what what mm. Kamala really wants. She wants to right. be kind of treated like an adult, and she wants to be a superhero. She knows the family doesn't really feel the same way. Her mom is yeah. noticeably trying to protect Kamala from all of this, but as a kid who wants who wants to be this superhero, this was smart by Najma, like preying on uh, on her wants, on Kamala's wants, right here. Mm. And you know, Kamala has a lot of questions. So, like, you want my bangle? Where exactly is your home? Uh, Najma, you know, answer those questions for us. Aisha, great grandmother, it was her wish to bring us all home. Now you must finish what she started. In our home dimension, the newer dimension, we are known as the clandestines. As to what we are, we've been called as Nobby, as Noon, Unseen. The list goes on, but we're most commonly known as Jin. And this, like, freaks Kamala out. These are like yeah. the ghost stories she's been hearing her whole life. She's like this weird spirit, evil demon ghost thing. What the hell is this? Yeah. Yeah, and I I love that uh, that Kamala, and she mentions this a little bit later. Like she takes the the Jin mythology very seriously, mm-hmm. and I, I think I mentioned this last podcast, but I, I've had you know in my anecdotal experience with with talking to to you know very few people from Iran, admittedly, uh, but in talking with uh, you know some people from Iran, that was one thing that got brought up when we were talking about like our cultures, like pretty quickly, uh, and them asking me if I believed in Jin. And that was something I, t- I took note of. I'm like, huh, that's an interesting thing. Like, they, like I guess it's like somebody out here saying if you believe in, you know, horoscopes or or ghost stories. But I just got the impression that, you know, it, j- the gin stories kind of to them are maybe a little bit more like ghost stories, but they're real. And that's kind of like their mentality about them. So that that's that struck me as very uh, at, uh, accurate, at least from my you know anecdotal experience. What's one thing that I really like about this, Tim, is that the it just keeps moving. Like the pace is really quick. It there's yeah. it, it has like a moment where you feel like it's gonna breathe, but then all of a sudden Kamala walks right into Bruno's room. Yeah. So like everything that's happening is just within these few days. Like every, like the stuff that happened yeah. was last night, yesterday, or the day before. We're not talking about a week later, two weeks later, a month down the line. She says, I just had the craziest night of my life. Um, but we actually get the Miss Marvel title screen right before yeah. Kamala at, like asks, did you say Jin? You know, kind of freaking yeah. out. And that's about eight, nine minutes in. So we get that Miss Marvel title screen. And then Kamala busts into Bruno's room. And uh, Bruno's like freaking out. He said, you just text me, I'm alive. And then you go <laughs> eight hours and don't say anything. The police show up. They're at my house. They're asking me about nightlight. She's like, what? Police? Did they send drones? I was chased by drones. Also, we're trying to drop the name nightlight. It's they play how 16-year-old kids would be acting right now. I think very real. Like they're yeah, you know, they can't they're excited, but they're like nervous. There's like, oh my god, there's cops. What the hell happened? Like we were just living this boring life and now cops and drones and we've got these powers and what's going it's it's very cool. Like it's it's a lot of fun yeah. seeing seeing these two interact and uh, so yeah. And the pace the pace that you mentioned too earlier it kind of matches that teenager pace and that energy. Absolutely, you know, one thing up to the next. You know, everything's it's, moving so quickly. 
yeah, it's just like it's like this nervous energy that's just constant, right. you know, it's like yeah. just, just like constant, you know. And Bruno's like, "What? What the hell are you even talking about?" And she she goes, "Okay, it's a bad name. You know, it sounds like it's for five year olds. So, no more nightlight." <laughs> um, he says, "Kamala, focus." And she says, "I'm a gin." His response, <laughs> and tonic, which was just <laughs> so stupid, but I just laughed. Yes. Like I really popped at it. It made me chuckle. Because that is pretty dumb, though. <laughs> it was, right. it is, it's so, you know what I mean? But it's just like, what What would you say to someone who says, I'm a gin? <laughs> You're like, what do you, I'm and tonic? Like, yeah. it's just, yeah. and shout out to, I believe it was Erica over on New Rockstars who said that the name, of of Qui Gon Jinn actually came yes. as an inspiration from the the Jinn. So I caught that. Cool. Yeah. Shout out as uh, Obi Wan series was just finishing up um, right now on Disney Plus too. So I like nice uh, little coincidence there yeah. for the airing too. It's Same timing. Day. I was gonna say the we got double gins could not have been a coincidence <laughs> for sure. They even <laughs> love to have these Easter eggs across uh, different shows. So. Kamala tells Bruno, I found out what I am. It's not Asgardian or alien or anything cool like that. I'm like the stuff of my childhood nightmares. <laughs> so there's there's like ghost stories and and there's like gin stories. And and the gin stories are much worse because they're real. Like yeah. a group of gin people saved me from all the drone stuff last night. They call themselves clandestines, and Cameron's one of them. And Bruno says, did I not say there was something weird about that kid? He was, he's so yeah, jealous. So he's, jealous. He's like, man, I knew there was something wrong with him. And uh, that just made me uh, laugh too right away. Yeah. As Bruno's I not. The, I love the coming of age, uh, you know, kind of theme here that she's also, she's afraid of what she's kind of turning into or what yeah. she's going to become. She and that's really ob- know. an obvious parallel to like, you know, growing up puberty and all that, all that stuff that, you know, a, a young woman's dealing with at, at her age. So Bruno, yeah, Bruno, anytime you can take a little dig at Cameron, anytime Cameron can uh, take a little dig at Brian, they definitely, uh, they will do that. So yeah. Kamala says, well, they're nice. They, they told me about the bangle and my powers and my great grandmother Aisha. So that's progress. Also, they need my help, which means I need your help. <laughs> he says, "Okay, I figured. Uh, why not?" But I don't really know how I can help a group of ghosts and their average-looking son. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so I'm gonna need a lot more information. Uh, Kamala said, "Okay, um, you know, I'll tell you everything, but." You're good at math. Do you know anything about interdimensional travel off the top of your head? Specifically that of the Noor dimension. That's N-O-O-R. <laughs> and, and of course, Bruno even, you know, who would who would know something like this off the top <laughs> of their head? But Bruno's actually reminded of something that he read. Shout out to yeah. Dr. Eric Selvig, a name that we know, the uh, astrophysicist from Thor and a couple other different projects. Yeah. And he... Uh, he wrote a paper all about interdimensional travel. So, again, this is think about the ways that they give they gave us this information throughout the episode, and you hit it perfectly. It's in it's in like these different interactions. It's not just yeah. Najma reading through everything or Kamala's mom reading through everything. We get every uh, every character gives us little bits, 
So it all comes yeah. off differently. Like we get a lot in this interaction with Kamala and with Bruno, you know, and but but it's it comes off kind of funny because they're both so goofy and awkward with with like the stuff that they're going through that you know you're as much noticing them and how they interact with each other than than like what they're saying. So it's it it plays yeah. very well in both parts. Yeah, there's more than just the exposition happening there. Like you pointed out like you've got Bruno being actively jealous. There's interpersonal, you know, di- you know, relationship dynamics that are that are at play at, at, in addition to, you know, all the uh the world building that they're doing, you know, it, it, you know, amidst the dialogue. Uh, just those little moments of of brevi- of of comedy of levity uh, where you know Bruno, you, you're you're reminded of just that he he's jealous of Cameron and that he's you know in in love in his own way with with, with Kamala. I shouldn't say in his own way. I think he's flat out in love with her. Uh, I think it's safe to say that. So um, that's interesting and compelling on its own. So it 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 uh, kind of obscures the uh, the heavy lifting that the the um, the the exposition's doing there and it uh it makes it fun it makes it palatable so bruno shows kamala a tiktok she is trending uh, from the night before her interaction when uh when she saved that boy videos all over have been posted comments all over she's kind of like what like she's nervously yeah. sort of scared like looking at it and wow she's trending now so they've got work to do. Bruno's going to reread the paper, try to find out anything he can about interdimensional travel. She has to go prepare some stuff for the Mendy, which is basically the like the pre-wedding ceremony, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like where we see all, all the family together. It was a little more like relaxed of an atmosphere. I think there are a lot of pillows in a very comfortable type setting. We hear uh, Nakia mention that you know that they got to get ready for it just before so very rich in customs traditions a lot of the rituals yeah. the ceremonies that we're going to find out all around this wedding and in the uh, the day leading up to the wedding so that was uh something that I just I just love the 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 way that they mentioned the terminology I love the the names that she yeah. has for her for her mom and for her dad and for her grandma you know they're just authentic names that you know Milo calls my dad Nanu you know, it's right. just it makes it makes sense. Everybody calls their grandma and grandma or aunt and uncle different things here and there. It, it's it's yeah. real. Growing up, all my friends, you know, some of them call them Tia, Tio. You know, it's just all all different right. things depending on on who. So, I, little things like that just make you feel like you're part of their world, and they make you feel like yeah. you know these characters a little bit more. And they're just small, little small things that sort of add up, you know, over and over again. Like the little tidbits, they start to just. To be, make everything feel so much more authentic. Yeah, even just the shoes. Like I, I touched on that earlier. You see the um, the Aisha's sister or Taisha's bro- or sorry, Taisha's brother is stealing all the shoes at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then you see, um, yeah, yeah, the, like the results of that later. But also, I found it interesting. There's a lot of little cultural tidbits to do with shoes in general. Mm-hmm. Like there was the shoe thief in the first episode. Uh, there was the um, the shoes later on uh, in the mosque being an issue where the damage control comes into the mosque and, and the sheik points that out. Uh, and there's this here, this tradition uh, of the shoes. So I wonder if that's all coincidental or if there's uh, some deeper you know, symbolism happening there. Now we flash to the mosque and Agent Deaver and the DODC officers storm into 
Kamala's mosque. The sheik that we were introduced to before asks, you know, what's going on? And Agent Deaver, racist Agent Deaver, who doesn't really give two Fs about anything. She says, we're the Department of Damage Control. We received a report on an unidentified enhanced individual operating out of this mosque. The sheik responds, I love this guy. He's he's great. The yeah. there the sheik, the priest. He even in his interaction last week with Kamala and Nakia, where you know he he sort of I don't know if scolded was the right word, but when they were talking, he you know he he kind of called them out. He he was very yeah. sweet with his response to her. You know, yeah. when she she kind of said something about you know the, the the way that the women are treated. He he said, "I appreciate you sharing your voice, just not while I'm talking." You know, it's just yeah. he seems like a really sweet guy. And even, you know, when he has the, the short interaction with Kamala in just a little bit, I I like him. And he's got a good sense of humor, too. He, he says uh, operating mm-hmm. operating out of here. Um, no, ma'am. But if you do know of anyone who can fly, please send them my way. I've been looking for someone <laughs> to clean out the rain gutters <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, uh, Agent Deaver is not uh, amused. She's not pleased. And here comes Nakia, who she is in the process of like collecting and counting and finalizing the votes for her uh, for her running for the board. Which this all went down pretty quickly, right? I mean, she went yeah. um, just running okay. for the board. She was campaigning, and now now she's telling people, "Oh, I'm I'm Nakia. I'm uh, I'm on the board here." And I love how <laughs> in the background we just hear someone off screen going, "We still have a few more votes to count." <laughs> made me uh, made me laugh. And and she turns around and she goes, "Okay, okay, all right. I'm a prospective member, but I feel good about our polling." And, yeah. um, and she she is so cool. She jumps right in. She's not even like on the board yet. And and the like. So think about like. You're a kid, you're 16, you're at your local church or wherever you are, and the priest is there, and people yeah. walk in. The priest sort of or the – you know, I'm, I'm Catholic, so I'm saying priest for me because that's authentic. And and mm-hmm. she like steps up to actually – like on the level of the priest to make sure to defend her mosque. Like I, yeah. I thought that was like really incredible you know, from a girl who's like 16, and I love that they, they have her do that. She is a character – who I just think is so great the way that they've built her because she's smart, she's pretty, she's strong, and she's yeah. got these like her her like little speeches that she gave lot um in the the first couple episodes were great and even here I just I like this character so much she feels like she's her own person and is and yes she's Kamala's friend she wants to help Kamala but she's her own she she lives on yeah. her own she's not just an extension of Kamala so true and I love that they let her be you know strong in this moment and she was the one who kind of stood up to damage control she did stand up to damage control uh, and that actually allowed for the sheik kind of like what you mentioned before to maintain his kind of grace and his uh softness he had he had a kind warmth that you don't really see a lot um in you know depictions of uh muslim that's a great uh, leaders point. yeah you, ne- you never see that on tv well, they're like usually really very rigid patriarchies right like you, you yeah, know, yeah any any religions that have like the old patriarch where the men are sort of held on a little bit higher of a regard than women. You mm-hmm. generally get the the men that lead that are a little more stern. And this guy is a yeah. very sort of new age kind of chic, right? He just seems like a nice, yeah. caring dude. 
Yeah, and they, they depict him with a sense of, of reverence, but they've also, like we touched on last time, they still aren't afraid of, you know, throwing in some critique there of, of having a multi-layered depiction uh, here where maybe perhaps, you know, the system that this man operates in is not entirely perfect, uh, but there's still some nobility to what he's doing. And, and uh, it, like I said before, like a, a grace to his character that you really don't see a whole lot um, in, in uh, you know, Muslim depictions in general, let alone someone like a Muslim leader who, you know, in in prior depictions would have been very rigid, strict, and uh, cold, I think. Yep. Whereas this guy was, was just warm in general. So I, I really thought he was likable and it was a, a welcome uh, sort of character depiction here because I felt that that's a little bit more accurate to what must what must be true i don't i've not i've not been to a lot of mosques but i can't imagine people are, are are lining up to to just sign up for something that's entirely cold and without like life or vibrance or mm -hmm. you know beauty i think that that's something that's been missing from you know depictions of of islamic and muslim Ab culture in the past. completely agree it's not like you said and that was something that the like the catholic church has had a lot of issues with Sure. In, in recent yeah. years, just the way that they're portrayed, depicted things that they've let happen, and and not and and still being kind of like ancient in in some of their teachings, maybe rulings, and not sort of adapting a little bit with the times in order to yeah. make honestly, in order to make your message a little bit more palatable for people. Right. Yeah. That's what it comes down to: is that what message do you want to to really tell? And 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 there's a there's a better way of doing it sometimes, and so. I yeah. love the way they made this – like they made this mosque seem like more – like even like a community center, you know? Right. It, it's like a place where they all go. It's their safe haven. Kamala's mom mentions it Yes. When, in, in, in their story. She says, I had to go to, to the mosque really to get comfortable here because I yeah. didn't speak. That was where I found comfort, and yeah. and I, you hit it perfectly. It's the way it's, it's depicted here is is great. It's awesome, and – the way Nakia is, is depicted, so smart. Um, yeah. She she says, no, I, I mean, I, I know this because I've watched Law & Order reruns. You know, pursuant to the U.S. Criminal Code, law enforcement officers are not permitted <laughs> to enter a private space without a signed warrant. So uh, Deaver lets her know this is a very serious manner. It's in your best interest to cooperate. And Nakia chimes right back. Is it serious because your person of inter interest is enhanced or because she was spotted at a mosque? ma'am and mm. now the sheik steps in to kind of defend the mosque and nakia says please return when you have a signed warrant and next time remove your shoes is yeah. kind of uh, is cleaver or deaver sort of doesn't like wipe her feet on the floor but you can tell she doesn't even like reference yeah. she doesn't care she doesn't she doesn't have any respect for them and and their religion and their customs and it's Kamala at home. She's watching the TikTok. She's reading through some of the comments that are like, "Oh, what a what a hero!" And then someone's like, "But she yeah. broke. But that kid broke his leg." And someone's like, "But he would have died." And, and yeah. just uh, the fun threads on the on social media comments. And she and her friend Nakia walks in, throws herself face first down on the bed, and and like these scenes with the two of them. Mm -hmm. I believe that they're friends in real life. Like yeah. I don't know, I don't know it, but like, like the little faces they make, like they look like yeah. they love each other. 
it's like it's really genuine how you would look at someone who like you love like that like that you're in love with and not in a weird way that like, like she's in love with her friend like her cousin her family here it's like yeah it's beautiful you can see these like really sweet interactions they have um as like Nokia noticeably has had a a rough day Kamala asks is this about dance practice if you try hard you can get to my level <laughs> you know and and even like like the you know obviously Flustered uh, Nakia Like says You wish I'm phenomenal You know it's like it's an inside joke That they have about you know about dance And and she asks her What's wrong squishy And Nakia says Nothing it's like how Ross Would say you know I'm okay (laughs) I'm fine You know (laughs) I remember this one Time where Joey was like Man, you say you're fine and I want to kill myself. You know, it's just like what the <laughs> what the heck? And uh um Kamala and Nakia start to have a little bit of a talk, but Nakia actually notices nightlight on the computer in the background and she says, "Ah, it's her." So, did you know damage control an armed government agency came into the mosque today? They they thought we had something on her. They were looking for her as if we need another target on our backs. She doesn't seem to notice, and if she does, she doesn't care. And Kamala's like, "What? Wait, what? What? Damage control? What? Why, what did they? What did they want?" Nakia, I don't know. They wanted us to give her up. Maybe you know the whole good Muslim versus bad Muslim. Let's self surveil our people routine. It completely ruined our election result meeting, where I, a board member, um, became a board member, and she just drops that in. But Kamala. Ha- didn't really hear it. She just sort of heard like Department of Damage Control, people that were chasing her, what's going on. But she kind of distractedly says, Wait, did you just say you won? And then all of a sudden, like the important Department of Damage Control stuff, like that's just gone for a minute as they share this hug. And it's like, dude, bro. And then they <laughs> they hug. I thought it's it was really sweet. It was it, very sweet, and I, I like that you mentioned just how authentic. We use that word a lot in, in this, uh, but just how authentic their the relationship feels, and that's a testament to the uh, the, the the actors there. You know, and the great casting. I feel like every character feels authentic, human, and it's they're written in a way that they ha- they're imbued with specific characteristics that make them feel human. You know, to the audience. Um, but uh, yeah, this this moment here is so interesting because it feels like the perfect opportunity to you know come clean. But you kind of right. see how, how within the writing they they set it up that they they wouldn't you know. Uh, um, Nadia, this, this is was coming. the moment. You're right. This would have been it, the would, moment. Where she's like, "That's me. I'm her." You know. Yeah, but she does come at it from a perspective of like kind of blasting Kamala. Nadia does. Uh, she says. Um, just that uh, she's kind of complaining about about Kamala, and so it's you can it's, sense why Kamala would maybe be trepidatious yeah, about why telling her exactly. right at that moment, you know, because she's like, uh oh, she doesn't like her. I don't want her to know that's me, and she's yeah. worried about the the mosque and the election and everything going on right now. Like, I don't want to be disrespectful, and exactly. like you're saying, she doesn't want to step brings, on that either. Yeah, yeah, this brings the whole religion into it too, right? She's doing. In this weird way, Kamala is doing what her mom has always sort of 
wanted her not to mm. do, like bring right. shame on her family. If, right, if right. all these people are going into the mosque and everything. And so it's, yeah, it's like this double-edged sword where Nakia and, and Kamala now, you know, they have that sweet embrace. And then they walk downstairs for the, uh, the Mendy, the pre-wedding wedding yeah. ceremony. Tons of Kamala's family all over. They're all nicely dressed, lots of food. And Taisha's sort of like, Kamala, these are all your family. A little intimidated, right? You got to meet all the in-laws, and it's just this, oh, like this nonstop parade of uh, aunties and uh, and uncles. And we meet Auntie Shireen, who had to deal with a 28-hour flight with four connections just to get here. But she came because uh, Grandma could not make it. Kamala's Grandma, uh, Sana, could not make it. And so we hear Muniba and Shireen kind of talking back and forth. Muniba, remember, is uh, Kamala's mom. And she says, you know, it's just typical. My mother wasn't at my wedding. Why would she be at my son's? There's a moment where Shireen says, well, it's okay. You have me. It's probably for the best anyways. Less drama. Mothers and daughters. It's the eternal struggle. (laughs) And she kind of looks over to Kamala and says, you be sure not to give your mother any trouble. And she says, me? No, I would never. And I love Muniba is pretty great, too. Yeah. She like she immediately goes, oh, Kamala. No, no, this girl would <laughs> yeah. never give me any trouble. And that, that's like another one where it's like uh, her mom. I really like I like her character. Yeah. It feels she feels like her mom. Like we yeah. know she's hiding something, but she's trying to protect her. She repeatedly tries to tell Kamala, please, we're here for you. Tell us, what do you need? We want to help you. Please be honest with us. And I I actually feel like her mom wants to help her in those moments. She's not trying to scold her, right? She's not trying to set her up. Like, I I love this family. Like, I do. Mm -hmm. Yusuf is so funny. Taisha is great. Amir, he's like, he's cheap. He's worried. Not cheap, but like, he just... He doesn't have a whole lot of money. He's broke. He's <laughs> yeah. a young guy that's getting married with the family, and he's got seven hundred bucks in his bank account. And he's like, now he's starting to do the math. Like, oh shit, I'm gonna have to take uh-huh. care of a, like a, a wife now and a family, and I don't have any. Like, I just I love all these little interactions. They're really great. And as uh, they joke about you know Kamala being uh, a being a perfect angel, we uh-huh. see Amir with his shoes, and they they played a joke on him. They didn't just take one pair of shoes. They stole all of his shoes. So, yeah. and, and Yusuf, you know, he's always laughing. He's always joking. He, this family feels like they really appreciate what they've been given and sort of like the freedoms that they have here in America and the opportunities that they have for their family. He seems like, you know, a lot of people like that, people who may have, you know, Immigrated over from different places And like Kamala's mom says Life is was hard for them Right when they come over here It's not easy You can do one of two things You can become sort of like a a hardened Person What is the the Chris Rock stand up You know he says who is the most racist person in the world Like the old black man You know because he's been through it all He's seen it all you know he's He's just like that's some you'll you'll see the 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 people who have been through the worst they're kind of they're they're hardened because they've seen it all this family is the mm. opposite they're so happy and loving and just 
appreciative of of the opportunity that they given and that they they weren't still you know in a displaced India with Pakistan and all these different things going on and everything that happened with the with the uh, the um, the partition before and I I just we keep saying authentic genuine is another word real mm-hmm. I I feel like I know all of them and uh, shout out to uh, to Amir they're all they're all mm-hmm. laughing at him and we uh, we then hear from Auntie Ruby she starts to bring up nightlight she asks the sheik. Um, I heard, are you okay? I heard the FBI came and accused you of being the minaret madman. Yeah. <laughs> is what they call him. <laughs> yeah, there's just no good, uh, no good nicknames for, for Kamala at, at this point. No, <laughs> like, you know, we, we got to workshop this. Yes, we definitely got to. Yeah. Um, Nightlight, minaret, madman. No, no I don't know. Nor I mean, it's not the sheik, but. <laughs> nor queen. No, no. Okay. Um, yeah. So the sheik lets them know Now nah, it was just a few damage control agents That came poking around, no biggie Kamala asks Did it sound like they knew anything about her? He lets them know Just the same things that we know That she's brown, most likely a Muslim girl And they didn't seem very happy about it and it's funny how I Do you think Muniba knows That Kamala is mm. is her? Like with, with Gosh I, I don't, I don't know, but like the next line, like in just some of the timing, right, of when Muniba kind of jumps in, because Muniba is the one who responds and she says, "Oof, the trouble this girl's causing her mother, and should be should be ashamed of herself." <laughs> and then she quickly says, "Oh, Kamala, Bruno came by earlier, right?" It's almost mm, like, yeah. Uh, oh, hey, Kamala. I don't know, Bruno. Yeah. I, I don't. I honestly, I have no clue. Like I don't. I think it could. I think it could be dramatic irony more more than it, that. And, uh, and it is. And I hope it. I hope it's more of that. And I and they did a great job just because like what they did. As I'm looking at the script, it's so mm-hmm. hard not to wonder when you see mm-hmm. them like the yeah. the lines right next to each other like that. You know. But it's yeah. it was very well done either way. She, she definitely knows more than what we than what she's letting on right now. She, um, about her, maybe family, not specifically about bangles. what's happening, about the backstory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe not that Kamala is Nightlight, and that maybe not that Kamala right. has access some of this stuff. But um, maybe it's a subconscious thing too. Like maybe she subconsciously knows, but you know her conscious self hasn't recognized it. Yet. it. Yeah. yeah, sort of like what uh, we find out from Kamala's grandma in a little bit. Right, and psychic connections here. Yeah, Kamala has a a box from Bruno. He came by, he left something there from her earlier So as she goes outside to open it up She actually has this moment with the sheik Who um, She asks about our new masked neighbor Do you agree with everyone? And he asks her right back She said I just thought it would be cool to have a superhero Who actually fights for us But I don't know Maybe he's just, maybe she's just making things worse So this is a bummer I mean, Think, think about it this is what Kamala's always wanted. This has been her dream to be a superhero. And I I, I liken it to uh, I, I've made this comparison with you before on on different shows. It's like the crush that you have. You know, you mm-hmm. have it, or a, a dream obviously is, is something bigger, but a lot of people may have a mm-hmm. dream that they kind of never can accomplish, or maybe a, a dream that they don't get to. But with with the, someone that you like, we everyone has someone that they're interested in. And and there's mm. you probably build this person up on a pedestal, and then for whatever reason is you have an interaction or a moment with them, and you hear them talk or you learn more something about them, and you're like, 
gosh, I don't like this person, or they're awful, or <laughs> it wasn't at all what I thought, or maybe you have a kiss and it was bad, or whatever it is, you mm-hmm. just, it, it's kind of what's happened here with Kamala, because everyone really, her best friend, her mom, all of the the family and people closest to her, and now even people on the internet are kind of, I don't want to say, are kind of turning on Nightlight a little bit. They're, they don't know if she's doing a whole lot of good. Yeah, yeah, it's a well, it's a, it's a question mark out there, and uh, the fact that you know Nightlight has drawn attention uh, of damage control and brought these people into the the mosque, I think that's probably the big, the big thing that's really um, the the concern of theirs. Plus, you know, she kind of bungled the uh, the first display of her powers by dropping <laughs> yeah. that kid. It's, it's at least debatable whether she's good or or, or not, you know, uh, or whether or, she's um, or capable right now. Right, right, right. Whether she's yeah worth supporting. So the sheik disagrees. Said I doubt that boy from the minaret would agree. And that's the boy that she saved. And mm-hmm. Kamala asked, "How does she convince everyone that she's good?" This little line, this is like mm-hmm. one of my favorite lines that I've heard in in anything recently. It's yes. really it's really simple, but when with all these crazy things happening in the world and stuff too, this is such this like a simple way of thinking about things. Uh, the sheik says back to her, "Good is not a thing you are, Kamala. It's a thing you do. Anybody yeah. can do good. It's never too late to do good. But nobody is innately all good. We all have our our." Lulls. We all have our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. I just, I, you can interpret this in so many different ways, and it's such like a small little thing. It, it kind of reminds me of like one thing that we were talking about Star Wars too. That that Obi Wan says in the series, it's just like a line that is like, wow, it's short, but it. You know, when he talks about what the Force is, and he talks about how it's like mm-hmm. turning on the light and kind of illuminating. It, it, it's something that's like very simple, but I love. Yeah. I just love this two lines, like 12, 12 words, but it, it hit me, Tim. Like I felt this yeah. repeatedly when I watched it back. It was meaningful. That's actually uh, a meaningful statement. I think I've heard it before. People saying like good, yeah. good is a verb, not a noun. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, um, uh, it reminded me of this bit from uh, Shane Gillis, uh, this, this comedian on his most recent special uh, on, on YouTube. He was talking about. Uh, how people will be like, I'm not racist. Like, I'm not, ra- you know, I'm not racist. And he's like, well, yeah, you're not now. But it's it's not something that you just are or aren't. It's like what you are in the moment. You could be being racist at a, at a certain time, you know. There, you, there's, you know, it, it, I know. it, it doesn't define you, you know. Um, uh, your actions are your actions. They're not necessarily, like, who you are. Um and a good person can do bad things. You know, a person who's not a racist can still be racist sometimes yeah. or do racist things uh, in that same way. So we're now at the uh, the liquor store. Is it what is it? The Circle Q? Is that what it was called? I think, uh, which is kind of funny because we got the Circle K's and then there's also the, I, I think that was what the name of it was. This is where Bruno works. And so Bruno's working and he's also as he's the, you know, the cashier at this liquor store he's reading through all this information trying to find out anything he can about the gin and yusuf walks in and i don't know this like we didn't see yusuf having but in my head i'm like he's he's going for some munchies right it's late they had a party 
he wants some of his comfort food. So Yusuf yeah. has to go to get some of uh he has to go to get a snack. It's a hostess yeah. fruit pie. And oh, yeah. he, he walks up to the to the counter and says, Okay, uh, Bruno, can you keep a secret? <laughs> and then he, he's like, Ta-da! He says, Muniba forbids me from having these, but look at them. There's just something about their syntheticness that I just <laughs> can't resist. And it's I I love that. And, I like that line, yeah. <laughs> um, major shout out to the comics. So mm. in early years ago, they used to run ads in the comics for these hostess fruit pies. So this mm. is like a nod to what they would do. They used to, you know, they used to run a lot of ads in the comics. They would have like a superhero co- go and get a fruit pie out of like the closet or, you know, out of the cabinet and like eat it. And there would be a scene of them with the fruit pie. So like the subliminal <laughs> messaging, like advertising. And so this was a, a total nod to to that here in particular with the hostess fruit pie that he had in this was another great, just creative way to have a couple different characters give us some exposition mm-hmm. now. And we also got yeah. to see this really sweet relationship that Bruno and Yusuf have where they trust each other. You know, Bruno made the the like Alexa device for him, you know, and they yeah. like this is Kamala's friend. And this is how it would be with, you know, a best friend. But I love it that he's a boy and there's none of that like. You're my daughter. You're trying, you know, your right. macho stuff from Yusuf, right? Like he's, he, he, Bruno is like the lovable friend. He doesn't. There's no reason to be mean to him or to be like try to be imposing or like a macho yeah. dad. He 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 right away wants to help him. He says, "Yeah, what's what's that over there?" And Bruno says, "Oh, it's it's something from cultural studies." And you you could tell their relationship is great because Yusuf is so nosy. He just picks it up right away. You know, he picks up the papers like and starts looking at it. Like, <laughs> oh, the gin. Says, let me have a look. Just, it's written in Urdu. I can help you with this, Bruno. Okay, so he starts to read through. Okay, here we go. Supernatural beings of pre-Islamic folklore, the jinn, have had many names across time and cultures. Some call them genies, other demons. Legend tells of a group of hidden jinn. Exiled from their home world and damned to live out their days trapped in our own. They move in shadows, searching for the key that will help them get home. But to unlock such an ancient barrier will require a primordial power. So we get some interesting kind of serious information here. And it's very serious for Bruno, who's like, oh, damn, this is Kamala. He's talking about (laughs) Kamala. And Yusuf reads all of this and. He goes, wow, interesting. And then he's just sort of, haven't heard that one before. See you, Bruno. He just like laughs and walks off. I think I love the how it goes from serious to like comedic again. Real, real, like at the snap of a like the snap of a finger. Because Yusuf doesn't know. He just he's just here for his his fruit pie. TK. All he's just here to pick up his snack. Yeah, it's just fun. He's he's just shooting the shit with Bruno, really. It's just an interesting thing to him. It doesn't have any like greater context of importance uh but uh to to bruno this was just like a a major key to understanding what's going on here and uh, to us as an audience as well so um bruno and uh, kamala are now chatting about what they've both recently been learning so bruno 
plugged in the energy signatures from the test. He ran the simulation. He's starting to tell her what happened. He can see that she's sort of like fidgeting with her knee. She she says, you know, when you bump into a drone, fall off a truck and don't feel it till later. And, and uh, so <laughs> just keep in mind, you know, she doesn't have like healing powers or anything. She's, you mm. know, the bumps and the bruises are going to are definitely going to show up with her. And Bruno goes on, says, remember the paper I was talking about? So theoretically, it's possible to achieve interdimensional travel, but you need the base energy of the sun pretty much. So what I realized mm-hmm. is all of these theoretical problems downplay the margin of error. If you need the energy of the sun, think about how big the margin of error must be. Mm. She, she's super confused. She says, try again, and, and this time, like, you have a social life, and go. <laughs> and then, <laughs> he says, if you help them go home, some things might go boom. <laughs> and, but the word might was a word he shouldn't have used because yeah. Kamala says, might? Might so there's a ch- so you're saying there's a chance with yeah. all that one in a million talk swans yeah. tonight, uh, slappy <laughs> slappy. So Samsonite, I was way <laughs> off. I was way off, and <laughs> she uh, she says, okay, I must have this bangle for a reason because I can't be the superhero, but maybe maybe this is something I'm supposed to do. Maybe I need to help them. This is kind of like my my cross to bear, you know. And Bruno interrupts her. He just kind of blurts out, I got into Caltech. Boom. What? I, I that's awesome. I, I didn't know you found out already. Because I did vibe shift. I, yeah, a complete <laughs> vibe shift. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Everything shifts. He says, I do, and I, I think I need to go, but I can't leave unless I know that that everything is okay. He says, I you know, I, I think you've been busy and Kamala, if you want to help these people, I will help you help them. I will do the research, I will help you figure things out. But just right now, today, I don't see a safe way to do this. And he's – what's great yeah. about this is we know Bruno loves her. We know Bruno yeah. wants to help her. And it's different. It sort of feels different than like her mom, right? Her mom loves her, mm-hmm. but her mom is sort of more wanting to protect her. Bruno is her friend, so he wants her to be happy. Yeah. This is one of the first times where we've heard him sort of kind of say like, I don't think we can do this. Or I don't yeah. think this is something to try. He's he's told her every time, you want to be a superhero, you're going to be a superhero. Yeah. But Unwavering this is, support. Yeah, this up, is up where until now. He feels, uh. he just, he can sense this is not a great idea and this could really be dangerous. And, yeah. you know, think about where we are in the MCU right now, the stuff we're dealing with in the multiverse, with timelines, with... um. Now with multi dimensions and different realms and maybe, you know, sort of like the butterfly effect of things, how one thing happening can really right. alter the course of a lot of other things. Uh, shout out Ashton. Um, great, great flick <laughs> there. I love that one. The As, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so Kamala still doesn't really want to hear the 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 no from Bruno. She says Carol Danvers wouldn't wait. She'd punch a hole mm-hmm. in space and time and she'd help them now. But he he doesn't waver. He says, if that's the case, Carol Danvers would be reckless. Maybe it's not such a bad thing that you're not her. Okay. So Kamala getting ready for the the wedding. She's putting some medication, uh, some like Neosporin on uh, on her knee. And her mom walks in and sees, and she asks to help. And her mom says, oh, well, sit down. What can we do here? And 
They have this moment together where Kamala asks Mom have you ever felt like you were up against the world Like you wanted something so bad that it actually happened But in reality it's just not as great as you imagined it Her mom says absolutely America Your father and I dreamed of coming here And when we finally did it was so hard He worked long hours for very little money Amir was barely out of diapers My English was not so good I've never felt so alone in my whole life But I found the mosque I found Auntie Ruby and Humaira. I found my family. I let them love me. Kamala, whatever mountain you're facing, you don't have to do it alone. It's okay. Cheer up. You know why? Amir is getting married. And they, they kind of smile and have a little joke and say, who who would have thought that would have happened? Amir, really? And <laughs> I the like all of all of this stuff. This, the stuff with Kamala and Nakia, the stuff with Bruno and Yusuf. It just it's all great like these these little interactions are all very very real and that's they just trans compare it to other stuff where you're where you see where there's a scene and you go eh I mean that just didn't feel and and they and it I've said it before like it adds up it's like you just does you just like you 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 don't you don't buy in when things feel a little faker than this and. I love this. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was great, and and it led like it was perfectly transposed, leading into the scene with father and son. It went from yeah. mother and daughter right to the scene with father and son, kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. The the uh, the parent figure is kind of reassuring, uh, you know, the the child with you know their sense of you know history, and and building them up uh, and. Helping them to move forward, uh, and it's a beautiful exchange in both cases. Uh, there's again the sense of warmth and affection, and again it feels genuine, and it's a, a testament to, you know, not just the writing, but these the great casting and the great performances of, of these actors here. Uh, and do they dial the sweetness up a little bit to where yeah, it's maybe it a, little a little bit, bit beyond what would be realistic? Sure. Yeah, a little bit, a sure. little bit, it's but a little corny. It, but it's sweet. Like, it's genuinely sweet, and uh, the the pacing it serves it because I don't think they dwell too long in these moments. These scenes go no. pretty quickly, but they're meaningful. And they're what's great is that it's it's corny, but they're they're willing to kind of make fun of themselves too, mm-hmm. right? And play with them, like make you know, make jokes about uh, about mm-hmm. like some of the relationships and interactions and how Kamala's kind of sheltered and kind of dorky, and so they have fun with yeah. it. They're not. They're not taking it too seriously that it's a little corny in spots, which is great. And we now have, you know, Yusuf talking with Amir, father and son having the pre-wedding cho- uh, pre-wedding talk. Um, but right before this happens, Kamala actually texts Cameron, say, "Hey, I want to help, but it could be dangerous. I need more time." And again, we get that cool sort of creative animation from the text. It pops up, yeah. you know, in in the, on the screen and Cameron responds just focus on the wedding we will figure it out so cool Cameron said don't you know don't worry about anything else right now you've got a you got the wedding to take care of and poor Amir he's worried because he only has 732 bucks <laughs> in his account and he mentions that to his dad and his dad laughs Yusuf says I'm surprised you have that much he says now is not the time to to worry this is the the father son pep talk here. So I'm I'm sure a lot of fathers probably have had this with their sons and a lot, or maybe mom, you know, it doesn't have to be dad, but this is the, the parent pep talk like we just saw. 
uh, with uh, with Muniba and and Kamala. Yeah. He, and what I like is I like Kamala listening in from the other room. There yeah. was just something like very sweet about that too. Her watching her dad just talk her brother down from being a little bit too nervous and and kind of scared. And he says, "It's not your time to worry. You'll find your way after grad school." Look, a man has one fundamental choice in life To live a life in fear or love The man who chooses love Chooses Janun Passion He chooses faith, courage You wear a shalwar kameez every day on the street I'm sorry for any of the terminology that I butchered out there To any of the folks I'm just, <laughs> I, I apologize uh, uh, And uh, Yusuf says that you are about to stand in front of God and your family And commit to the love of your life you are brave, my son, because you have chosen family. And the man who chooses family is never alone. This was great. This was very yeah. beautiful. Yeah, uh, that was another line that really stood out that, uh, to me. Um, the man who chooses family is never alone. And that was something that uh, really spoke to Kamala as well. And I think it yeah. helps to motivate her decisions uh, moving forward and to kind of center her her. Um, her motivations around around family uh, and you know defending her family and embracing uh, her extended family and her lineage. Loved it, loved it. There are a few of these like <laughs> they're not you don't really but you like it's like was there somebody cutting an onion in here? You know, like, there's like one or two of those where I was like kind of looking around like, uh, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. yeah, not like it wasn't like that. It's not quite there to where you're like crying, but it's like so. You're really getting so invested in these characters that when they have moments like this, it's like you, you I, I'm thinking just of Yusuf here and the dad mm-hmm. who jumped in as the Hulk, you know, and then yeah, yeah. like the sweet little like dad trying to hide the freaking fruit pie like he's going yeah. to drugs. You know what I mean? Like he's <laughs> exactly. eating this snack like it's the worst thing in the world. And it's like he's he's hiding it from her. Like this guy is such a such a sweet dude. And yeah. I, it's uh, a, sin- a sincere kind of a uh, sweetness too, you know. Yeah. That sincerity makes it yeah. not feel too saccharine, you know, not not too corny. It, it feels grounded and authentic in a way that kind of feels familiar, and it reminds us of you know the beauty uh, of you know family in our own lives and those those real connections. Uh, because I think they really did capture something about that in their performances and in the writing, uh, and in the specificity of the writing as well. So we uh, we get to the wedding now, and we hear the sheik uh, reciting the words in the ceremony. The wedding begins. He says, "Never have I seen a couple so certain of their love as they are of themselves." Do you accept Amir Khan as your husband? And they have to ask three times, I believe, just to make sure. Yeah. Right? Is that sort of what it, it is? Just to confirm that you say it multiple times to really, yeah. you know, make sure you have have thought about it. And Beautiful I love tradition. that. I, yeah, I love the I different do. versions of the, their answers every time. You know, I love I, I, how I was, they. Well, and, and what what's cool about it is what you were saying um, when they talk about the mosque. Like, it doesn't come off stuffy. Like you think <laughs> you you might think of like the ritual or maybe the ceremony as this like very like serious ceremony, right? But no, the way they. They like respond like you said I do I do and she goes oh I do You know and then everybody starts laughing And when he asks Amir do you accept Taisha Hillman As your wife Amir goes Yeah I'm down you yeah. know? <laughs> And everyone's laughing and you don't 
it it's not like a stuffy setting where these older yeah. generations are like, oh, you can't have fun and you can't act that way. And it just it felt like like I wanted to go to this wedding. Yeah. I wanted to be there. The everything was like it felt so welcoming and inviting. And the sheik announces them husband and wife, and everybody celebrates and the party begins. <laughs> but before we get into the party too much, we actually see that Najma has been looking through Cameron's Cameron's phone and she sees <laughs> that Cameron's the mom Kamala. <laughs> it's like, come on, mom. And uh, she asks him, What you weren't gonna tell me this? He says, I she just Cameron says that Kamala just needs more time. And this is like the first time where we see Najma completely change. Like everything yeah. that we've been seeing from her has been for a Lack of a better word, bullshit. <laughs> you know, she's just been BSing us the whole time. She needs the bangle from Kamala. She doesn't care about Kamala at all. She doesn't care about this dimension, this world, or anyone in it. She just cares about getting home or maybe getting any power. I, I don't even really know exactly if it's just about getting home for her, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, accessing more power, but yeah. she's definitely someone who. Her son didn't even really know. Her son even says, "Wait, mom, like this is dangerous." Yeah. And just of course it's dangerous. Why wouldn't it be? And he's <laughs> he's like, "What? You know it's dangerous, and you want Kamala to do it anyways?" She just doesn't care. This place will never yeah. be our home. We're not. We're not. We are going to make her help us. I'm not asking anymore. She gets firm with Cameron. She walks off and gets ready to leave. So this is this is a different Najma here, and now yeah. everything starts to change. Yeah, it's clear to us now that she's she's the bad guy, and uh, we could see also in this scene that that uh, Cameron is is innocent he's not. Uh, to these, uh, and that he's going to be a supporter, uh, that he's a genuine uh, person. I, I think I don't know if we touched on this, but they mentioned earlier in the episode that he's like, is he only seventeen? He is, is only right? seventeen, which I don't have. So, I I'm trying to yeah I. I they haven't really given us more to it, but he is, I guess, yeah. just someone um, from this, you know, from this realm, yeah. from this dimension. And Najma maybe just had a baby with with yeah. someone. I, I I'm curious if we find out more about that and who his father is, right? And because yeah. um, and I think the writers clearly, you know, <laughs> made a point of doing that because they wanted absolutely. to avoid like a Twilight scenario where you've got like a. Hundred plus year old character that's engaging romantically with you know a fifteen a seven, year old or yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, however an old she under is, yeah. eighteen year old girl that just because like yeah. we look back we're like awkward you know it just doesn't doesn't feel right yeah as um we get back to the wedding and just some of the great traditions and rituals and customs Bruno even asks about one of them he's asking one of the mm-hmm. uh, the Illuminatis about one of the rituals. <laughs> And she says, uh, it brings fortitude to your marriage so that way every time you clash, you become closer. And Bruno asks, is it true? She says, who knows? It's just good fun, isn't it? And uh, and Smash them together. (laughs) Just great, like, great atmosphere, great vibe, great ambiance. And now it's time for the special presentation for the bride and the groom. Everybody has prepared, like, different dance numbers. First, like big dance routines. First, it's the family, and with 
you know, Muniba and Yusuf and, and some of the aunts and uncles, and then it's the in-laws. Even even Taisha's yeah. family gets up and is dancing and uh, and having some fun. And then it's all yeah. the younger kids. It's Kamala and the younger family members, and they're doing a dance. Freaking Bruno's out there. He's got everything yeah. down. He's got the routine down. He's standing up front. Then Amir gets up and he's dancing with them. And and Taisha's like very impressed that Amir knows, you know, he's got his routine down. And it yeah. just it feels like a great time. The the dancing scenes and routine stuff, mm-hmm. they can be really corny sometimes. But yeah. but this felt it didn't feel that way because it like we were saying, it's it's part of this tradition and these rituals yeah. and the customs where it didn't feel like they're up there doing a Backstreet Boys dance, you know, like they're doing right. something that felt fun, but also felt like like big a big part of their history. And I, I thought yeah. this was really cool. I love the whole wedding scene and ambiance and vibe to me was was just very well done. Yeah, and again, authenticity. I mean, I've uh, like I mentioned, a part part of my my job is working for an events company uh, where we do a lot of weddings. That's one of our, you know, that's one of the ways our bread is butter is doing weddings. And super common that there will be choreographed dance numbers uh, in in weddings, especially um, you know more specific cultural weddings like like this, Middle Eastern weddings, Pakistani weddings, and uh, when when they're bringing you know a specific you know cultural heritage to the, to the forefront, a lot of times you will see that, and even in just you know you know modern Anglo-American kind of weddings uh, where you'll you'll get you mentioned a Backstreet Boys choreo- choreography that could very well be what they would do in a real wedding you know today I, exactly uh, it, just it some random be. pop song for the first yep. dance that's part of you know the traditional wedding so. Yep. It fits. It it fits, and it felt like a good almost excuse for a musical number, and it made it got me thinking about how often we've seen those in the MCU. Um, I wonder if they're going to do a a you know a proper musical ever uh, in the MCU. And I think that might be an interesting thing. But we've recently seen a musical fight in Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a Broadway musical with Rogers uh, back for for the Hawkeye show. Uh, now we boys. have this. If you're not, if you're watching the boys, they had a, like a little thing in there. One of the episodes this yes. week that was very like last week was really funny too. So uh, I heard, I heard about that. I think new rock stars mentioned that. I haven't seen. I'm a couple episodes behind, but I have been enjoying that show as uh, as yeah. well. It, uh, it's, a, it's a great one. So just awesome <laughs> stuff here, and uh, we've got Brown Jovi, the cover band, yes. performing at the wedding. And let's uh, go. Apparently, Brown Jovi does uh, Ied, Diwali, Bar Mitzvahs, Sweet Sixteen, yeah. Quinceañeras. Brown Jovi does it all. And uh, <laughs> Just doing, like, a plug for themselves in the middle. Yeah. That's so tacky, too, by the way. <laughs> like, I know. You would yeah. never see that. <laughs> no, no. Uh, um, so um, they slow it down, and it's time for a slow song. And Kamala kind of jokingly, you know, asks Bruno, do you want to dance? Of course, Bruno. He's ready to rock. This is his yeah. moment. He's been oh, waiting man. for this moment. And Dude. Cameron, Cameron walks in the back door. Womp, womp, womp. And he literally walks right in and has to cut in and like interrupt the yeah. dance. Kamala can bangle blocked. Jeez. I, I, <laughs> well done. Bangle block there. And uh, he says, Kamala, can we talk? I need to talk to you alone. And Bruno goes, no, no, no. And then he just kind of takes. Kamala uh, off to the side to speak with her, but but Cameron is 
he does have good intentions. He he is yeah. here just to save, yeah. to try to save and alert Kamala. You're in danger. So is your entire family. I've come here to yeah. warn you. Kamala still manages to get a dig in with the name though. That, I mean, right, right after he does again, <laughs> he he and these these two and their little uh, like rival like rivalry yeah. with each other is great. I think one of the two is going to save the other one, right? I'd imagine. Oh. Uh, it's got gotta it. happen. Yeah. It's gotta happen each other. <laughs> to where yeah. they're gonna become like bros, and like I think they're gonna be, it's gonna be like really good buddies at at some point, oh, yeah. maybe even. Um, and, and you know what? I should I should say too because this moment was kind of important, like where this was kind of Bruno's shot. Like let's let's talk about the stage that had been set here because right. just prior he killed it on the dance floor, so that's points yep. for for Bruno right there. So he's making he's looking good. But a little the scene before that, him and Kamala, he kind of. He stood up to her in a way, not not like in a confrontational way, but in a way where he finally told her uh, uh, something that about he he emphasized his needs yep. uh, when he'd been when he'd been just you know serving her so far and being supportive of her, but he told her the truth about you know his plans and how that he thinks he's going to go. And in that scene too, he's standing up straight, he's standing up tall, and you can see Kamala look at him different, kind of shifting. Yeah. Her, yes. her, that, the, the, the idea that she, he's going to leave, she's seeing what she's going to be missing out on. And I think she can also see the, her feelings for him starting the, to per- the wheels. And, you know, they're turning. Yeah. You see so them- she's primed in this moment for them to, you know, to actually, you know, maybe have, have, have a, a real moment. Or, yeah. And, maybe yeah. like have that moment. You're right. And it's, it's so set up for him. With the wedding, mm-hmm. with the family, with everybody having a good time, and then here, like <laughs> you can literally hear the bubble burst, you know, yeah. from Cameron come in and like pop it as. Uh, and then as, oh, I, I love the role reversal here too because Cameron does not look cool here. He's no. kind of disheveled, com- like compared to that to where we introduced him. I I literally like had to check. I was like, wait, did they recast this character between? Uh, episodes here. I, I, I literally looking. had that thought because he looks yeah. so different. His hair's not as 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 sharp. Uh, like everything about him just seems like less cool in I general. And when he shows when he shows up, he doesn't seem as 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 like a cool guy. Actually, Bruno seems a little cooler in that moment. It's interesting, like the 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 dynamic shift there mm-hmm. that it happened. Uh, Bruno so, even uh, feels like he looks like a little bigger, right? Like there's yeah, just like he, present. He, it, he yes. he's like more full full that fold out filled out. He reminded you know? me of like a like a Spider Man Peter Parker like in his yeah. T shirt there like he looked like he had kind of like a little ch- like he'd been doing some push ups before that yeah. or something you know. He's gonna I got that shirt, kind of vibe. Gonna say you're totally right. The shirt's gonna come off at one point. It's gonna be like whoa, <laughs> Kumail. <laughs> You did this, right? What's right. Going on, you know, uh, and great mentioning Kumail too. I thought that was um, funny that you know we see him so much on Obi Wan, and then yep. we have this uh, this dance here, which is another example of you know we kind yes. of saw similar Bollywood style dance, yep. and you know exactly uh, Eternal. So that's another example of the music and uh, what a good. Dance. What a cool time for Kumail. It's like you're in Star Wars and in the MCU now. Like you are literally going to live on forever in both of these awesome worlds. There aren't many who have, you know, who have gotten to both. And uh, shout out Kumail yeah. as um, cameos too. I, I feel like they mentioned him already. I believe he's Pakistani, uh, you know, his heritage too. So that would be a great, you know, connection for him to show up on the show at, at some point, even Perfect if it's fit. just like Quick. watching him on TV. Yeah, Something them like- watching him in a scene in a movie that they could have filmed when he was in Eternals. You know what I mean? Like footage they could have filmed that. Like, absolutely. Like, there could be that and Carol Danvers are the two that I would I would bet on if I was a betting man. You know, I've been known to make a wager or two in my life. 
as uh, <laughs> so Cameron said that he uh, I, he tried to call to warn, but the whole family is here now. Bruno walks over and you know says, "Hey, seriously, just back off," uh, you know. And Cameron Oof. says, "No, hey, this isn't your fight." So they're kind of starting to argue, but Cameron lets everybody know, "Look, they're not here to talk. They'll kill everyone." Yeah, you got to get out of here. And Najma and Adam and Faria and Salim all enter the room in the back. And Cameron lets Kamala know everyone will die. So she's trying to find a way to distract them. And she says, Stick to the classics, right? She goes and pulls the fire alarm. And, uh, you know, everybody has to evacuate the building. The alarm starts going off. You know, you get some water coming down. And this is this is a great distraction for them because Bruno was able to kind of help escort everyone out of the building. And mm. there's a moment where Amir has to go grab the plate of money that has been yeah. all the people have been giving him money. I love just yeah. because it it makes sense. We know Amir he's broke. Is, he's <laughs> broke. He needs that cash. He runs up and he grabs it. And and um so Cameron tries to plead with Najma. And she just says, do not get in my way. And now we hear Bon Jovi living on a prayer <laughs> starting to play. And for like the next two minutes throughout this entire scene, this song is playing. And yeah. I, it, while we've said a few times, this was one of the scenes that kind of stood out to me that maybe a couple things, some of the, the, the fighting, maybe even some of the choreography, a little bit wonky. Mm-hmm. We don't really well, know she, what yeah. the power, like the power set, or what what the jinn can do that don't have the bangle. Mm-hmm. Or can do they have powers? But but Kamala's kind of fighting them off, and I I didn't mind the, most of it from Kamala's perspective because she still looks mm-hmm. a little like awkward, right? She's yeah. not completely clean. It's not as if she's mastered everything. She's kind of fallen over yeah. and like slipping, and then having to use. The powers here she's still getting Punched or hit and it's not As if she avoids everything so I I like the kind of awkwardness of how Kamala is portrayed but overall It's a little bit wonky but But the the music and the background Helped it for me a lot I will tell you Because it sort of of made it Seem more comical Mm -hmm. And so I kind of I let I wasn't as uh, Serious with Everything as I was watching with the Well you're halfway there <laughs> ah, It was like going on the, the whole For like two minutes straight And they're battling There's, there's a cheesy fun aspect though To that song it is. That kind of matches the tone of the scene in the series 100%. in general percent It's yeah, like a and karaoke that, yeah. or a party song That people yeah. will all That's like a wedding song Right? Right, that's that too, yeah Absolutely <laughs> yeah. one of those that they play And everyone's like Singing or you know at a bar That's one of those songs that If you play at 1.30 at a bar The whole place is going to yeah. start singing it You know Yeah, And you're right that the needle drop there It, it, it uh, buoys the whole scene Because there is some wonky stuff To me it was just the, the budget Kind of showing its, itself there The, the seams of, of that There was still some cool stuff I liked the um, the whip weapon was kind of cool it Looked at, All their weapons looked a little CG uh, and they felt a little bit like generic goons just fighting on a TV show at times. Totally agree. Um, they didn't seem but, imposing mm-hmm. or afterwards, right? And then right. they just get like captured by the cops. It was very, yeah. like, very low level 
stormtrooper yeah. type, you know, like which you would think they were a little bit higher higher up. Though. I know, but I guess it is a, a large group too. So it's like it's not like it's Najma or, or, or anything like that. You know, it's not like the core main villain there. It's it's still kind of the the henchmen of of her. But uh, I also love the point you made about you know um kamala is she's without form you know she doesn't really have any technique to to the way she survives she's just flying by the seat of her pants and you know getting to know her powers and she's almost using them in a um uh a reactionary uh kind of a way like a uh what's it called um uh, like what are those things like when you hit your knee the doctor oh. does that thing, a reflex. It's like yes, a reflex. It's, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah, all reflexive. Yeah. She, she doesn't, yeah, you're 100% right. It's not even, she, it's not time to think. She's just right. doing, just sort of like doing what, how would you respond? And it's kind of cool because like her powers sort of just do. You know, she'll, she'll yeah. throw a big punch. And the the one that I loved was when she knocks out the four, which is cool. Like, you know, she can extend her arm yeah. to a big punch and and take everybody out. She, that stood out as really cool and, and reminded me a lot of what you can do in the video game, too. So it just felt authentic to her power set. And she's trying <clears throat> she's trying to, like, evade all of them. Yeah. You know, uh, we see Salim take out a guard and run after Kamala. They they kind of brush. Initially, they sort of handle her. But Adam or she sort of kind of brushes them off. But Adam, Faria, Salim. Mm-hmm. They're all right there behind Kamala and Adam. Yeah. It's funny because she goes into like the kitchen to try to get the kitchen staff yeah. to leave. She's like, everybody's got to get out of here. And they're like, what? They the all hell? ignore. <laughs> and then yeah. they see Adam walk in and just punch one of the other staff. Yeah. And this woman's right like, absolutely. I'm out of here. And she just walks <laughs> out and then everyone leaves. And, and that so- was a fun, convenient gag. Uh, and I thought it worked for the scene, like to, to make the scene work. But I, it also took me out of it just slightly because I've worked in kitchens before. And I'm like, nah, there would have been some, like, prison tattooed guy at the, that, like, tried to fight the, yes. these guys just coming. Like, there's there's always some harder characters in the kitchen, uh, you know, you know, at, in cook, the back. Dude, for real. Washer. Like, some of those cooks would not. Yes. They, and, they got, and they have knives on them. They have sharp knives. Oh, I was going to so, say, like, that guy's got feel, a butcher knife for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like there's a darker version of this scene that could have existed, but it wouldn't have fit on Disney <laughs> Plus for sure. Um. And it reminds me a little bit of like I was watching a Jurassic Park, like the first one, or and, yeah. and there's a lot of that in the in the kitchen where they're yes. like they're hiding yeah. behind be a lot, like a lot of the uh, yeah, and they're yeah. hiding in some of the cabinets and behind some of the you know um, like the stoves and all the things set yeah. up throughout the kitchen. She's just it felt like an homage to that for sure. Yeah, she's trying. She just keeps slipping out of the reach of these four people that are after her. Um, we cut to outside. The wedding party has all evacuated the building, and so yeah. out front, just like you said, this is a building where there are are other different weddings happening. So mm-hmm. not only was the you know Amir Taisha wedding evacuated, but there was a different wedding yeah. that their party is all out front, and the woman in the wedding dress is crying. You know her wedding, yeah. ju- her reception just got ruined, and it's it's really sweet that Taisha tries to calm her down. She, you know, she says, yeah. you look really pretty. And the the bride says back to her, so do you. And they have this moment of like these brides who probably are just sad that, yeah. their, day, that their day didn't go as perfect as they would have hoped. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like all, all standing outside. 
Um, Talk about rain on your wedding day. I mean, you got fire alarms coming out. Literally, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. literally. So, uh, and, and, and that's when one of the families says that Kamala pulled the alarm. I saw yeah. it with my own eyes. But actually, uh, um, Aunt, I think it's Aunt Ruby who sticks up for Kamala and says, what? Yeah. You can't see anything. You know, the yeah. DMV revoked her driver's license. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> so we cut back inside, and Najma talks to Kamala. But Kamala's trying to hide. So this is like the evil yeah. villain trope, right? Where you know someone's in the room and you have to say everything out loud. No yeah. use resisting it. The banger right. made for bigger than you, Kamala. Don't be selfish. Um, <laughs> and uh, we we get the sense of of uh, how serious everything is as we kind of cut back and forth. We cut back yeah. to out front where Bruno is with Kamala's parents. And everyone's kind of worried about her. They don't really know where she is. Um, even Nokia is kind of looking around, trying to figure out where she is. And we cut back and we see her sneaking around. Kamala is on the floor, hiding behind different things. And it's mm-hmm. the, at this point, the the ambiance of the kitchen is dark with like flashing yeah. lights. It's like really, really spooky. And Kamala is able to use her powers, but not in complete control of them. She's still learning. They're in the reception hall where the wedding was, and she's using the hard light to fight off all four. She actually gets a little mm-hmm. bit of help from Bruno, who comes in Ooh. to to help her, but he gets he hit hard. It. Yeah, he gets hit <laughs> hard. hard. And that's yeah. sort of what what triggers Kamala. She says, "Leave him alone," and she makes yeah. the big extended super fist. To punch yeah. and knock out all four uh, of them momentarily. Uh, even dope. Cameron steps in yeah. to try to fight uh, Salim. Yeah. And, and that's what ends up giving Kamala a little bit of time to get Bruno to safety. So Bruno right. and Cameron come in to try to help. So the two knights in shining armor yeah. uh, both both step in here. And, and they both get they both jacked up. Rock, right? I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. They both get rocked. Absolutely first, rocked. <laughs> first, it's Bruno, and um, and injured Bruno is like leaning on Kamala, so yeah. she's looking to help him find a way out, and and Salim knocks Cameron from like the second story. He yeah. is it was a cool like, stunt. Yeah, like really, really cool. hit hard. So, but but what this did was it it bought. Kamala a little bit of time to get Bruno outside to get him away from all of this, and actually Najma. Um, there's a moment before that happens where it looks like they're all surrounded. Najma comes in. Yeah. It looks like when no Najma, you've got Faria, you've got Adam, you've got Salim, all surrounding Bruno and Kamala, and you know Kamala tries to to act like just to to level with her. I thought you said you were going to help me. You th- you said you were going to protect me. Najma goes full evil here. Why should yeah. I protect those who betray me? And as Kamala yeah. raises her arms up, the bangle starts to light up. And Najma says, like, Kamala was getting ready to use her powers in some way. But Najma mm-hmm. kind of, like, intercepted it. It's like she grabbed mm-hmm. on to the bangle. And both of them were almost, like, frozen. They're both almost in this other dimension, this realm yeah. where... We hear that train again, and yeah. it's this it says old, Karachi on it. 
steam yeah. engine train that's like you, you totally get the Harry Potter vibe when this comes yeah. in, right? Like the Hogwarts. <laughs> so but yeah, it says Karachi. It's for sure from the 1940s. And all of this happens though in seconds. Like in mm-hmm. mere seconds, and then they're right back, and all of a sudden the DODC is there. And we hate these yeah. people, but actually we're kind of happy to see them at this moment. Yeah. And somehow Kamala is able to escape in this moment. I know. This, <laughs> and yet the DO—that's one thing that's like it happened already once, where they basically were just—I think it was when Cameron picked them up behind the uh, behind this other truck. Cameron's like car just pulls up and they just peel away. Uh, it was almost a little too convenient that time. This time, I feel is stretching it even further. But you know, it's one of those TV movie tropes. It's like when. Batman, you know, Commissioner Gordon turns around and Batman's not there anymore. It's like, that would have been impossible, but let's just go with it, you know? Like, it's fun. So, uh, it's Agent Deaver and the DODC, and they gain custody of Faria, mm-hmm. Najma, Adam, Salim, as Kamala and Bruno were able to escape, which does make them feel a little less important that, like, the cops get them right off the bat. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, they do have some serious weapons. I, I, I like that gun that they were shooting, which, which, I yeah, that was awesome. The like, same... These aren't your regular cops, you know. This is yeah, the DODC yeah. with the, some weapons that may be able to limit like your powers, or I think some mm-hmm. of what you can do. So um, I thought it also... might have been the same tech from Incredible Hulk. Yeah, uh, that they were shooting those like sound waves at him. That yes. all, that were they were in the, in that first Incredible Hulk movie, the Louis Leterrier one with um. Uh, Edward Norton, where they're just blasting him with that, and I think they've used that tech later with some drones, some Stark drones or something like that. Uh, they they brought that back, so I think it might be a related tech here from just from the look of those circles that were coming out. Now, as Kamala and Bruno walk outside, Kamala has to quickly use her powers to like open a door, and and Nakia is out there, and so she sees Kamala have to use her powers and. She can't believe it. She yeah. The whole time it was you and you didn't say anything. And it it feels like there's a moment where she's kind of she's about to get upset. I think more Oh yeah. She I is upset for sure. A little upset and like hurt mainly. Yeah. It seems like I'm your best friend. Like you wouldn't have told me this. But yeah. but Bruno does a pretty good job of like kind of Yeah. Like he he makes the situation a lot better. He says, No, look, Kamala, you need to go. Right now, and Kamala says, okay, I'll explain everything later. Um, Nakia actually even gives Kamala a piece of the the clothing, her clothing that fell off and says, here, look, here you go. Kamala runs off, but Nakia, it's, she's sweet because she's shocked, but she starts to help Bruno off and she's like, what the hell just happened? And Bruno starts explaining it to her. I just like such awesome friends. They're just like such great friends for her. And she asks Bruno, are you okay? He says, no, I'm not. And uh, yeah. um, uh, So as she leaves, she heads back home. And mm-hmm. her parents are there. Her brother, Taisha, are all there. And they're, they were scared because they didn't know where she was. Now they're a little relieved yeah. that she's home, right? So first was, okay, yeah. thank God you're home. Where have you been? And then, yeah. then the next question is, okay. Did you pull the fire alarm? And who were those people with you? They were arrested. Her dad jumps in. Can you tell us exactly what happened? 
And her mom, she tries She said, Kamala, please just be honest with us You're our daughter, we want to help you But we can't if we don't know what's going on with you And it's like Longingly, her mom is begging her Please, please tell us So we can help you And Kamala says, I I just can't Okay She wants to kind of protect them too Right, she here is doing what she thinks is right Trying to kind of keep them out of this And Yeah she, so but she, again, again, though, she's presented with this perfect opportunity to kind of come clean about what's going on. This is their moment. Uh, they're, the at, they're begging her. for her. They're begging and, her yeah, to tell. She just can't do it. And her dad seems super disappointed. He walks off. Yeah. And I thought even in the background, her brother Amir and Taisha are sitting at the table. They don't say anything, but you can see them that they're disappointed. That mm-hmm. that because Amir has been really cool with Taisha. I mean, Amir has mm-hmm. been really cool with Kamala, and Taisha has been right, really cool right. with Kamala. They're both like he's a great brother. He's tried to help her out. Taisha has been one that was like she yeah. seemed like she knew what was going on with Kamala in some spots, and she yep. she didn't want to ever get her in trouble. She kind of wanted to to help Kamala be a girl, be a young girl, and and kind of get to live her life and have a little freedom. So mm-hmm. this was a moment that kind of hit home to me seeing them. Disappointed with Kamala Like hey you ruined our night This was our wedding yeah. What did you? Why did you do this Like we know it's that you're night. a little quirky it's... And that you're our sister And you get into some trouble But why the hell would you pull the fire alarm at our wedding Like Yeah I mean That would be such a betrayal Honestly that's so important Like any family Would be kind of dev- Would be devastated to have that happen to them in general But then to add that added layer Of uh of that it's someone from your family, uh, it's your sister or your daughter that that uh, that is responsible, and then they won't come clean about why. Like that just hurts on so many levels, and it it's almost like unbelievable that she wouldn't come clean in that moment. I, I feel like there wasn't quite enough motivation for her established to like like in that previous uh, scene we talked about. It kind of made sense the way they wrote it that. You know, it just didn't work out. But here, it was like she was teed up to just and just and say she it, just, girl. And she just had to sort of come clean to Nakia, also. Right, right. We, we so just saw her having the, the same thing. She she could have just said, "Okay, I, like I'll come clean." But I mm-hmm. I agree. It felt maybe a little off, or maybe like I don't know. I feel like a, a me at sixteen, I would have at this moment, I would have come clean. Yeah, I, I yeah, don't think I could too. have held it in. You know, like I couldn't have been that that strong or what stubborn, whatever it is. As yeah. uh, we have, we see Kamala walk upstairs to her room, and her phone rings, and it's her grandma. And you know, she's it's kind of like when you know one of your family members calls you and you're just distracted and you don't really have time. And you know, she says, yeah. "Can I call you later, Nani?" And her grandma says, "You need to come to Karachi." And Kamala says, "What?" Uh, Ami wouldn't ever let me go And grandma says you both need to come So Kamala's sort of like is, is grandma drunk right now What's going on you know she's like what Like I'll, can I call you tomorrow And she asked did you see it <laughs> Kamala said See what And that's when Nani says the train Did you see the train Kamala wonders how did you know about that Because I saw it too Which is why you have to come you have to come to Karachi. What? Oh, snap. wait. So, <laughs> Grandma can see it. Does that mean 
mom can also see it? Can Amir yeah. also see it? Is it all in the family? We we were introduced to so much in this episode, Tim. I mean, we are yeah. we just hit two hours right now talking about an episode yeah. that was actually one of the shorter episodes because there's so much happening. Yeah. I have we had a few critiques, a couple of them mm-hmm. were visual. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the writing is is very smart and honest. And yeah. I this through the three episodes so far, I'm really excited for the next one. And I don't have that many things to critique. The few that we did, but overall, I come out of the episode feeling really good and really excited and, and wanting to know more. And it feels like we're gonna be heading to uh to Pakistan soon, I believe, to, yeah. uh, to Karachi. Yeah, and I'm really excited about that. I mean, so far, when the MCU has taken us to another country, different locales, uh, they've done a pretty good job of, uh, I mean, Moon Knight's a great example of this with Egypt, but in the most recent one, uh, but they they do a great job of, you know, capturing a, a specific feel and, and, and bringing a new uh, a new chapter to whatever story that uh, they're telling at that moment. They, they use the, the, the location uh, and the setting uh, to great benefit, I think, in the past. So I would love to see the MCU go back to Pakistan. I feel like the only time we've ever really been, you know, in the Middle East uh, in the MCU um, is Iron Man, kind of, you know, with the Afghanistan uh, and the, the Ten Rings out there. And that was much more of a, you know, Islamic terrorist portrayal of the, you know, that that region. I'm really looking forward to seeing um the other side of of uh of the the middle east i know obviously it's different afghanistan versus pakistan there's a whole a milieu of of cultures in between them um but there's still like opportunity for us to see something fresh and for uh right absolutely we've seen things in the opposite sense where they're demonized and like we right. see we see the in like the Western civilizations that culture is is meant to be evil and right. You think and you associate it with nine eleven and terrorists mm-hmm. and zealots. And I want to see it like we saw this wedding. I'm looking forward right. to seeing the side of Egypt that we saw in Moon Knight. Right? Things exactly things a little bit differently. And uh, we'll be here with you for the next three episodes <laughs> each and every week. We'll lead you right into Thor: Love and Thunder. TK, we've got a lot happening uh, in the next, you know, second half of the year, my friend. We are halfway home yeah. now, and uh, it sounds like you're feeling pretty good about it. Where we stand, I am. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Maybe a notch lower than I was last week. I got a little bit more of that Disney Channel vibe uh, this this time around. Uh, although I'll say it's still separate from that. It's still above and beyond uh, what I've ever seen from you know come from something like the Disney Channel and that that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's just it, the the characters, the acting, the writing, the general just likability of every aspect involved in this series so far has just made it uh, just a pleasant watch. It's just it's it's a fun show. It's not too heavy. Don't have to think too much about uh, you know the the dark things in life. There's a lot of you know, heavy things going on in real life in the real world right now uh, that it's nice to kind of have a. a a respite from that and uh, just uh, to, to get away from that and just focus on something a little bit otherworldly, but also that embraces, you know, different aspects of, you know, of humanity and different cultures. And uh, I, I feel like it's just a very fresh addition to, you know, the MCU. It's it's adding a lot 
of you know backstory of mythology it's tying together mythologies and doing a, a whole lot of uh work to you know world build and really give us a sense of what phase four is going to have in store for us i mean we're already knee deep into phase four but i feel like ms marvel has helped to kind of cement crystallize the the themes of phase four and um i believe it was erica of new rock stars kind of you know mentioned this i know we always shout him out but that now we're really focusing on more of like the supernatural yeah, the mythologies spiritual. yeah the spiritual yeah. yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. it was nerdist also kind of uh you know coupled with that uh nerdist mi- mentioned the three m's so phase four to to in in nerdist opinion is uh, mythology multiverses and magic so that's kind of the focus i could see that was, both angles that was there totally yeah. like I, i'm reminded of the uh the falcon or the uh the falcon right. Line, right wizard right. The big three you know like, big three yeah awesome i love that and uh i love tim kelly my good friend he's gonna be here <laughs> with you, us sir. each and every week when whenever we have something going on in the world of marvel in the mcu we'll be talking about it here on that's what G said. Make sure to give Tim a follow at Tim is not funny. Check out his uh, music project, Ice Cream Fire. TK, my friend, you have a fantastic week, and I look forward to checking in with you again next weekend. Thanks so much. Same to you. Uh, really happy to be doing this with you, folks. Do not go anywhere. We still got a lot more to discuss on that's what G said. Halfway home now in Miss Marvel. Three down, three more to go. Tim Kelly will be here with us each and every week. So uh, finished up with Obi-Wan Kenobi, so we'll be uh, a couple months before we head back into the world of Star Wars for more of our deep dive, recap, and reviews, but lots going on in the world of Marvel. We'll have so much happening in the coming weeks and months, and Tim will be along for the ride. Big thanks again to Matt Velasco for helping us out. Big thanks to Tim Kelly for helping us. Good luck this week uh, to everyone in your plays, and Happy early 4th of July. We'll have another episode coming up before that, but I'm uh, always a big fan of 4th of July and the 4th of July holiday. So we'll talk some racing for you coming up later this week, and we'll be back with another episode in just a few days.